Hello again, friends! And let's go Mets! And welcome back to another edition of the 605 Super Podcast, this being another very special holiday edition, opening day Star Wars 2023 Baseball and Wrestling Talk. I'm the great Brian Last, and joining me here to start things off, the host of the... See, the host? The voice of the wrestling news. I guess the wrestling news itself shouldn't have a host. Defeats the concept of the news. But the voice of the wrestling news, and so much more, Mike Sempervivi. Mike, how are you today? I'm doing okay. I'm doing my best, but I don't think I've gotten into that Huntley-Brinkley level yet where we can attach my name to the show. It's a weird thing, the host of the news. Yeah. Not the presenter or the anchor of the news, the host of the news. It's another way where the the Euros got it right. The BBC got it right. A presenter. That's what I am. I'm here to present what I've been given here. I don't I don't want to be the host <laughs> to some of this stuff because I'd kick it out of my house. Some of the stuff that we have to report on. But you know what? I love doing it every day. I thank everybody out there who's listening right now because I'm sure as anybody has heard Brian talk about this or the other Brian talk about this or me. I think we all had this idea in our mind. We all thought it was something that could work. We all knew somebody in radio. We all listened to news radio, sports radio, where this could be something that had legs. And I believed in this for a long time. And somehow, some way, you know, just shows you how fate works sometimes that, you know, both of you guys had that idea in your minds, too, of something like that working. So it has worked. I'm very appreciative to you, to Lou, to Brian. Uh, to Jace, to everybody, and to everybody out there who's listening to it every single day and responding, and it's just, it's fantastic. That's right. This year's award winner, Mike Sempervivi. What a speech. What a, what you a, like that? What I had all the that small the people, way. all the little well, people were thanked. <laughs> here's, here's the thing. We could get into talking about baseball right off the bat, but if we're going to talk about the Nationals, I'd like to wait as long as we possibly could before we broach that subject. <laughs> well, you know, the thing is, I'm going to actually say, because you are a Nationals fan and we're all projecting a certain season on the Nationals right now, (laughs) and I also like a team in the National League East, and the Phillies have a big signing in the offseason, and the Marlins have a good young pitching staff, I can understand why this year you just don't give a fuck on this show. (laughs) I would completely (laughs) understand. This is the year for you. What the fuck? Is You're Stra- not wrong. Is Strasburg going to pitch this year? Probably not. Probably. <laughs> I mean, look, that's the whole thing with Strasburg at this point. I just look back at the, you know, little gimmick I have on the wall here that talks about the World Series a couple of years ago because that's the best that it was going to get. You know, he, he was not hurt throughout that season. He got paid. Okay, well, let's see how it goes from there. And we've seen how it has gone from there. You will never see Steven Strasburg pitch a full season in the major leagues ever again. You know, you've barely seen that anyway. Now I'm wondering how much you're going to see him for the rest of his career because at some point, I mean, he's going to be a national for a long time. He is a, I hope he retires a national. I really do. But. Oh, man. You know, at some point, hopefully, and we lost uh, Cade Cavalli to begin the season, but they have guys in the farm system, Jackson Rutledge. We've been talking about some of the same guys now for a couple of years, but they need those guys to step up because 
you cannot rely on Strasburg as part of your rotation anymore. And to be frank with you, I don't know if they did this season either. I mean, for a guy that was never talked about being put on the 60-day you know, DL, and, and granted, they have a long time and, and there's roster reasons why you don't make that decision, but it's like you're just waiting for him to go on it and the season starts and that's where he's going to be. And maybe, hopefully, he'll be around by maybe early June. We'll see what happens, but it is a 105 loss season, if not worse than that this year for the Nationals. With some of these flamethrowers or get hurt that bad can't speak some of the you could tell ladies and gentlemen this is gonna be one of those episodes where there'll be minimal editing it's just one of those kind of episodes with these flamethrowers and after they get hurt i always wonder in some of these cases and i recently thought it about Degrom when he was still with the mets by turning them into a closer like eckersley or like john smoltz for a period of time like Degrom pitches like a closer for six and a half innings or whatever it may be Chris Sale, I mean, Strasburg. There are other examples. Do you think Strasburg would work as a closer? I don't know. You know, it really comes down to psychologically, can they do it? It seems to be more than anything because you look at, man, how many starting pitchers wash out, but you know they're good for one or two innings, but they just can't handle the bullpen. It's just something about the mentality of it, and I don't know. If Strasburg can, but I would love to see him give it a shot, you know. It, it, Isringhausen, also another Jason guy. Jason Isringhausen, yeah, yeah, that's that's another one. And that's you know, a little bit more recent, but I would love to see them try to give that a shot. They don't seem to have somebody floating around double A AA or triple A that they're looking at as, okay, this could be our closer, you know, for the next couple of years. They do have, like I said, they have arms that they are hoping to start with, but that is you know, to try to get something out because that's $20 million or whatever it is he's making this year. Actually, it's more than that. I think it's about $35 million. So how do you, how do you get that back? You know, and this is where insurance. Well, that, and there, there it is (laughs) because, and this is what, you know, Phillies fans and Aaron Nola now are going through Ajita because now he's not signed. And if he has a big year, I think he's 32 by the end of it. And you go, okay, God, you know, he's due for an injury. He's due for something to happen here. You know, do you sign him for $200 million if that's what he's looking for? Because he kind of gave you a good deal last time around. You got a great value and bargain out of him. But at $20 million, which is the direction that this thing is going, it's like, oh, God, then what do you do if he gets hurt? Can he, can, you know, so if they can get anything out of Strasburg, I'm for it. You know, I would rather it be as a starter, even to last four or five innings. Like they could always just attach like, you know, Edwards to him. Like, okay, Strasburg's pitching. Just be ready to go for in case we need you to, (laughs) you know, because I don't, you know, they, the, 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 certainly the rotation can, can use them. When you look at that rotation, I mean, (laughs) yeah. what do you have to look forward to this year? Like what, if you have to look at the entire year, looking at prospects that may come up by mid season or late season. So taking the entire season in advance into account, what do you as a nationals fan have to look forward to? C.J. Abrams, number one, obviously, one of the guys that they got as part of the San, San Diego deal for uh, or, uh, Turner. Or and I'm sorry, uh, that was uh, – no, yeah, it was for uh, – I'm sorry, for Soto and Bell. You know, it's Scherzer and Turner. See, that's the thing. When you have 97 players that you got back in both of those deals, <laughs> I mix them yeah. up sometimes. But when it comes right down to it, the guys that they got in those deals – 
are their entire backbone of their future. You know, K-Bear Ruiz, who was looked at as, well, we have good catchers in our system. They, I mean, they gave up Ruiz. He, he's starting right now. He was fantastic last year, stepping in and being able to handle a staff that, you know, you had one vet that you had you could rely on. That was Patrick Corbin, and he had his worst season <laughs> that he's ever had. I mean, he had one of the worst seasons in Major League Baseball starting pitcher history. But Josiah Gray, who is now their number two starter, arguably their number one starter, came out of that deal. Mackenzie Gore, who is one of the only left-handers they have. That was one of the things they needed desperately. They had no left-handed arms in the system. They have no left-handed arms except for Corbin on the roster right now, I believe. Not even in the pen. Well, you know, Mackenzie Gore fills, you know, an important spot. Can he stay up? Can he stay healthy? So it's guys like that, like Abrams. Well, you know, James Wood is, you know, they got him in that deal. He's too far down. There, there's other guys who we won't be seeing this year, but those other guys, you know, <laughs> that's Dom Smith, you know, who you well, remember from last year who was optioned yeah. down. It's like, can they get some magic out of him? You know, Joey Manises, the 30-year-old the rookie who finally figured things out. You think he could do something this year? Hi, Candelario at third, you know, a reclamation project. So it's like... John Candelario? No. <laughs> <laughs> what a hell of a reclamation project. <laughs> Hi, was it? Uh, uh, oh, God, what's his first name? Heimer Candelario, I believe it is. But it's like, I mean, that's really all you have to look forward to is can these young guys develop as far as guys who come up you know, uh, probably right now, Robert Hassel late in the season, you know, another outfielder who incredible uh, drafted only a couple of years ago, left-handed bat. He's a, there's a chance that he comes up later in the season. There's a chance that Jeremy De La Rosa comes up, you know, at some point, but there's going to have to be injuries that, that probably take place in the outfield for something like that to happen. But, you know, those guys are ready to go. Cole Henry is is an arm at AAA that is probably going to have to come up at some point because when you look at again when you look at the situation the Nationals are in, you know there's you know there's things that are wide open. They do have a a, a reliever. Um, oh, what's his name? Why am I brainless? Thad Ward. I'm glad they Thad had a reliever. Ward. Yes, that's yeah, Thad Ward, <laughs> who's a a right-handed reliever who. He's he, I if I, I'd have to double check, I believe he made the team. He was one of the last arms that they were looking at. He, you know, the odds are when spring started, he, you know, they hoped he would look good, but he, they figured he'd start in the minors. But he's looked really good to the point where in some of the betting, although it's, you know, you can get incredible odds on him because there's so many great rookies out there that he's actually slipped in though to some of that voting and some of the uh, the money that you can put on futures for rookies. So that that's not a you know the worst sign in the world. Again, not much to look forward to, but at least there are some things there and talent there where if this team gets sold and you have an owner that's that's again willing to spend, well, you know there there's the core is there now from there. Again, the ownership situation is painful at this point because you just need something to get done because obviously they weren't spending money this year to do anything really. I mean, they, they did almost nothing in the offseason. So, you know, unlike the Orioles who didn't do anything, <laughs> which was a little more disturbing for a lot of people, you know, the Nationals, 
you know, their hands got thrown up. And how long can you continue to do that? You know, DC's a transient town. They're always going to have trouble drawing. But this could be the year they fall under two million people. And then again, that's not a that's not good in a city where, you know, trying to keep one's attention. It's very difficult. So what hurts more seeing Turner with the Phillies, Harper with the Phillies or Soto with the Padres? Well, here's the deal with Harper. When Harper left, we won. And that's one of those unfortunate things because everybody that saw Harper play, for the most part, liked Harper. You know, until he left, then if there were things about him you didn't like about his personality, then you could hate him. But the bottom line is, he left, we won. What can you say? Trey Turner is the one. Because... He's really fucking good. That's the thing. He's really good. They got lucky the second time getting him back. You know, they shipped him out to San Diego. Then they were able to get him back. And when he went out to L.A., it was like, oh, no, because he's an East Coast guy. And there was rumblings. Man, what could could he come back to the Mets? Could he be a Yankee? At some point, he's coming back to the East Coast. Well, he comes back to the East Coast, <laughs> to the Phillies, who, again, I, you know, last year, were they a World Series team? No, but they were close and they were gritty and they stayed in it. And now they're that much better this year with, you know, and again, they're going to miss Hoskins and we can get into all that sort of stuff. But I mean, Turner is great. He he is, he can from one to wherever you want to play him, you know, again, he's better at the top of the lineup, but if something happens, you need him to hit fifth or sixth. He can do that. You need him to get on base, hit ninth. He'll figure out a way to he there's nothing that he can't do. He's incredibly fast. He's I'm preaching to the choir here. Everybody knows what Trey Turner is. And I, I do wonder this year if he doesn't if he doesn't end up the NL MVP. Oh, see, that's you know, what I was from, gonna ask you. Because the amount of attention that's gonna be on him too is going to be insane. Do you think Turner is better now? than Soto's potential is in terms of value to the team. Yes. And and yes. And I think Soto's going to have, I think he's going to have an, uh, uh, an MVP caliber year out there. I think there's not, he's going to figure it out. You know, some of the, the, the slumps that he had and just not being able to hit when he went out there last year and look, things went the way that they went anyway with Tatis getting suspended and all that sort of stuff. I mean, things just went down the way they did. But it's hard for me to believe that he won't figure something out. The thing is, with Turner, you know what he can do already, and you know how much better he can make you. You know, Soto on pay. yes, we know what his skills are. We saw what he did in Washington. We think we know what he can do in that lineup, but we haven't seen it yet. So when you kind of look at it, yeah, I mean, whatever you want to say, it's like saying something about Scherzer or Verlander. In theory, are they worth $43 million a year? Eh, you know, that you, you could argue where that money could be spent on other people and stuff like that, but it's like you give it to them because they're winners. They've proven it. They make you better, and that's why they got that money. DeGrom in Texas, you know, we'll see how things go there, but yeah, I mean, when you're established, judge, you know, people can talk anything about he are, he proved it. He proved it. He earned it. You know what he means to the team. You know what he means to you. And that's the funny thing, too. You know, is for all of the stars in Philadelphia, I think Turner's going to mean more to that team if something happens than Soto does necessarily to San Diego. 
losing either one would be, I don't want to say it, it would be catastrophic, you know, it, 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 but I think it would be far worse in Philadelphia than it would be in San Diego. You brought up DeGrom before. I find it funny that he left New York and was like, I want to be a part of a winning system, a winning team. <laughs> he almost lost 100 games last year. <laughs> there's, there's, Remember there's when Mike almost... Hampton left New York because Colorado had a better school system? That was another one of my favorites. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah, like a better school system. Yeah. That was... <laughs> It was Degrom, and you see where Texas has got youth, and there's there's good things happening there. But it's like he did it for the money because they're going to lose at least you know eighty something games this year. They're probably going to finish dead last, or they you know certainly they're going to finish towards the bottom of the division. So yeah, <laughs> you know. But I mean, I with Degrom. We'll see. His his summer or his spring didn't start very strong. You know, he got better, obviously, as it went on. And sometimes what happens in the spring gets a little bit, especially when it comes to numbers, you know, gets a little bit out of whack and, and people put too much attention on it. I think in the case of Jack Flaherty with St. Louis, you should be far more worried about it. But, you know, with DeGrom going out there and getting shut down, it's like, that's where you have concern about spending that money <laughs> you know, for him. We'll see. You know, we'll see what happens. I'm surprised that he didn't that he didn't sign on with somebody with more potential to get it. And I don't know. Well, you know why? It's because no one wanted to give him that money. And that's if he and, wanted one season or two seasons would be one thing. He wanted a multi-year deal for all that money. Yeah. And it's irresponsible for most teams right now, based on his last few years, to give him that. Well, again, well, look at how many, again, Strasburg being one of the better examples of this, you know what I mean? And they have Corbin. That's another thing. As far as, you know, you look at money paid pitcher per year, Corbin is way up there right now. And they, the Nationals would love to get rid of that deal. You know, that's why there was talk of him being basically thrown in for essentially nothing. You know, if he it, look, if there was a chance to send him to the minors, they would. It's just he's not going to ride a bus and that's what's going to be that. But you have to worry about that with, again, you're spending how much is DeGrom making per year now? You know, average out over the next, what, six or seven years? Yeah, hold on. You know, I, yeah, I would have taken a lot less money. If I'm him and look at it, look at a situation like a, a Minnesota or I, that's a little bit of a, a worse example. But like, you know, Seattle, Toronto, again, if this is about the money, you don't want to deal with that exchange rate or well, anything like that. But there are teams that would have welcomed you with open arms and probably would have given you three year with a team for four and a lot of money right now. He's making thirty three point five million dollars in twenty twenty two. They said that he wanted to go to the Braves. Who knows how true that was, but that was one of those mm. stories that started going around. He's from Florida. I'm, sh I'm sure he did. <laughs> I'm sure he did. And the Braves said, we don't, we're not doing that. That's not the way we do it. They're the smartest team because they just get all these great young players and sign them up forever when they're like 22 years old. <laughs> and then they're just there forever winning forever. Uh, well, are you okay with finishing third? I don't think it's going to happen this year. I think the Mets are going to have a good year because I just don't think Steve Cohn is... I think if anyone good becomes available, Steve Cohn's going to get him. And I just, Atlanta's just scary to me, at least right now, because the baseball gods haven't frowned on them like they did with, you know, Diaz and the Mets and Hoskins and Philadelphia. You know, at some point it's going to happen. The and Phillies I guess look the, good. The, if Philly's pitching holds up with Trey Turner there, that could be a really good 
team. Because they can hit their ass off. Yeah. You know, it's just, you know, they've gotten more out of Wheeler than I think they could expect. And that's where they, it's going to be nope. interesting to see. I've, that's exactly what I expected out of Zach Wheeler after that last season he had with the Mets. I was so pissed off they didn't sign him. This is exactly what I expected for like the three years afterwards. <laughs> so, I don't know if Phillies fans expected that, you know, but it, it, again, with Walker and with Suarez and Suarez has got to be healthy and everything. But yeah, I mean, their bullpen, that's where the Mets, I mean, Mets versus Atlanta bullpen, Mets versus Phillies bullpen, Ugh. Mets versus San Diego's bullpen. It's tough. You know, I think. And obviously with Diaz going down, but, you know, it's an either, even bigger kick in the crotch, but everyone's got hitting everyone's, you know, Philadelphia's obviously got the worst fielding, but that's made a grand improvement just with Turner stepping on the field too. But it's like, when you, when you kind of look at everything, it's hard for me to not go right now, Atlanta, Philly Mets, all of them making the playoffs, but I, Oh man, the Mets. See again. Man, I, hate I don't the know. Playoff system. Don't even get me started on that. I hate yeah. the fact that every team now <laughs> makes the playoff, and then the Phillies win. The, you know, get to the World Series. Yeah, yeah. And it's you know, I don't is who's closing for you, Robertson, or is it going to be by committee? They're not officially announcing Robertson, but that's what everyone presumes. But they're specifically not announcing a new closer while Edwin Diaz is out, and there are even some reports they may be able to possibly, if everything goes perfect, get him back by the end of the year. Well, and look, it's just, you know, getting Quintana back and, you know, around the break, that's obviously going to help because that's, you know, a lot of this is too, is just what position are you going to be in at the break? So you can start plucking away, you know, at other teams for things that you need or really start looking. Cause I mean, that's the one thing with the Mets too. Yeah. Not everybody had a good, a good spring, but Batty had a good spring. You still got Danny Mendick who is, you know, coming and they back sent him down and, and they sent Batty down. Yeah, and Ben and uh, Mendix coming back from the knee, but you know you can rely on him if he's healthy, you know, to fill a void at least defensively if somebody goes down. You know, Vientos had a good spring. You know, it's like Syracuse is looking really good right now, and if Francisco Alvarez continues to develop, I'm Mauricio at short, and I don't know what position he'll play if he comes up, but it's like you know they. They have a lot of good things there where if things start to break down too early, I mean, that's where I think Atlanta and the Mets do have a little bit of an advantage over the Phillies just because their systems, especially guys who are ready to go right now in case something happens and not having to be desperate to make a trade or give somebody up. I think that's where they're in a much better position. Well, I'll tell you what, we've been dominated so far by two fans of East Coast teams. We're talking predominantly East Coast baseball, even though I'm a Met fan, I'm allowing the opposing view to get a lot of comments in here, and I'm playing along. But let's go to the West Coast. Let me add someone right now, if any of this works, because you never really know if it's going to work. And I promise everyone listening, hey, where's the baseball talk? It's coming. Don't worry. And I don't know why you sound like Rocky the Flying Squirrel. But we are adding this person right now. We are calling... He has a booming voice that we all love. I know I do. Saves me, that's for sure. Hello there. Hello. <laughs> How are you, Lou? <laughs> oh, I, I, I can't complain, though it's mighty wet out here. Uh, see, that sounds like a guy who's a little bit annoyed because he's waiting for a text from someone in the East Coast to go, hey, could you do a couple of these stories to kind of save me a little bit? <laughs> 
<laughs> well, welcome uh, to opening day Star Wars, Lou Kippelman. Oh, thank you. Good to be here. Glad we're we're back on the horse here. We're back on the horse. Uh, you know, I resent that comment. I'm a not really thinking of my show that way, but let's talk about <laughs> okay. this horse. Let's talk about this horse's ass of a show. Lou, we've been talking a lot about East Coast baseball. How do you feel this year going into the season as a Giants fan? Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> That's not a good way to start. <laughs> there, <that's>, yeah. <laughs> I mean, oh, great. We got Michael Conforto. All right. We almost got Carlos He's Correa. good. He, you know what? Conforto's good. I think you're going to like him, and I think he'll have a good season. I hope he will. I think he'll do good in that ballpark. Yeah, I hope so too. So, yeah, I'm <laughs> talking about the, the men's warehouse of sales right there. Like, yeah, you almost had Cray. You could have had this beautiful, you know, suit here. Yeah, it's got a little rip in the inside of it, but yeah, that's <laughs> fine. But here, no, you're going to like this $29 suit that you got over here, though. Wear that and be happy for this season. And they haven't said what anything is because the same thing, whatever showed up on the Giants X rays of Correa showed up on the Mets X rays. And then yep. the twins were just like, you know, fine, just come back, fine. But you don't know what it is, so it's like in my head, like one day is he going to be in the field going for a ball and his foot's just going to fall off? Like, what the hell is going to happen to this guy? <laughs> and everyone's like, we can't have anything to do with this. Oh, please, I hope it's at a time where both he and Byron Buxton are going after a ball so they can both ball, fall apart at the same time and just be done with it. Why do you hate Byron Buxton? Where I love Byron Buxton if he stays on the damn field. <laughs> Lou, I think you're going to like Conforto. Yeah. And, I, and J.D. Davis may have a good season. I thought J.D. Davis was a really good player, and maybe he just uh, needed a change of scenery. A scenery. A change of scenery. Yeah. Yes, perhaps. And now we have identical twins in the bullpen in uh, Taylor Rogers and Tyler Rogers. So that's a good gimmick. We got the Batten twins here. Twin magic. Uh, Tw oh lord yes. <laughs> the garcia twins let's not forget them oh lordy uh, i just need that music to hit and they come out of the bullpen and do the little twirl <laughs> they should both run out together and you have to guess which one it'll be they should make it a contest <laughs> in the building oh shit uh, oh don't oh, give them a reason to put in new rules for heaven's sake so we've, <laughs> we've got enough of that <laughs> Hey, uh, Lou, uh, we'll talk more about the Giants, but what do you think of the new rules? And we'll talk about this. Uh, Mike, you chime in also on this. Well, um, the bigger bases I find a little baffling. Um, uh, we'll see how it works having the shift outlawed. Uh, yeah. The, the pitch clock I am all in favor of. I support it. So... It'll it will be interesting to see you know a lot less uh, human rain delays happening. <laughs> I cried and, and bitched and moaned about the NL having the DH. You know, after all those years of watching the Orioles, I finally get a National League team. I get small ball. I got Davy Johnson, and then it goes away. But you know what? I understand why that happened. I'm actually okay with it happening. The pitch clock, I'm great with it. I really am. The problem, I, I hear. It don't sound like it. Here's here's my thing. <laughs> here's my thing. I I just the two. You only get two times to take your foot off the rubber 
there's the you only get two throws to a base. Mm. To me, it's like, what if somebody's on first and third? I know a lot of this is like the bigger bases. They said it was for safety. No, you want to see more stolen bases. Bingo. I mean, that's yeah. what, it, what it comes right down to. A lot of this is we want more scoring. We want it to be more exciting, but we can't have the games be longer. And they're not. I mean, and that's where they've been doing it for 10 years or whatever is the minors. They cut spring training time down by like a half hour or whatever. Okay, cool. But what happens? Like I have the same concern as everybody else. What if there's a situation that happened with like real Mudo where the umpire oh believes yeah. something about something you disengaged, you know, for the wrong reason. That was the quick pitches, all that stuff. When it happens, on the last play of a series, much less the World Series or in the playoffs, but just during the season, it will be interesting to see how they respond to that and how the fans respond to it. And if they're going to do anything, they seem to be open about changing things as it goes along, because apparently they did tighten down some things in spring about little things here and there about, you know, catchers, you know, if you end the inning on base, you know, okay, we're going to make sure that the umpires are going to give guys enough time, that sort of thing. Like, okay, but it's going to affect the game. And that's one of the problems I have with the shift is that you're fundamentally changing baseball, in my opinion, because you used to have to actually kind of be able to hit and you didn't need to have the most amazing hands in the world to choke up and to try to put the ball where you needed it to go. And I don't know if it sounds good on the surface, but I think we already, I, I know one team already did it. What we're going to now see is the outfield, which has no restrictions is now going to, you're going to pull the guy out of left field and now he's going to go and play in the spot that your second baseman or your shortstop on that shift would have. So I think we're going to see more of that because uh, to me, I, again, I mean, look, look at any number of players who, you know, they're trying to protect with this shift, you know, is it really going to help them? Is it really going to help a Gallo or uh, uh, this person or that person? If they just go ahead and instead of the shortstop or the second baseman doing it, it's just going to be the outfielder doing it. And I have a problem with just the shift in the first place because the whole point of the game was to hit them where they ain't. So I know out in the stands, technically there's no defense there, but there's other ways to make runs. And it's funny that they want to create runs, you know, through limiting the pitcher. Cause again, we're going to see a lot more steals, you know, teams that did do a great job stealing bases like Minnesota are probably going to benefit greatly in this. You know, from bigger bases. Yeah, of course. they are. From, from bigger bases, from guys who, again, he you got a guy on first and third, you know, OK, you're not going to throw. You've already thrown over twice. You know, somebody's taken off. So it's like, you know, it's amazing. They want to increase runs. They want to increase scoring. But again, you put in. I, I don't know. You, you're you, forcing they, it. You're forcing yeah, things to it. happen. That wouldn't necessarily happen otherwise. And that's, I think, one of my big issues. And like with the. Stolen bases thing. Ricky Henderson stole all those bases. If someone steals more with the bigger bases, is it the same kind of thing? And if they want to get more runs into the game, turn your back on steroids again because it worked really well the first time. Yeah. Let that happen. But if you want to speed up the game, seriously, 35 seconds in between innings. Wave all that advertising money. Come up with a model that you deal directly with the fans of baseball. 
You don't have to go through the TV and eat that money in 35 seconds. People will love that. I'd love that. Yeah, but that that'll take away from the uh, the the find the ball under the cap gimmick (laughs) and (laughs) the race around the stadium, the sausage races, the the presidential races. races. (laughs) (laughs) Who's the guy in Atlanta? He's like in a green suit, the Flash. Oh, the Flash or whatever. The Flash. Yeah, that's what I thought it was. (laughs) Oh, right. That guy, it's like a motion capture suit, right? He's <laughs> yeah, like completely right. covered. <laughs> yeah. You know yeah. what? Are you guys good with the, as far as, because obviously the old heads, you know, your, your Scherzer obviously has spoken out against it, but Pitchcom and that becoming a regular thing. And obviously they want to make it generational. You know, it seems like they want to, at least with kids coming up now, you know, not again, you're not literally you're you're pressing buttons now <laughs> to, to, to get the pitch. And obviously some people are for it. Some people are against it. I guess there have been times where <laughs> you could hear the pitcher in spring. Uh, <laughs> you could hear what was going on in the earpiece. So I uh, what that's been one that hasn't really been talked about, but obviously they've been fumbling with it and using it. And it's like, is another thing where again, it also goes with the clock. Cause if there's an issue with the, the pitch gimmick, then there's going to also be an issue with the clock. Then after that, I mean, is this, do you see this sticking around or do you see a lot of pitchers who are creatures of habit and, you know, unique anyway, just preferring to do it the old way. I mean, the other issue we saw last year with the Mets with Chris Bassett a few times, well, he also throws like five pitches, so it becomes a little more difficult. Yeah. But there are times you can't hear what's in your earpiece if the crowd is loud. So mm. the catcher couldn't hear what was... Yeah, I guess it would be the the catcher pushes the thing. The pitcher couldn't hear what the catcher was pressing. And then he would have to go, can you come here and talk to me? That happened several times. You know. They keep trying to introduce these things. It really all depends on if it takes off at the uh, the school level, the minor league level, everything below Major League Baseball. If everyone just gets accustomed to it, I think they will use it. I like. I remember a clip. I think maybe last year, or the year before, where Zach Greinke just got fed up with it, and he just like told his pitcher, and the batter's watching him, just held out one finger. He goes, "No fastball." One. And then he throws a fastball and he gets a strike. You know, if you're really good, you're really good. It doesn't matter, but I don't know. What do you think, Lou? Oh, well, I think any time you try to introduce technology into a live uh, sports contest, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's bound to go foobar. And so, uh, interesting in concept, so that you have really clear communication uh, between pitcher and catcher or, or whomever, but it's, I, <laughs> I don't know. I guess signs have worked for 100 plus years. <laughs> Forever. So. Yeah. Just seems yeah. like it's so much easier with the signs as opposed to fooling around with this gimmick of high, low inside, you know what? And I, I just, and I don't know, I know this was an issue in the minors and I assume at this point that they've changed it, 
But apparently, I guess at least initially, it was only set up for five or six pitches, and one of them was a knuckleball, to which caused the problem <laughs> because who throws a knuckleball? I don't yeah. think anyone does in the majors right now, do they? Yeah. I mean, they went out I with know. Charlie Huff. Went out with R.A. Dickey. R.A. Dickey. R.A. Dickey <laughs> won a Cy Young Award with the knuckleball. That's right. Everyone's like, oh, yep. the knuckleball's made a comeback, and no one's thrown it since. <laughs> yeah. I'm just waiting for a comeback from Tom Candiotti and uh, Tim Wakefield. <laughs> See, the problem, too, is now we don't have any good pitching heels. <laughs> like with Vaseline. You know, Mike Scott was incredible because once you see it and you watch him doing it to the ball, you're like, he's just fucking up that ball. And then you, in your head, start thinking, how do those little scratches on the ball cause the ball to just dive down like that? I like a good baseball heel like that. And we don't have it. I don't mind the gamesmanship. <laughs> but Maybe, again, it's because, yeah. Maybe I like I the naked gun too much. And like, I like them finding the foreign <laughs> objects on pitchers, but. I like heel pitchers. Yeah, and that's R.I.P. Gaylord Perry. He's one yeah. of the, one of the past masters of that. Yeah, he was because you know what? It was genius. He realized they all think I'm doing it, so I'm going to mess with them. Right? They'll, they'll never know when I'm doing it or when I'm not doing it. They're going to think I'm always doing it, but I'm not going to always do it. I think that was the greatest part. Yeah, was just the fact that yeah, the the <laughs> the amount of gamesmanship that went into the which was again, if you go back. Uh, you know, up until into the seventies and into the like, there are so many stories of that. <laughs> it was part of trying to get over on the rules and who would be able to get over on the rules. Yeah, yeah, I still remember uh, Joe Necro uh, getting caught. Oh, that's the best. That because that's on out, camera the, perfectly. The emery yeah. board goes flying. <laughs> oh, where'd that come from? <laughs> It's amazing. There's more stars than ever. And, you know, there's more personalities and you know, they always talk about personalities, but in some ways, like, I wish there were more unique personalities in baseball and all of sports. I do miss some of the more, you know, outrageous personalities. We have so many great players, especially young ones right now, but there are few, again, there are a few standout super personalities. Gayward Perry, remember? When the uh, George Brett incident happened where he flipped out when he hit the home run and Billy Martin was waiting for the moment to get him for the pine tar, the pine, pine tar, tar incident. Mm -hmm. It was Gaylord Perry who, when everyone was fighting on the field, took the bat and tried to run away with it to hide it. And you just ah. see like a trail of like players and police officers running into the dugout, chasing after Gaylord. That Perry was with the so bat. awesome. I forgot about that. That's awesome. <laughs> oh my God. What were you going to say, Ludo? I cut you off. I'm Freaking middle-aged Gaylord Perry absconding <laughs> with that pine tar bat. Oh my God. I, I was going to say, speaking of personalities, I wonder if either of you uh, watched the, uh, the world baseball classic. Because, I mean, it seemed like there was a lot of ebullience and a lot of personality going on. And it seemed like a good um, change of pace when you compare it to, like, MLB. I well, didn't watch it, and I, looking back now, maybe I should have. I don't know. I hate, typically I don't watch spring training baseball. I like to wait for the season. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, it's my rich. I like to get ready for the season, and then opening day, I get excited. So I didn't watch it for that. I've never felt a nationalistic pull towards my love of baseball. So maybe that's one of the things that 
makes it different for me or for a lot of Americans versus people around the world. But in terms of what I watched, I literally had it on in the on the last night and I tuned in just in time to see the last of that. Oh so yeah. <laughs> I got to see exactly what I needed to see, but I saw people losing their minds everywhere and whatever, 60 million people in Japan watched the Japan Korea game. But what do you think, Mike? Oh, the Japan Mexico game too. I mean, that's where I at first I was not intending to have any interest in it. I just wasn't going to keep up with it. You know, and then as it went on, everybody seemed to be having the greatest time in the world. And every highlight you saw was good. And if you listen to MLB Network or serious MLB Network, it was like, that's all they were talking, how great it is, how fun it is. And then, you know, so I started kind of like checking them out. And then, you know, the semifinals and the final were so great. And I want, I don't want to say I want to hate it. I don't, I'm not big on exhibition baseball in when it comes to the Olympics, when it comes to these right, type of yeah. events, I, they just, it doesn't really do it for me, mm-hmm. but, and to be frank, if one of my guys would get hurt out there, I would probably feel a little bit different, but they oh, didn't. And that's yeah. the thing. And it should it be this, after the season, but, and guys look, th- th- what seems to be the thing is guy players pitchers did cause the whole issue came up about pitching and they want to get more American pitchers. And that was Rob Manfred. We'd want to get those guys more involved. And it seems to be, I would think that the pitchers would not want that or would want it after the season. They all seem to want it during the season. Which, if that's the case, then it is just like the Olympics to the point where it's like, well, why don't we, why don't we just do this for the Olympics then? You know, because I, I don't know if after the season is the wave either, to be frank. And I, to me, in my brain, at least I could justify it in spring because these guys are going out and needing to get work anyway. The only thing I would worry about is, okay, for a guy who needs to be worked up slowly – you know, don't get too excited out there. <laughs> you know, I, I, I just, to me, it works better in the spring. I think after the World Series is over, I think it's probably better for the, you know, better for the players. I don't know if it's going to be better. I don't know if you're going to get what you want out of it in the States and in North America, because then you're affecting fall baseball. I, I, I don't, I don't know. But that's know. the question. I, I, but you see, you just hit on the big thing. Have we seen any evidence that this actually helps domestic baseball? Like 60 million people watch it in Japan. Mm. Do any of them become transactional Major League Baseball customers in any way? Mm, but they make transactions at Fanatics, and that might be all they care about. And you may have a really good point there. Mm. Right. Yeah, I mean, it, it, oh, I'm sorry, mm. Lou. Oh, no worries. It's just I think MLB owns the rights to the WBC and runs it. So I don't know if... Uh, how much of it is just a pure play for uh, an international audience to try to get eyes on uh, MLB players or what? Well, plus also just being able to, like if anyone in your family was ever from a country, you're allowed to be on that team. Like technically oh. I could have been on like team Russia, team uh-huh. Austria, Hungary, Team Israel, Team that's, United States, Team I Columbia. I'm restraining myself from getting a Jock Peterson Team Israel journey <laughs> jersey. So, I still remember a couple of WBCs ago, they had the mensch on the bench. That they, was, they had it in the WBC? 
Yeah. Yeah. It was the, yeah. Instead of the elf on the shelf, they, they yeah, had, no, a, I, know. Uh, I have what we have the whole family here. There's a mention. Then there's like a, I forget what it like a bubby on the rubby. I don't, know, I don't remember what it is. But there's like another one. Uh, and we have like the whole family of these uh, elf on the shelf competitors. And all I get is a is an espresso maker in my dugout. That's it. <laughs> Not even a real. It was a Nespresso. I think that that should be uh, you know that should have been. Uh, fleshed out better in the media. There's a big difference between an espresso machine and just that quick uh, Nespresso Nescafe maker that you, you got there. Yeah. But that, yeah. that upscale K cup. <laughs> you know, if if insurance is willing, if 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 that's these the perfect teams... sponsor, the K cup. <laughs> every yeah. time you get a strikeout, this strikeout's been brought to you by the K cup. Drink one yes. of these every time it's a strikeout. You'll run right through the fucking wall by the end of the game. Yeah. Oh God! And instead of the uh, the the whistle from uh, uh, not Models, but uh, oh PC Richards, you could actually have the little <laughs> of the, uh, the 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 espresso getting crushed and starting up. That see, that's a fine idea. You could have the sound of you running to the bathroom after having too many of those. Ah! <laughs> oh, look, and, and too, you know, insurance. One thing I do want to say is. If if insurance companies and teams are willing to go through that risk because they think they're going to get something back, because that's where how many major players, how many will it take before you just go, OK, we can't do this shit, you know, because, again, the Diaz thing was a freak thing. Yeah. But like there's a there you, I, it can the case can be made for in like, an Al, uh, you know, Altuve or whoever, where. Would you be crowding the plate at that point in camp? Would you be doing this? Would you be doing that? Would you take a risk to challenge somebody? So it's like, it comes down to me to the injuries too, where again, what the Mets, the Mets <laughs> lost their all-star closer. Who's arguably the best closer in baseball. Imagine the year one team loses two star players. Yeah. Yeah. And if it's at the end, again, you had a very good point about timing and that's why none of this is perfect. If it's at the end of the or after the World Series, you have more you have a not more time, but you have, well, I guess technically more time to heal up from any injuries before spring training or the first months of the season. If it happens during spring training, you're out for the season like Diaz. Yeah, but if you blow a knee or something like that, at least, hey, you know, this can be cleaned up and hopefully you'll be back, you know, in June, July, August, even, you know, something like that. At least you'll have some better idea if it happens, but we'll see. They should get AEW's doctor and clear him. Like, <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Doc Samson. Look, yeah. look, this this game technically doesn't mean anything. It's only the WBC. But... <laughs> That's right. Right. There's no count here. Yeah. Exactly. It's yeah. This that the injury is bad, but it's not like you know landing on your head, falling off a scissor lift, <laughs> like like Matt Hardy. We let him go. Well, we haven't talked any wrestling. Uh, big wrestling news breaking today. I have something in front of me right now. Tim White will be this year's inductee of the. Or, well, it says inductee twenty twenty three, but you can't be the inductee of the Warrior Award. The Recipient, posthumously, of the Warrior Award. No disrespect to Tim White, obviously someone who should be honored by the company. Did they change what the Warrior Award was? Because wasn't it going to, like, uh, inspirational yeah. 
people all throughout the world that who well, somehow interact with WWE? I mean, they changed it from year one after Warrior died. And because the this way is kind Warrior, of in the spirit of what the Warrior asked for originally. Right. And then it was like, uh, I forget who. So it was like it, it was becoming like a your run of the mill WWE PR uh, stunt. Yeah. Yep. It's like, God bless Connor, but, you know, he didn't work for WWE. He wasn't a rigger or a gaffer or a guy behind the scenes. I mean, that was Warrior's intention. So. And to, My and favorite to not winner be a dick is, to Connor, but it's like, how many, again, look how many people who you don't know that have been through some real things that have passed away or gotten sick while they've worked there. You're yeah. doing something for Connor. Do you have Connor's cure? You know, that's where, and that's where the warrior was, right? It should be to somebody that doesn't get recognized that, you know, we should know who he is. And that's why too, Tim White, frankly, getting that award as opposed to being in their regular hall of fame. I don't want to say he's kind of a, again, there's nothing, I'm not complaining or there's nothing wrong with this award, but it's like Tim White should actually be in their regular hall of fame. You know, the yeah. seamstress, there's a lot of other people yeah. who probably could earn this. Oh, right. I don't know, but it's like, you right. know, so who could earn this award? Yeah. That's he, a great he gimmick. should get like the, yeah. the Audrey, the giant purple heart. Is yeah. what Tim White should get posthumously. <laughs> well, winners of this award include Connor and, of course, Joan London. So Tim White fits perfectly into that group. Over, uh, Joan London, I forgot about that. <laughs> and I love Joan London. And her speed, look, she was great. She's one of the few people who didn't get booed when she walked out there. But it was like, again, what are we doing? What are you doing? This is It's so blatant with the Coleman stuff and all that. It's like, ah, yeah, oh well. I love Joan London and David Hartman. But... <laughs> I, I don't need them in the Hall of Fame <laughs> for wrestling. Will Bruce Pritchard go into their Hall of Fame one day as a Hall of Fame member or as a Warrior Award recipient based on this precedent? A Warrior mm. Award participant. It's it's too bad in wrestling, and I, I and I know Brian's going to come on, and there's the International Pro Wrestling Hall of Fame in 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 that they're redoing in New York. And Albany. they've been doing in, in Albany, yeah, almost as Schenectady, but Albany. It's like, I wish this could be on a grand. It should not be this difficult to recognize people on a large scale and to actually have categories for everyone. I don't, I don't, I just, it boggles my mind that there's not a a better actual, more realistic view of people that should be in a hall of fame and people from the wrestling business that should be recognized for their work that they did in it. Should well, be at least. Well, you know, yeah. look, they can only take so many minutes away from Stacy Keebler and, uh, and whoever else is going in this year. Andy Kaufman. Andy Kaufman. Uh, who's? Oh, yes. Have they said who is it going to be Lynn or is it going to be Bob Zamuda? Have they announced that? <laughs> I hope it's Bob. <laughs> I hope it's Andy. Yeah. Well, they. Yeah. <laughs> That'd be the greatest thing ever. I mean, yeah, there got to there have to be odds on Tony Clifton, but I don't know. And how much time does he get? You know, I like it when they, they oh, yeah. show the little quick thing and it's a pig, it's him standing there talking to Vince at the garden. Not yeah. any of the, the other stuff. It's that. So it's like, if this is for an hour and you got Ray and God knows if they're, they're planning on pulling an angle between Ray and Dominic that night, but it's like, you get Stacy Keebler, 
You have who am I forgetting? Um, Ray Mysterio, Stacy Keebler. Um, there are other. There are two other people: Tim White and then two other people. So it's like whoever, like how much? Really, only three people can really. You have commercials and everything else, and it's only going to be an hour. Like, how much are they even going to talk about Kaufman? They may actually really disturbingly cut that way more than it should, especially if for any reason Jerry Lawler's not able to actually send something in to to say something about him. It's amazing yeah. that they'll induct him, and it yeah. won't be as big of a deal in L.A. as it should. Well, they got what yeah, they wanted. The, the, they got all the articles. That's what they wanted. Right. Yeah. And, and the other inductee is the great Muda. That's, That's right. right. Muda. That's right, dude. So... <laughs> Sonny Ono got a payday. <laughs> yeah, so is that yes. gonna be is that gonna get on TV? Because this is airing right. Well, I guess it's not on TV. It's just right after SmackDown on Peacock, right? Yeah, it's yeah, it's right yeah. after SmackDown, and that's again the tack that they took. When they didn't announce anything, they seemed to you know everything was real late in the game. It's like shows you what they kind of thought of it this year too, and what they think of it being on after SmackDown, especially if they're again too, especially if they do something with Ray and Dominic, which I could absolutely see him doing. You think they're going to do something with Muda and Asuka? On Saturday or Sunday, mm. you bet. It, it would be to me. It's like, why would you not do that? <laughs> you know, at least for some sort of gimmick backstage, even if it's just for social media, obviously you got to put those two together. What's the over-under on Andy Kaufman being called a sports entertainment pioneer? Over. <laughs> <laughs> it, it really becomes a, uh, a money line of how many times. That, that's what it's really going to be. You, you give it three and a half? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, guys. We're going to add one more person uh, in a few minutes, but let's get any other baseball talk out of the way here. Any other things you're looking forward to this season. What do you think of the judge contract, the Correa contract and the overall trend of giant contracts in baseball, multiple year contracts. Oh boy, judge. Ugh, don't get, don't get me started on that again. Oh, the giants. Did you think any <laughs> of it was going to happen? I mean, I mean, Correa was going to happen. I, they booked I, the press I, did you think judge was going to happen? I wasn't very optimistic, but you tend to think, okay, well, Judge, he grew up in Lodi, California, in the Central Valley, and like he rooted for the Giants as a kid. So, but uh, you know, the Giants, even though they they do on average have a big payroll, ain't gonna touch the Yankees. So, yeah, I mean, it's interesting to see how the uh how these contracts are are gonna pay off these big multi-year deals uh there got to be creative ways to kind of ameliorate them uh going down the line but there's yeah, gonna, see what the, there's see gonna what be, the Mets do <laughs> yeah well there's gonna be a glut of guys like in eight to ten years who are gonna be in contract still, and the teams are going to be trying to get rid of them who are going to be making ridiculous money. It's going to happen to a whole bunch of guys. Well, so how can this be sustainable? And yeah. I'm all for everybody getting every dollar. Somebody's going to give you $15 million, you know, $50 million a year to play, then absolutely you take that. But how is this sustainable for the long term? You know, we've already seen where we've seen a benefit for fans, for sure. Not a benefit for teams, obviously, because they're losing that extra year. 
but there is no real need now, and everybody's philosophy is different, but we're seeing younger guys. Look how many guys under the age of 23, you know, have come up and made impacts and have been, you know, again, Gunnar Henderson this year for the Orioles, if he's not the rookie of the year, I, I don't, I don't, you know, <laughs> you look at Anthony Volpe, look at Tatis, look at Soto, look at guys who <laughs> were seeing younger guys get their chances early, which is a benefit of this. But again, part of that is because teams know there's no point in trying to hide a guy and wait that you're not going to be able to keep. That's already got an agent that's looking to get him out of town. You may as well try to showcase him O'Neill Cruz and then try to get what you can for him down the line, because you know, you're going to have to pay him massive money that you can't, that you can't pay him. And look, I, that was the funny, like, look how bad, like, drawing it to wrestling, look how bad baseball's mid-card is. Like, the stars on top, you have, like, eight teams in the race. I mean, there, there's only one race. It's all about the promoters. Race. The promoters yeah, have I to mean, want to spend the money. Pittsburgh, I feel bad. You bring up the Pirates. Yeah. I feel awful for the fans of Pittsburgh. Yeah, and because, you know what? With Baltimore, it's arguable whether they have the money, and, of course, they have the money. In some cities, they literally don't have the money to actually be able to compete at that level, at salary tax level, and now they're going to lose Bally's money or you're going to have an issue where TV money that you thought was going to be coming in. I'm not crying for the owners, but when you have a system that's set up this way, it's like, you know, it's like you have, you know, at best, at best, 12 of the 30 teams, at best, who can actually be contenders. And this year, it's even less. Only the American League East, you can say, there's a question from one to four. Where if Yankees get eaten up by injury, something happens, the Orioles play well, you know what Toronto's going to do, and Tampa's there. Like, that's it. There's no other division like that. It's either a one- or a two-team race, or in the NL East, it's three. Or, I guess, too, there's a lot of people who, I guess, the contrarian pick is the Chicago White Sox this year, or that's the big brain pick. You know, but I don't, I don't see it. I don't get it. But, you know, again, it's a two-team race there, and that's what it is at best for most of the league. Hey, Lou, what are they saying out there about the Oakland A's? Oh, I, I think they have – the organization has done more to friggin' nuke its fan base than – and that includes <laughs> – oh, I can't speak. Sorry. Uh, hey, that's my gimmick. I was going to yeah. say, I do that every day during Observer Live. <laughs> <laughs> but they, yeah, they have done more to disenfranchise, so to speak, uh, their own loyal fan base because they're, they're making a play for Vegas. And I, I think the fans are just you could tell they're, you know, they're getting depressed. They're not showing up. They hiked the ticket uh, prices last season a great deal. And that was certainly reflected in the attendance figures. So it's, it's like dead team walking, you know, I'm not sure. The thing is, I'm not sure how well, they would fare in Las Vegas after like the first couple of years because uh, the, I don't know, the front office, they've always been hot on the, on the trigger as far as 
<sighs> trading their good players, but it's uh, it's just a an awful mess at this point. I I really don't know if they'll get they'll get any approval for this um, stadium that they would want to build at Jack London Square. Uh, at this point, I just think it's a total pipe dream because it will cost too much money for a team that used to have a loyal fan base and is far eclipsed now, I think, by the Giants fan base. And it's in a spot where uh, there's no very little public transportation can get there. So you're not going to, as with the Coliseum, um, unlike the Coliseum, you, you cannot get there via BART, the Bay Area Rapid Transit, or any other kind of transit from the Bay Area. So I, it just all seems like a, at this point, very kabuki-ish. That's so wacky. It was like the the Coyotes having the, where was in Glendale as opposed to in Phoenix. And it's like, yeah. Nobody's going out there. I, I, I'm surprised. I didn't know that. I'm surprised to hear that, and I'm surprised to hear that they. Because in my brain, you know, you always hear about Oakland, and there's so much, you know, everybody always making fun of 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 what their stadium and their attendance is at. Now, I've always, you know, I've put them in Vegas quicker than San Francisco. I'm surprised they're making a play that way, and it seems to be really ballsy from again in the position they're in where. If you don't have people, again, obviously you're hardcore baseball fans, but there aren't a lot of people just going, all right, leave. <laughs> Go ahead. Yeah, I I think there's a, a great number of people saying that. <laughs> I mean, and the, the Oakland has a new mayor now. Uh, new mayor sworn in end of last year. The previous mayor, uh, Libby Schaff, uh, was very gung-ho about because, uh, you know, the Warriors left Oakland, the Raiders left Oakland, and, who you know, who they have left, uh, the A's and the Oakland Roots, uh, which is like a minor league soccer team. And I think I think they may have a uh, arena football league team, too. <laughs> so, uh, you know, it's all sort of a status symbol thing about, you know, you know, well, there is a level of identity that gets stripped away when, you know, you, 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 you had four major sports teams. Oh, I mean, when were the seals there? I guess I'm going back. It yeah. wasn't even there. Was it? But it's like, you know, oh, it was, they were, the seals were yeah. a big deal. Uh, they were to the, yeah, they moved to Cleveland in 76, I think. So, the Barons yeah. or whatever it was, but yeah, I mean, the it's Cleveland like, yeah, Barons, yeah. You know, to lose all of your identity again, especially when it's like, what I, I can't from the outside. What else does? It's not like industry is going into Oakland. There's not like there's something filling the void where it's like, well, at least we got sports, even if they're bad. No, we're gonna take that too. Right, right, but yeah. Then again, uh, you, you, I think the citizens of Oakland would want. Uh, an administration focused more on the needs, uh, their, you know, their own needs and maybe, you know, investing in infrastructure instead of a, I'm going to say it, a white elephant 
at Jack London Square. So, well, it's more than fair to say. That's more than fair to say, especially again, it, it, you, if you can pay a play, look at what, again, and not everybody's Steve Cohen, but we're talking about what a billion damn dollars, whatever it was, and like guaranteed money that was laid out. It's like, and I'm supposed to build your stadium for you, or we're supposed to help you with that. You know, what, where is the benefit? Because the people have now see through, well, it's going to create jobs. It's good. No, it doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> no, it doesn't. It creates very few for the people that are actually in town there working, you know, and that's been oh, yeah. proven in many places. Yeah. And if anybody should be familiar with that, it would be the people of Oakland getting boned upon uh, the return of the Raiders. That was a tremendous fiasco for decades with the, you know, the personal seat licenses and whatnot. Oh, yeah. I remember when they did those here, it was such a big deal. Yeah. Well, gentlemen, before we add someone here to the call and talk a little more wrestling, Mike Sempervivi, who do you think is going to win the World Series? Mm. Can it be the Baltimore Orioles? I don't uh, think, not, yeah. not on this uh, planet or in this dimension, <laughs> but in the Bizarro, possibly. It's really hard right now for me to go away from Atlanta and Houston, which is so boring, but it's like... Well, somebody knock them off. And I, I'm, oh, I hate to do this. It's because it sucks either way. It's either you give another one to Houston or it's Atlanta. And to be honest with you right now, I'm saying Atlanta. Lou Kippelman, who do you think is mm. going to win the World Series? Uh, not my favorite team, alas. I... <laughs> <laughs> Not as long as the, the Dodgers are have a hot hand and the Padres are itching to, you know, get back in the postseason again and the Rockies, well, the Rockies. Anyway, <laughs> uh, I, I'm going to say from the, from the AL, I don't know why I have a fondness for Terry Francona, but I just do. And I got to think the Guardians have to break through one of these seasons. The season Just, with the new rules will be the season. Yeah, you know, I think you're yeah. on to something. Um, as far as the NL, yeah, I know the the NL East is oh, pretty powerful. I It was fun to see the Phillies make it. I don't think they're coming back again this year. But... Um, yeah, it could be, well, you know, maybe I put in a word for the hated Dodgers. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, in the end, let me, I'd call it Cleveland against, let's, uh, yeah, let's do a, uh, a replay from 97. Cleveland, Atlanta, and this time Cleveland wins in seven. Man, see, and I want to go back to, what was it, 87? I want Minnesota-St. Louis now that you said that. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, that's, boy, I, I, it sucks that I saw Tristan McKenzie is going to be out now. They they apparently shut him down, and it was like, oh, oh no, God. I didn't see that. Because it's like, yeah, him, he's out. And it's like, that was the one thing that they had because they had all those dudes that were pushing 200 innings last year with Bieber and Quantrill and everything, and now they're going to lose him to start. And it's like, I 
is they have the best clothes. I mean, arguably now that Diaz is gone, they have the best closer in baseball. They've locked up pretty much all of their young guys. It's like, and they got, they got Josh Bell, which I think is going to help them immensely, but it's like, I cannot, I'm still picking Minnesota and I still can't believe that Minnesota. I mean, it happened that they blew it that bad and they gave up 15 games to, to Cleveland, but it's like, can't, they can't do that again this year. Can they? I mean, on paper, I, I swear Minnesota's a better team, but it's like, you know, <laughs> we'll see what happens. I just, I, and I know, and like I said, everybody picking Chicago too. I, I don't know. I, I just, it's, I can't believe that Minnesota's going to be that bad and falter like that again when they're actually stronger. But then again, when only, one of the only moves you made was Joey Gallo. Eh. Yeah. Guy, how do you think the White Sox will do? with a new manager now that, you know, yeah, Russo yes. had to retire with heart condition. Well, if that's part of what seems to be all the hype with Chicago is, well, LaRusso's out of there now. It's like, well, oh. yeah, but you still got to win. <laughs> it's like the opposite of when the media guides or the yearbooks used to have like, you know, Billy's back. Like the manager was like featured. It's the opposite. It's like, Tony's gone. <laughs> <laughs> It's like, yeah, it's like, I, I know, you know, he was not the right man for the job, but it's like, he also wasn't, you know, giving up home runs and watching the ball go through his legs either. I just, I don't know where it just seemed to be like all of a sudden in the last couple of weeks, it's like, this has been, and I guess you have to pick somebody and you, it's not going to be Milwaukee and nobody's, you know, got enough guts to say Baltimore, but it's like what the White Sox seem to be that team. The only thing I've heard even different than, than that was, uh, Corbin Carroll leading Arizona and Arizona is going to have enough bats where they could, they could touch the Dodgers. And it's like, I know the Dodgers are a little down, but like, again, I, let me see them finish anywhere, but second or first before, you know, I'll actually, you know, predicted for the next year. Yeah. The, the D backs now have, uh, Evan Longoria, which, which, Based on his track record with the Giants means uh, he'll play about 50 games <laughs> before the wheels come off. So, and as far as the twins, I don't know, maybe keeping Carlos Correa, maybe that's the monkey's paw that might keep them out of contention. Well, it's, you know, whatever bothered them in, you know, it didn't bother them years ago. It doesn't bother them now. And again, <laughs> It, it bothers I me, and I don't even know is. what it is. Well, I say, like, is it you know, was it a a stress factor somewhere? Like, what micro thing? What is being seen that obviously for the money there was no way it could be done? But Minnesota, for the money, who already knows him, is going. Eh, all right, cool. <laughs> I think it has to be that his foot was just going to fall off mid play. Because it's like they didn't, and that was the, the one crazy thing too was they didn't do anything else like they I mean Michael Taylor I think is huge but then again I really liked him in Washington for what he can bring you as far as the glove goes but it's like they really didn't do anything else as far as like changing up that team or anything like that they you know if they didn't get Correa I wonder if there was somebody out there that they would have ended up trying to do something with because they didn't they were not aggressive that's for sure you hired the wrong one foot player (laughs) (laughs) I'll tell you what, guys, 
Uh, of course, the answer about who won the World Series, the correct answer, the New York Mets. But let's add someone before we end this session and let's talk a little wrestling. This person uh, Carlos Correa, the modern day warrior. <laughs> the modern day warrior, Carlos Correa. I like that. Uh, we are adding this person now. We are calling him now, actually, technically. Can he be the Lars Newbar of the show? I don't know about that. Well, <laughs> Brian Solomon. Yes, that's me. Welcome to opening day Star Wars here on the 605 Super Podcast, joined by our wrestling news colleagues, Mike Sepervivian and Lou Kippelman. All right. Glad to be here. I'm going to start you with the big question. We've all been talking baseball. I'm not going to hit you with any of that. The big question, <laughs> the biggest issue happening in wrestling right now, okay. CM Punk never having seen a Rocky movie. Uh, what is your take on this? And also, wanting to do a Rocky Three angle there, I just asked this on the Cornette show we recorded earlier. The Ace Steel promo, where he was yelling at Moxley and he slapped, or yelling at Punk and he slapped him and everything, was he Mickey? Was he going to die in the angle right. to set up the Moxley match? But what are your thoughts on the whole Rocky uh, issue here, Brian? I, I, I really, I don't want to dislike CM Punk in this scenario, but I just cannot, I can't respect anybody who has never seen a Rocky movie of a certain age. And, you know, if it, it, look, if, you, if you're 20 years old and you tell me you've never seen a Rocky movie, okay, I can understand that. But 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 a man of Punk's age, and and somebody in the combat sports world, you know, who's never seen a Rocky movie. It's just, I, I don't even understand those words in a sentence. You almost have to do it for the reaction because there are definitely moments in your life where someone will reference something from one of those movies. So you do it so that when the person says, you know, like from Rocky Five, no, I've never seen a Rocky movie. What? Like that's the only reason you would do that. Because it's by right. choice. I could I could understand not seeing Rocky Five actually of all the Rocky <laughs> movies, but Rocky Three. I mean, and and the weird thing is the whole Rocky Three angle. I I remember now. I don't know about anybody dying in the angle, but the whole idea of where you know the champion gets soft and weak, and then you have this new challenger who's hungry. Blah blah blah. That that was also the way that. And then Rocky Mickey died. <laughs> yeah. Well, but that's Look, how yeah, the, Clubber Lang pushed him, right? And Mickey had a heart attack. That's right. It was yeah. Clubber Lang's fault. Mr. T killed him. They never really just flat out said that Clubber Lang murdered Mick, but he pretty much did. He, pre he pretty much did. It's a big moment for TV history. B.A. Brackus kills the penguin. <laughs> but... but. <laughs> <laughs> but, I, but I was going to say that um, Brock Lesnar and The Rock back in 2002, uh, when they feuded, uh, that was how that angle was internally pitched. It was pitched as a Rocky Three angle where The Rock was going soft. He was going Hollywood. Brock Lesnar was the clubber Lang. I don't think anybody was supposed to get murdered, but that's how it was actually pitched. And in that time period, I can remember – that being one of the best built up feuds as far as, cause they concentrated on the training videos. I remember that was the one thing that it stood out. They were treating this much differently. They were treating it. And I could see why now, if that's, you know, again, that's kind of the direction they were going with it. That was, yeah. Uh, again, one of the more memorable things that they've done in the last, you know, to me in the last 30 years with the, with the title. Yeah. 
Yeah, and I remember actually they they came to me when we were covering it in WWE magazine, and this is how I found out about it because we had this meeting where Shane actually said, "Hey, it's going to be like a Rocky Three thing, and I want you to do this right up." And you know, Brock Lesnar is like Clubber Lang, and me, Mister Literal. When I wrote the article, <laughs> I, I, I literally actually mentioned Rocky Three in the article and Clubber Lang and Rocky Balboa. Like I, and later on, he comes over to me. He's like, I didn't want you to actually mention Rocky Three. I kind of just wanted it to allude. I don't think he knows what allude means, but whatever word he used, I wanted <laughs> to refer to Rocky Three. And I just straight up started, you know, pontificating about Rocky Three. You see, I, I want to go back a step to this whole thing with the Punk Moxley thing. In my head now, I want to envision that every idea John Moxley has is from a Sylvester Stallone movie. <laughs> like, every idea is like, oh, I have an idea, Rambo, First Blood Part 2, and here's what we do. You know, <laughs> And every yeah. idea is going to be that now going forward. Yeah. Well, now I, got, I hope he I saw Staying Alive. Line. Yeah, I have a new tagline. You're the disease, I'm the cure. <laughs> <laughs> I got two words for you. Eye of the Tiger. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm just waiting for stop or my mom will shoot. <laughs> All right, here's what I'm thinking we'll do, punk. Marissa Tomei's my daughter, and I got her in my house. And it's the 1920s, and I know the lyrics of Minnie the Moocher. <laughs> yes. Now coming to the ring, Mosker. <laughs> you see? Thank you very much. Only here in this universe does anyone get a reference to the movie Oscar. Thank you very much. <laughs> Oscar. Wow. <laughs> Favorite Rocky movie, Brian Solomon. It's got to be the first one. I mean, that's, that is Rocky. I mean, like, they could have just stopped it there and it would have been fine. I mean, I love all of them, but I mean, that's the movie. Well, let's not go too far with that. I mean, yeah, yeah, it, it was the best one. It's There's no question. That was the cinematic masterpiece. But should they have stopped there? No, because then we would not have gotten Rocky three, but more importantly, Rocky four and all the gifts what? that Rocky four gave us, not from a from a film point of view, but the soundtrack, the montage, mm -hmm. James Brown. Apparently now the Creed films. I haven't seen any of them, but, you know, that we got them from there, I guess. So. Uh, do they have a little Drago yet? Did Drago had a kid that's not yes. going to be fighting? Yes, I think so. Oh, yeah, that was in Creed too. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> of course, I of course. <laughs> they haven't done Clubber Lang's kid yet. That's the only one who hasn't had a kid yet. This is Clubber Lang's son, Blubber Lang, and here he is. <laughs> <laughs> Cowboy oh, Lang. What a great heel. <laughs> what a, there you go. <laughs> what a great heel. Hey, woman. Hey, woman. Yelling at Rocky's wife. <laughs> hey, she never said no. She just looked down. She was a little, yeah. And Rocky was the one who said, you got it. What you I mean? like Rocky too. I, I actually think Rocky too is like maybe the best one. And that's the one you get the famous scene of him running with all the kids. Yes. All the all the children that just left their homes in the street of Philadelphia to run yeah. with this sweaty man to City Hall. Rocky Two is terrific. It, I I love it. The only problem with it is it's it's so predictable because they're not going to make a second movie and have him lose again. You know. See Rocky Four, I have a very conflicted relationship with because on one hand, hey, they got a robot, and Rocky seems to really be having a lot of things going on that are right. Paulie's there. Everyone's having a good time. The death of Apollo thing 
I get why it's an important part of the story. But boy, they kicked the shit out of him in that fucking movie. And you're watching Carl Weathers and it feels like he's really dead. And he's sitting there dead and you're like, man, they really did kill Apollo. So as good as Rocky versus Drago is, I hate that they killed Apollo still to this day. Yeah. Obviously, I'm the yeah, only one sad about well, this. No. It's, it's a very, now it's I'm a very deep reflection goofy. on it. Now it fucked me up with that one. <laughs> yeah. You know, the other but thing I mean, interesting is Apollo died, what was that, 1986 or something? So apparently it, before he died, his son, Creed, you know, from the movies Creed, was born. And now he's like in his 20s and he's boxing in these movies. So well, like, bro, there's a weird time shift in the Rocky films. This is Frozen all explained. <laughs> This is all explained in the Creed movies. I don't know if you've seen them, but... Uh, I did not see that. Well, how did they explain it? Well, uh, apparently, Adonis Creed, who is the character of Creed's son, he was supposed to have been kind of like an illegitimate love child that Apollo had at the very end of his life. I don't even think he knew that he existed. And also, the other thing was... Because you, if you remember, Apollo had his own kids, like even in the first couple of Rocky movies, you see them running around yeah. and with his wife and everything. He's not one of those kids. Like he came along later. And also, um, I believe those movies are not supposed to take place in the present day. I know it's kind of a weird cop out, but I think it's supposed to be like 10 years ago or something like that. Like that's how they kind of make up for it a little bit. It's kind of, I, I don't want to think about a Balboa cinematic universe. <laughs> I think really, about it all hurt. the time. That hurts my brain. Maybe I'm understanding Moxley's uh, or uh, Punk's point of view a little more than I did at the start of this conversation. <laughs> Why I didn't watch any of these films. Hey, what do you think? Uh, we were just talking about it before, Brian. Uh, Tim White, the Warrior Award. Uh, less about honoring Tim White, and that's a nice thing, but more about whatever this Warrior Award is from year to year. It changes. Yeah, I mean, I think it's probably one of the only one of the only good thoughts that the Ultimate Warrior ever had in his life was the idea for the award. But it's not the award that um, he wanted. Uh, the award that he actually, in this case, it's one of the better choices. But yeah. the idea of it was it was supposed to honor the the people behind the scenes, the people who worked for WWE that are like the unsung heroes, you know, because he was re referencing Jimmy Miranda, who was like the head of merchandising while he was there, who everybody loved. And, um, you know, they kind of twisted it into this kind of like, you know, uh, I don't know, PR opportunity. I don't want to be cynical about it, but I mean, it was never, it never has been purely what it was envisioned to be. Like there've been years they gave it to Sue Aitchison. That was fantastic. They gave it for people that knew her and worked with her. I mean, nobody deserved it more than her. They gave it to Rich Herring, the guy with the incredibly awful wig who's worked for the McMahon family for like <laughs> centuries. And this is another good one, but I, I just feel like a lot of times, like you said, it's just sort of like whoever they feel like giving it to that year, you know? I think it's the least amount of people that go into the Hall of Fame in one year that I can remember in a long time. It's just not a priority anymore, it seems like. Well, it's not it doesn't even get its own show now anymore. Now you've got you do it they're doing it after SmackDown, so you're gonna have a room full of people who didn't even go there to really see the hall of fame. And I mean, they've been watching like hours of wrestling and they're, you know, it's, it's, it's a very different kind of thing when it was its own show and it, it felt like much more of a special event. I mean, I'm glad that they do it, but uh, I guess these WrestleMania weekends now are just so 
packed with things that it's hard to fit it in or carve out its own time slot. But but I think it's a good bunch. I mean, I, I think it's a good thing not to have a huge amount of inductees. If anything, it's better for, for the length of the show, too. So we have WrestleMania coming up. We have the Hall of Fame. And speaking of Hall of Famers and people who were a part of WrestleMania, especially in the early years, Gorilla Monsoon and everyone, I mean, everyone has praised you for your biography of the Sheik, Blood and Fire. You're now working on a Gorilla Monsoon biography. What's this been like so far, this process of working on it? It's been very different. I mean, I started, I'm starting it the same way where I'm just trying to reach out to as many people as I can uh, in the beginning just to kind of get firsthand experiences and things. But the difference is, I mean, look, <laughs> to be very honest, I mean, Gorilla Monsoon was actually well-liked in the business and universally admired and, and beloved. And, and the Sheik was... Not really. I mean, there, there was a lot more negativity around him. A lot of people had uh, hard feelings. And there were there was also the whole thing of like he was so secretive that a lot of people didn't want to talk. And that's not really so much happening with Gorilla. You know, everybody has been thrilled to talk about him. I've got people coming out of the woodwork and from all kinds of like areas. I have people from WWE production that you know, are d dying to talk about him. They, they, you know, he was like a father figure to them. I've got people who were like wrestling fans in the sixties who, who wanted to tell me all about what he was like when he was a monster heel. I mean, like people just want to talk to him and, um, it's been, it's been very, I mean, want to talk about him and it's been very refreshing doing the Sheik book was, was, could be a lot more frustrating at times. What do you think is going to be the biggest complication in terms of research? Well, I mean, you you have the, the same issue you had with Sheik and in some ways it worse of there's very, very little footage of um, the prime years of Gorilla Monsoon. In fact, the only um, the only footage I have seen and if anybody hears this and can point me to anything, the only footage I've seen of him in the 60s at all that exists is from when he was in Japan, which because th Calgary. they just saved everything. Isn't there a Calgary footage? Yes, there is. But I, I mean, from when he was Gorilla Monsoon, that's uh, that's true. That was before he became Gorilla Monsoon. I'm talking about when he was the monster heel with the crazy beard and the whole thing. The only stuff is it, there's him against Baba in Japan and things like that and some tag team matches. But there's nothing with Bruno there. There's even the very few episodes of Capital Wrestling and WWF wrestling that survived the TV episodes. He's not on them as far as I know. So so that's kind of an obstacle where the only wrestling I get to see of him is, you know, when he's in the in the 70s, when he he's admittedly, you know, past his prime, he's past his peak as a wrestler. He's more of an office guy. So, I mean, I, I wish I could have had more of that ability to actually see him in his prime. How many years was he actually full time active in the ring? Well, I full -time. mean, he, yeah, you know, I, I have to really dig into the match record to make absolutely sure of when he really kind of was no longer full time, because I know he he came to the WWF in the summer of 1963 and he pretty much never left. I mean, he went away a couple of times right. for like a year or so and he would go to California and things in, in the early years and take a little break. But he was still pretty much with them. And but by like. 69, he had already bought into the office. So and then he turned face 
And then at that point, I mean, when, and then by 71, he's like Pedro Morales is manager. And I really think even by that point, he's not wrestling as often as he used to be. And so, like, he's one of these interesting guys because as a wrestler, and I mean, we understand why, because he had all these other responsibilities, he peaked very early. I mean, by the time he was in his early to mid thirties, he had already peaked his best years as a performer, as a draw, as a wrestler were behind him. But he's Brian, of, you brought up, Oh, I'm sorry. I was just going to say, but he was one of those names that anyone who saw him here in the Northeast and the New York area specifically, they all remember that name, even if they weren't wrestling fans. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, it's, it sticks with people. Like I always tell people when I was a kid and I'm watching, you know, WWF wrestling and gorilla monsoon is the announcer, and, you know, my dad had been kind of a wrestling fan as a kid, you know, back in like the 50s, early 60s. And he had seen Gorilla Monsoon. I remember I'm sitting there and I'm watching WWF wrestling and they're like and he's sitting there with me and they're like, OK, and now we go to ringside with Gorilla Monsoon. And my dad is like, that's not Gorilla Monsoon. I, who is that guy? Like, that, that's not the guy that I remember seeing. He's wearing like a tux and these Coke bottle glasses and, and he's talking, you know, but, but he remembered him even from, you know, 20 years ago. He still, my dad was not as an adult, a wrestling fan, but he still remembered the name, the character. I mean, he, he made a big impact for sure. Well, we know for sure that he did not spend any time in Manchuria, but he did spend time. <laughs> he did spend time in Puerto Rico. And when you brought up Pedro Morales's name immediately, my brain went, oh, yeah, Victor Canones. And in Gorilla's tie in with WWC Puerto Rico and having that son down there who became a notable personality. <laughs> for, for, for well, that's for a nice way of putting it. Yeah. yeah so I. I kind of, this is almost just a, a double-edged question here. Um, and yes, it, it, I apologize that you are working with someone who actually has got a less of a grasp on the English language than Shane McMahon now with the wrestling news. But I thank you for that. But when it comes to how well known was it, or I guess it obviously was very well known, but was it ever, was his relationship, with Quinones ever discussed at all behind the scenes or in the office or anything like that, even coming up as far as just how did he buy in or any of that sort of stuff? And also have you started to line up any of your ducks in a row yet to, to cover his time in Puerto Rico and his obvious interests there? That's going to be a part of it. And I'm, I definitely want to delve into it because uh, uh, for a guy that, was kind of, especially in, in the world of wrestling, kind of an open book and kind of what you saw is what you got and liked by everybody. And definitely not somebody like the Sheik who had enough skeletons in his closet to like, you know, build a, a graveyard. Um, Gorilla, it's the one area that's kind of a little bit shrouded in mystery. Like, what was he doing down there? Why Puerto Rico? What was what's the story? And, and and that's something that I have been researching and talking to a lot of people about. I do want to say one thing because the, the Victor Quinones thing always comes up and and a lot of people um, have thoughts about it and there's rumors and there's urban legends. And I know even in even in the New York Times obituary, and I think this is where a lot of it comes from, in the New York Times obituary, he is listed as Gorilla Monsoon's son. But I'm going to say this, 
And look, this is very early in the book writing process. I may turn out to have egg on my face and put my foot in my mouth or whatever other cliche that you want to give. But I do not believe that Victor Canones was Gorilla Monsoon's son, not his biological son. His real name was Victor Lupton. Uh, It just it doesn't line up like I've been doing research and, and into that exact thing. And I'll just put it this way. The people that think that that just make assumptions, I think they think that Gorilla was wrestling at the time that Victor was born and that he was having matches down in Puerto Rico. And that's how it happened. And I'm here to tell you that when Victor Quinones was would have been um, created, conceived, whatever you want to say, Gorilla Monsoon was a senior at Ithaca College in upstate New York. And uh, he had not even started his wrestling career yet. Now, I'm not going to say it's impossible, but I cannot I, – I, I'm inclined to say that he did not somehow find himself in Puerto Rico – fathering a, a baby. I don't think that that happened. And in fact, I have it on uh, on authority from people that are close to it that I can't really say who, but maybe I will at some point, but that that he is not his son, but it was more of like a, a godfather yeah. kind of figure, somebody that he took in. It was more that Victor looked like a little gorilla. Can you imagine well, being a kid growing up there? It was like, hey, you got gorilla monsoon. Ah, damn it. I'm hearing this again. <laughs> part of it, that is part of it. People looked at him and said, "You, you actually look like him," and he does. And look, I'm, I'm willing to say that maybe before this is all said and done, I'll turn out to be wrong. But I'm, but I'm saying right now that I do not think that he was Gorilla's son, especially when Victor was born in 1959. Right? I mean, it's not like Victor was. <laughs> you know, right. Born again. in June, June yeah. of 1959. Maybe yeah. his mother was at Ithaca. I mean, or Newpaltz. That that or, could be know. that could be, but but I'm inclined to think no. <laughs> uh, Bob Morella, the San Juan Lothario. Is it true uh, that after this book you're going to conquer if Jerry Jarrett was really Roy Welch's son? Is that the next thing you're going to tackle? Yeah, I'm just going to stick with the idea of <laughs> shady wrestler gene- genealogies and who's who's actually whose father. That that'll be my specialty. Yeah. yeah. Yes, she- that book would sell. She- Gino Boy. Hernandez and his father-in-law Jimmy Snuka. <laughs> yeah, well, people didn't people say that Paul Bosch was Gino Hernandez's dad. Wasn't yeah, but, that yeah. another? Thing but they only about? said yeah. that they only said that because he was. <laughs> well, wait a minute, was he? I wait, he you was. saw that dark side. You heard Mama Hernandez. Yeah, Come Mama on. Hernandez is like, how I was a young woman. Why would I be sleeping with Paul Bosch? Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Why did you sleep with the usher that got you pregnant? Why? What the fuck? <laughs> It's the same time period. I wouldn't sleep with him, but this guy, I would. So I don't, I think uh, someone said to me, the mother's a worker. They said that before that show ever aired, the mother's a real worker. Hmm. And she was married to Snooker. And she had Gino with someone who was somehow involved with the wrestling office. One way or another, we could agree on that. So who knows? But if you look at photos of Paul Bosch when he's young, it looks like Gino in, in a lot of those photos, I think. Interesting. It's okay. The ears. It could be the ears. It could be the ears. You know, I have uh, I have photos. I was going through the Gorilla Monsoon file after you announced the book, Brian, and he must have gone to the office of Ring Wrestling one day and just took off his shirt and took tons of photos in the office because it's like him acting all scary and monster-like, 
but then there's like bookshelves behind him and, and all these things. <laughs> so yeah. it's pretty funny to see. Yeah, I don't know how they were able to control him in those offices there if he was on a rampage at the offices of Ring Wrestling. Somehow, they they maybe with some menthol cigarettes, I don't know, so, somehow they were able to calm him down. Yeah, in between his grunts, they were able to tell him what subway to take to get there. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, the, the funny thing about him is I find that the more I read, I feel like, especially for a guy who had kayfabe on his license plate, um, he actually seemed to have been one of the kind of looser people with re- in that era with really? regards to it. Yeah, because – and I, I wonder if part of it is because – he was a very well-educated guy, especially in in wrestling terms. I mean, he 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 was a very articulate guy, very smart guy. And I sometimes wonder if maybe he sort of got a little chuckle out of the whole whole like kayfabe thing. Like here I am, I'm this Italian guy from upstate New York. I'm I'm playing a gigantic Manchurian wild man who Bobby Davis found swimming naked in a river in an ice flow somewhere. And I think he got a kick out of it because I can see there's a lot there's a couple of times, like even when he was in his phase where he wasn't supposed to be speaking, where he actually gave comments in newspaper articles about some of the matches that he was in at the like the Bruno matches, which would have totally broken kayfabe. And and the whole idea even that by look, by like 1970, they had pretty much given up on the idea that he was supposed to be this Manchurian lunatic. Like they, they even got to the point where they announced him as being from Willingsboro, New Jersey. Once he got so rid I of the mean, beard, right. You know, it the was, act was it, up. And it was not, it was like an open secret. Nobody, he would sort of wink and nudge. I think there's even an early um, show that he called when he first started announcing in 82, where somebody made a joke like, oh, gorilla, you, you you can speak or something like that. And he sort of said, like, yeah, well, I learned how to speak English. <laughs> you know, like it was he's had a little more fun with it is what I'm saying. What a weapon he was for that office, because I was going back through the Battleground Baltimore book. I hadn't looked at it in a while. And there were all these old Washington Post clippings from the 60s and in the 70s and of course, you know, is wrestling fake or there'll be these things that people will bring up. And it seems like, and maybe it was just circumstance where most of the quotes, almost anytime you read them, they're coming from Gorilla Monsoon. It's like, I don't know if he was the official guy that they sent out there to, okay, hey, you know, talk to the, you know, because of, uh, because of his education, but it always just seems like he was the guy to talk to the media that was not Zacco or McMahon or whatever. Like if there was going to be one person, it was going to be gorilla that talked. There's yeah. There's no question to me that that was part of his role, that, that he was out there to be that, that PR guy, because you're right. I mean, he pops up in a million newspaper articles and the, the most hilarious thing is when you look at them all together over years and years, he says almost the same exact thing every time. It's like he has this boilerplate kind of response where part of it is like, well, if, if you think it's fake, I'd like you to pay my medical bills. And I've had a, uh, 18 broken ribs. I broke my nose 12 times. I broke uh, four elbows and 12 knees and every toe on my foot. Like he gives the same response and uh, variations of it. And I'm pretty sure that that was intentional. Like they wanted him out there as the kind of like well-spoken articulate 
voice of of uh, of the office. And also he would say things like, well, you know, uh, it's not amateur wrestling and uh, I've never been asked to lose a match in my career. But uh, what we do in there is we 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 give color and we you know we put on a show. There have been times where I've been in a match with a guy and I knew I could beat him in like a minute, but I let it go on for about 15, 20 minutes because I wanted to give the crowd a show. Like he'll give these very like detailed kind of breakdowns of how wrestling is real in a way that, especially back then, if you're reading it, you're going like, yeah, okay, that makes sense. I I believe this guy. You ever think we'll get to the bottom of? Why well, he said superstar Billy Graham died in the newspaper in Philadelphia, and then, of course, never retracted it. So that when right. Billy Graham did come back, fans in Philadelphia thought it was an imposter. And in fairness, I mean, looking at him, it would be hard. It would be easy to understand why they would think that. I mean, <laughs> unfortunately, he really did look like a different person. But um, yeah, you know, I, I haven't looked a lot into that yet, but I, I, I want to get a hold of a lot of those columns because he used to he had that column. I forget what paper it was in. It's a defunct Philadelphia paper. Um, but yeah, it, it it's really weird. He did that. And then he would not walk it back or deny it. It was re really strange. And, and you know what? Another thing is, if you notice, um, I don't know, maybe he had it out with, he had it out for Billy Graham. I don't know. But that, that interview, the one that you had on the 605 that um, we were just talking about a little earlier oh, that I Rod, listened to. Oh, Rod Luck, live at the Ritz. Yeah. There's a, there's a moment in there. And, you know, he always would put over everybody. I mean, especially in an appearance like that, talk about everybody. And they mentioned superstar Graham, who I think was back at that point. This would have been like March 83. And I think he was doing the karate thing. And somebody asked if he was going to be getting another shot at the title to get it back from Backland and gorilla just shit all over him. I mean, it was, it was, it was very uncharacteristic. He was like, I don't think that uh, Billy's going to be getting a title shot anytime soon in the near future. Cause you know, you really need to be in shape and you need to be prepared and blah. You know, he was really running him down. Whereas the easy thing for him to say, even if it wasn't going to happen would have been, Oh yes, I'm sure that superstar will get another shot down the road and he might just win it back and that kind of thing. But, but he didn't do that. He really just kind of trashed him. Yeah. It'd be interesting to see in your research, what you come up with on that. If, if, because, I just, you know, Superstar Graham and Ernie Ladd and Ivan Koloff, I don't want to say throwing their weight around, but seemingly throwing their weight around and getting all equal deals. And we know how, I mean, Graham tried to start a promotion in Arizona. It's not like he was easy to deal with, especially if he thought he was right about something, as in not wanting to lose the belt and we're making a big mistake and, oh, we can't do that. And then he makes this hard right turn to this gimmick where he looks nothing of like what he used to. And he's addled probably to the point of frustration for those who actually have to deal with him and try to control him and book him and deal with him. I wonder if he got, again, if it was just somewhat like, uh, again, if everyone speaks highly about you and there's just, there's always going to be somebody you're going to have conflict with no matter how good... I could see that being the case with Graham. It'll be interesting to see what happens with that because I could see Graham being the one guy and the one personality that a monsoon, especially who's got to deal with this on behalf of the company, let alone any personal, you know, one-on-one -on -one differences has got to be like, just no, screw this guy. This is a completely different person than the man you did see, you know, three years ago. I think that he was 
difficult to work with Graham. I do think that he was, and I've heard stories to that effect. I think basically, you know, I, I know he's very ill now and we he hasn't spoken publicly in quite yes. a while, but Billy but the Graham way that, dying since 1979. <laughs> this is true. But the way that he has often been publicly in recent years where he'll just be seemed kind of unhinged in a way. I, I really think that that's how he was back then too, except the public just didn't know about it, but I think people in the business did. And he he could be a difficult guy. I remember the the one time that I interviewed him when it was back when I worked for WWE and I was interviewing him because he was going in the Hall of Fame, I think, and he was back in the fold again. And, you know, and I took the opportunity to ask him because I was working on my my Legends book. And I also thought, hey, I could ask him about the Grand Wizard and I can ask him about Backland and Bruno and all this stuff. And it was really weird because any time the conversation <laughs> turned to any other subject except himself, he became very irritated and and not understanding why in the world I would want to talk about anybody else except superstar Billy Graham. Like any, if I brought up you know Morocco or anybody, you know what were they like? And he would just go like, well, why why are we talking about the Grand Wizard? Uh, why, why are we talking about these guys? Like, well, I don't know, but maybe because he was your manager and I wanted <laughs> to hear your your thoughts on him. So I mean, I could see how he might. I mean, I talked to him for twenty minutes and I was getting annoyed. So I could see what it would be like maybe working with them for years it might be you know and sometimes in wrestling it's weird because you get these guys you get married to these guys because they draw money and you're kind of stuck with them and you want to make money with them even if sometimes you can't stand them well yeah and you know SummerSlam 88 Gorilla Monsoon and Billy Graham on commentary just a god-awful commentary team every other word was brother 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 Uh, I guess Pete Doherty had a, another engagement that day. You take that back. (laughs) Oh, well, you know, actually, as far as I could tell, it wasn't Graham who was the guy. Cause, cause Mike, you were talking about like who, who would be the guy that even gorilla monsoon couldn't get along with. Apparently that person was bruiser Brody because they Mm -hmm. did not. Oh yeah. I did hear about that years ago. Yeah, they did not. I could see that very easily being the case as well, too. Right. Good. I even heard that I've been, and I hadn't heard this before, but when I was digging into it, I was even hearing that one of the main reasons that they didn't bring him back in the 80s to feud with Hogan, I mean, there were several reasons, but one of them was that Gorilla was absolutely dead set against it. And he still did have some say and some influence, Uh, you know, after the initial run that they did with him, they never brought him back again. And it was one of those situations, I think, where it was like, we're not going to get rid of this guy because we can still make money off him for the next year or so, you know, working with Bruno or whoever. But once he's done, that's it. We're not bringing him back. And I think that's what happened. Yeah, there was uh, John McAdam, talk to somebody on his podcast, uh, somebody who, uh, I guess was at a TV taping in Philadelphia when Brody was there in like 76. And he tells the tale of, uh, somehow, uh, Brody was done with a match and Brody was being Brody, his wild man sort of, um, persona. And 
nearby there was Gorilla Monsoon with a clipboard, I guess, trying to, you know, keep everything moving. And uh, somehow Brody came into physical contact with uh, Monsoon. And, uh, I mean, they, they both went, you know, to the back really quickly. But it, it sounded like, uh, yeah, things going sideways. I heard that. I, I heard that episode, and I know that that I forget the guy's name that he had on. Uh, I yeah. forget who it was, but I want I would love to mention his name. But I don't know. I mean, it's it's weird because every other version of the story I've ever heard is that they they never they didn't actually get into a physical fight. But that guy claimed that Brody punched Gorilla in the face and broke his glasses, like like smashed him in the face, and they wound up kind of like you know, brawling into the, like going through the locker room doors and then he couldn't see what happened after that. But I, I don't know. I mean, the, the, the one thing, I don't mean to call this person into question, but the one thing that strikes me as odd about that story is like you said, Lou, he talked about how Brody was like going through the crowd, doing his like wild bruiser Brody act, you know, where he's like, you know, the match is over and he's still running through the crowd. But then somebody pointed out to me, and I think this is true that, that early on, like in his WWF run, he wasn't really doing that yet. He wasn't the full wild man Bruiser Brody yet. So I don't yeah. know what to make of that story. I, I almost would love for it to be true because it's a great story, but I don't know what to make of it. It could just be a case where it's an amalgamation of stories, you know, of mixing it up with another physical story that somebody had gotten into. Because see, that seems to happen. I just... I, I used to interview wrestlers a lot more when we did that show with Les Thatcher way, way back as we talked to you know, whatever, whoever it would be Bill Dromo or Larry Zabisco or whoever it would be where these guys just don't sometimes, again, it's just the stories over time. They'll mix three stories into one and they don't mean to. And then you'll hear them actually do a different show and they're giving a little bit of a different version because they're mixing up two other parts of the story into one other story where, you know, that seems to happen a lot. Yeah, it was happening even the, the episode of Shut Up and Wrestle I just posted with Ken Patera where it, it was supposed <laughs> to be just an interview for the book, but it was so priceless that I was like, please let me use this as a podcast episode, you know, and he was like, yeah, do whatever the fuck you want, you know, and <laughs> but the, the funny thing is it's exactly like that where sometimes the stories are so good that you don't want to pick it apart too much because you realize these guys just are kind of like everything is a big giant blur in a way. Like the, the, when you when you do that many matches, you go to that many towns for that many years and you do that many things to your body or whatever else is happening. It's hard. Like he mentioned in the Patera thing, because I asked him about when um, he retired Gorilla Monsoon. They had the retirement angle at the Philadelphia Spectrum. And he told me how they actually did the match the first time at the Igloo in Pittsburgh. Now, as and then they did it like a month later at the Spectrum. Now, as far as I could tell, not only did that Pittsburgh match never occur, but the Igloo did not even exist yet in Pittsburgh. <laughs> <laughs> there was a different arena they were using. So uh, there's things like that where in the moment uh, you just kind of got to go with the flow and laugh. And then later on, you're like, I don't think that really happened. Like the, he talked about the big crowd in Las Vegas or something. There was a big giant yeah. show. And I tried to find that show. And I think 
right. he was like blending a couple of different <laughs> shows in his mind, you know? He was blending right. a couple of different drinks, but go ahead. Maybe, yeah. maybe. Well, yeah, Andre was there and Dick Murdoch. <laughs> right. I, I was listening to that and I'm like, okay, was this for like an NWA convention back in the 70s? But why would there be a show, Thomas and Mac? I mean, there wasn't, as far as like Vegas being a part of any territory, you had uh, Roy Shire and Mike LaBelle running shows there at in any given time period. So. I know. I, I couldn't. I, I tried. I went into the archives and I tried to figure out, OK, at what point? Because he said it was a WWF show. I was like, OK, Dick Murdoch was there. Uh, Dino Bravo was there. Andre the Giant was there. Arnie Skolan was running the show, apparently. And I, the closest thing I could find was it would have had to have been. I mean, I know Murdoch had, had to have been 84. 84. Right. Because. Right. All the people that he claimed were there were not all there at the same time. But the but the one person I knew had to have been there was Murdoch because Murdoch was the whole impetus for the story. So like Murdoch and Andre yeah. would have to have been there. And the only show I could find where he wrestled Andre the Giant in a one on one match, Ken Patera and Dick Murdoch was on the same card. There was a show in in 84 and it had about 18, 19,000 people, like he said. I think he said 20,000. But it was not in Las Vegas. It was it was in the typical kind of like – it was somewhere in like the northeast WWF corridor. I forget where. But obviously, again, it's just sort of like a bunch of synapses firing at the same time mm -hmm. and different things getting crossed, you know? There's your and next book, Ken Pinera. <laughs> He's done a book. That, I'm not. I'm not. Oh, the, yeah, he's that. coming coming out with one. Yeah. How about a book but, on just cranky barista Ken Patera? <laughs> that's Howard's book to write. <laughs> or Scott's. Scott's. Oh, right. No, that that's Scott's character. I'm sorry, Scott. I'm sorry. Yes, that's true. <laughs> Psychedelic <laughs> Ivan Koloff is staring holes at you right now. That what are you going to say, Lou? <laughs> what was I going to say? In the Patera was also talking about a a TV taping of some sort, not like, you know, their weekly shows or something, but something special. So, and I don't think you know, Saturday night's main event didn't start until what? 86, 85, no, yeah, 85, 85. Yeah. Okay. So the, I, he, after he, he went away already, I believe. Yeah, he was. Oh, yeah, he was. Uh, he was a, a guest of the state of Minnesota by that time, or Wisconsin. Was it Wisconsin? Yeah, he was in the Who's Gal. I just know it was McDonald's. I mean, everyone knows that one detail. It was McDonald's, and there was a boulder involved somehow. I think it was oh, yeah, Wakusha, Wisconsin, or whatever. Waukesha. <laughs> Waukesha. Yes, that's, that's right. That is right. That's where it was. Yeah. Yeah. He he got to that subject too. I didn't oh, even really? bring it up. He oh. did. What did he say? Um, he he went off on Greg Gagne and Jim Brunzel and Medusa from mm -hmm. from Dark Side of the Ring because I just said something mm -hmm. like, you know, I thought 
you were really good on that show. I mean, I thought I thought that he was funny as always, and he handled himself well. And he was just like, they all open their fat fucking mouths, Medusa. <laughs> open a fat fucking mouth, and I, you know, and I can't believe they would stab me in the back. They known me all those years. I did one thing wrong, and they're not going to let it go. And then he pauses and he goes, but I still love all of them. <laughs> <laughs> He did two that. things yeah. wrong. He also sold out to Adnan L. Casey. Yeah, he claims <laughs> yeah. that like some random kid threw a rock through the window. Like, I guess that's right. the that's yeah. the story now. Whereas I thought it was like one of those. It's supposed to have been like one of those boulders, you know, like they have in the parking lot, so that to prevent people from parking their car in a certain yeah, area. A landscaping boulder. Right. It was one of those things, and him and. Saido just kind of that I mean that was the story I always heard that they just picked the, the damn thing and threw it through the window. That's what it was. It was a kid throwing a rock through a window, not yeah. Mr. Saido kicking the shit out of the police at the hotel. <laughs> it's, right. Well, that was the other thing about the story, too, because it was always Saido and Patera. And it's like as it went on, it was like, well, I got the impression that it was just Patera. And then Saido helped him with all the cops when he got back to the hotel room. It's like. You know, but I guess Saido was there too. But I can see Patera being the one, you know, after all these years and hearing his interviews and hearing him talk and hearing how he is. Yeah, I could see him being the instigator of all that with Saido just standing there. <laughs> well, the interesting thing is the incident happened, you know, Wisconsin, obviously, when he was in the AWA. And, the, you know, by the time the wheels of justice had had turned, he had already moved on to the WWF. It was like, I don't know, a year or two later by the time they finally, you know, hauled him in. Yep. That's yes. He was uh, raping Andre the giant of his dignity. <laughs> yes. And he then was. he had yes. to go away for a couple of years <laughs> and King Kong Bundy took his spot there. So. Yeah, and then he really had to pay uh, with his dignity when he had to go out there as jailbird with Bobby Heenan over and over again with who was it? Hercules, I guess it would have been. Yeah, the they, whole Heenan family uh, at certain points yeah. were running through. Biggest mistake was not bleaching his hair when he got out of prison. <laughs> right. He looks was that so really much the older. Biggest mistake. That was the biggest mistake. <laughs> I've made a couple of mistakes. McDonald's and I didn't bleach my hair when I got out of prison. Well, like I told him in Fuck the interview, him. I actually said that when I was a kid. <laughs> Around the time I started watching, that was what that was how I first saw him was was the baby face, fresh out of jail, paid his debt to society, Ken Patera. Like that's my first memory of Ken Patera. I didn't even know he had been a heel at the time. I knew that license plates got made in prison just because of Bobby Heenan saying that Patera <laughs> did it over and over again. And then the joke was, well, did he make a new version of the AWA title while he was in there too? <laughs> I loved how they, they actually bleeped out whatever Heenan was saying in the debate. Like they 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 ran. I don't know if anybody remembers this. They ran a, a ticker on the bottom of the screen and it said something like the comments of Bobby the Brain Heenan are so heinous. And I remember the word heinous because that's how I learned the word heinous at 12 <laughs> years old. The comments of Bobby the Brain Heenan are so heinous that they are censored uh, on, on television or something. And it was all like, and I'm wondering, what the heck is he saying, you know? Man, as soon as I heard Troglodyte a couple of weeks ago, I knew Vince was back with TV. <laughs> wait, wait, who said Troglodyte? 
Oh, who was it? Because that was the thing was like, wait a second, wait a second. I've only heard one man utter the word <laughs> troglodyte on air. And <laughs> I, I can't remember. I think, oh, you know who it was? It was one of the maximum male models insulting Chad Gable. Because uh, that was the other thing that started happening uh, all of a sudden again. It's like, wait, Chad's short again. Oh, no. Yeah, if, here we go. If Roman Reigns says suffer and suck a tash again at any point, <laughs> then we'll really know. If anyone yells out the name bastard at any point, you know Vince is back. <laughs> oh, maximum male models. Why is that still a thing? With Otis and Matisse and this Tease and whoever the hell. What oh, do you think? Marseille and Mansoir. Brian, what do you think uh, from the point of view of someone who worked there and the point of view of a historian, this is possibly the last WrestleMania with Vince? Yeah, you know, I was thinking about that, and I know uh, Mike Johnson wrote a piece about that on PW Insider, too, and and now you have all this talk uh, of the, 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 the sale, I guess, looking like it's going to be going down probably by the middle of this year, if not even sooner. I mean, it almost seems like they're trying to prepare – us for the idea that it could happen like almost right after yeah. WrestleMania, you know? That's going to be the I, real main event night, too. It's going to close with Vince in the ring giving the keys to the building to the Saudis. Right. The Saudis come out and it's like it's like uh, Panama Beach all over again, you know? The, <laughs> they've uh, they've bought the company. and But, yeah, it looks like this will be the, the last um, independent, I guess, whatever you want to call it, WrestleMania that WWE does pretty, it's pretty wild. Well, gentlemen, we've been going a while and it's getting late and I still have to record more tomorrow and every single day, WrestleMania week and opening day week are like hell week to put together like this. And then of course, Passover is coming up, but I already did it with the other two, Brian Solomon. Who do you think is going to win the world series this year? Oh my goodness. Um, the, who do I think is going to win the world? Well, I mean, I hope it's the Yankees. I don't know. We haven't had one in what, like 15 years. Who do I think is going to win? I have no idea. Who do I want to win? The New York Yankees. All right. Well, that's wrong. That's not going to happen this year. <laughs> but as we wrap things up, uh, Brian, I want to go to you first. And we talked about your Gorilla Monsoon book and we talked about, uh, which is not obviously out yet. You're working on it now. Your Sheik biography, which Blood and Fire, which is out, and I encourage everyone who doesn't have it to get it. But you have another book about to come out, not about wrestling, but I think there's a good crossover audience. So before we close things out, let the listeners know about your new book. Okay, yeah, and and you know, it's it's I haven't talked a lot about it just because I'm mostly always posting you know wrestling stuff, so it does slip through the cracks a little bit. But it's a book about the history of superheroes, the history of comic books, but even mainly the history of the whole genre of superheroes, even beyond comics. And it's called Superheroes, the History of a Pop Culture Phenomenon from Ant-Man to Zorro. And it comes out um, in May. So it's coming very, very soon. The pre-sales are available. And it really, it, it is a, a look at the idea of superheroes, even going back to ancient times and then going to, you know, early prototypes of superheroes that even before comic books and then to today where it's really all about movies and TV. I mean, they've completely eclipsed comic books as, as the home of superheroes. So it's the, just that entire phenomenon. So I'm, I'm excited about it. It's, it's sort of, uh, it, it, it got swept under the rug a little bit. It felt like I went straight from chic to gorilla, but this book was, it took up most of my 2021 and early 22. 
And there's your uh, memoir one day from Sheik the Gorilla, the Brian Solomon story. <laughs> Next time you come here to the office, I'll show you because I have a lot of them out now. I have a pretty big collection of newspaper comics. And, you know, especially when it comes to a Superman or a Batman, these figures that we think of and we kind of think of them exclusively as comic book characters. I mean, later movies and cartoons. But the newspaper, the daily strip, and the Sunday color strips, in a lot of cases, in those years, were as important as the comic books. Comic books, for a lot of uh, different characters, started as collections of newspaper strips. Yeah, and for many decades, comic strips were actually considered the more kind of prestigious medium. They always looked at comic books as being strictly just for kids, and comic strips were kind of read by a wider audience, a wider age range. And I mean, many they were actually read by many more people because everybody was reading the newspaper every day in, in those days. So, you know, there there's a lot of cases where like Superman had a comic strip, Spider-Man had a comic strip and a lot of other characters. And and the, their strips were probably seen by more people than their comic books at the time. And and you had characters like the Phantom and uh, that had originated in comic strips even before comic books uh, existed. But even Mickey Mouse and Popeye, a lot of characters that we consider just to be part of the environment, it wasn't just cartoons. I mean, obviously with Popeye, because it started as a newspaper strip, but Mickey Mouse, Mickey Mouse started as a cartoon for Disney, backed into being a comic strip, but having that strip there for so long helped get that character over, to use a wrestling term, with, uh, term excuse me, with a bigger audience who may not necessarily be going to the movies. Yeah, it absolutely did, because, again, you had these characters that were in the paper. They were there every day and, and people people read those comic strips. I mean, it was it was just a very popular thing. People of all ages loved them. And and um, there was something about them. And I think that even persisted even into the 80s and, and maybe even beyond where there was this attitude of like even among the artists that for whatever reason, comic strips were the more prestigious Medium, And I don't think that really started to change until you really started getting into prestige comic books like in the 80s with Frank Miller and Alan Moore and things like that, that they started making comic books a little more kind of respectable in the mainstream. And, and then you, you see the kind of or rather comic books and you see the decline of comic strips after that. Well, once again, your new book will be out. When is it coming out? It comes out in May. I think it's actually May 1st. Uh, I'm surprised, actually. I haven't gotten advanced copies yet. I've been dying to actually see what it what it looks like. I mean, I know I've seen the layouts and things, but I, I haven't got my hands on a copy yet. But uh, May 1st is the, is the publication date, but the pre-orders are already being taken. I do not want to create a complete fiasco like I inadvertently did with the Sheik book where I, I pushed so many people to pre-order it that nobody could get their books. Because I it 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 broke Amazon because I guess Amazon had ordered like eight copies. I don't know what what happened, but the pre-order was a mess. So hopefully it goes a little better this time. But it's um, it's it's coming out from Roman and Littlefield Publishers, which is the same company that published my pro wrestling FAQ book and my Godzilla FAQ book. Well, very cool. We'll talk more about that here on these shows when it comes out. And of course, they could hear you, the listeners, that is on S. UAWpod.com or at SU. It is late, ladies and gentlemen. On Shut Up and Wrestle with Brian Solomon, SUAWpod.com are available wherever anyone finds their favorite podcasts. You can hear this Ken Patera conversation we just referenced, SUAWpod.com. Lou Kippelman, 
as we wrap things up, what's going on with your superhero book? Oh, well, I'm, I'm still waiting for a crayon replacement. Uh, <laughs> they have not come in. Uh, oh, sorry. That's a coloring book. That was the coloring book. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm just doing what I usually do, which is, uh, tell people for the wrestling news, I'm me. So, well, there he is. He is I, Lou Kippelman. And Mike Sempervivi, you are you. Any closing words for the listeners as we wrap up this segment? No, I don't. Not not really. Not be, and, and that's got nothing to do with the fact that it's actually 3.38 in the morning, and I got to get a nap in uh, about 10 minutes here and then hope that Brian is, is done with the script so I can actually read the wrestling news. That's the only thing I want to push to people right now. That and, of course, the Mid-Atlantic Championship podcast slowly making its way back. And if you want a little bit more than what you get in that free feed, then you can go to my Patreon at patreon.com slash Podcast, where I'm trying to do some things to save history. And these things will slowly make their way out into the free verse uh, at some point here. But uh, trying to, to get some things going there and, and just trying to trying to do my little part in keeping history alive. Well, there it is, and everyone should support that. And, of course, listen to the Wrestling News every day, thewrestlingnews.com, or just look for the Wrestling News wherever you find your favorite podcasts. But there's another part to the show. Let's go to this now. For my guests, I'm the great Brian Last. Tally-ho! friends and you are my friends and welcome back to another edition of the 605 super podcast the mothership you hear some laughing in the background opening day star wars a more freewheeling 
footloose and fancy free edition of the super podcast less production less care more conversation and here speaking of less care here he is the host of stick to wrestling mr john mcadam the footloose and fancy free tribute to rod stewart's 70s album version of the 605 i'm so glad to be here well there you are and actually not even thinking of the Rod Stewart album, just thinking of the expression, but here we are, and I'm starting with you here because you and me have a little bit of a history of doing these opening day Star Wars. Last year, I believe, you picked the White Sox to win the World Series. Yeah, that, not my finest hour, to say the least. And then I took Bobby Witt Jr. to win the MVP because, I mean, the guy I thought he could hit, and he was a magnificent fielder, and I, I'm the reading MVP. now, they got to move him over to third because he can't play short. <laughs> I but thought it was all his value. I thought rookie of the year, maybe, but not MVP. Uh, I, I, I wanted to go for a little bit of a surprising pick, and I thought he had a legitimate shot, and that, that didn't work out. Can I tell you what I'm wearing for this special occasion? What? Well, I hope you're wearing something. Yes. What are you wearing? I'm wearing a lot. But I, I, <laughs> it's getting, it got to the point where it's like, okay, it's, it's cooling off in here. I could use a sweatshirt. I go through my sweatshirts and I am wearing my WWE New York, WWF New York t-shirt uh, sweatshirt that I purchased from that venue in uh, February 2001. Wow. That's probably yeah. a collector's item now. But I mean, anything from that place, like the menu is a collector's item now. I'm <laughs> that, serious. Like, I believe it. <laughs> and we, we went there on a Tuesday night late to watch the SmackDown uh the SmackDown feed, we got an ice cream sundae and a six-pack of beer, and it ran us over $100 in 2001 money. <laughs> That's incredible. It's not surprising. No, but, it's Times Square. But again, you're kind of trying to take us away from baseball. This is opening day Star Wars wrestling and baseball, and I brought up you picking the White Sox, and <laughs> here we are at WWE New York, which closed many years ago. Let's talk about the Red Sox. You're always our source for New England baseball news. What's going on this year for the Sox? Well, let me start by saying two years ago, I believe it was two years ago on this very podcast, I believe Kevin Sullivan, you, Kevin Sullivan, and I were discussing the Red Sox. And I was like, look, we can't pay Mookie Betts that kind of money. We can't give him a contract that That's right. keeps him making $30 million a year until he's 39 and then again 40 and then again 41. Johnny Mack was behind the curve, Brian, and I never like being behind the curve, but I was because that's what it cost. If you want to have a player like that, that's what that's the, what the cost is. You can't get around it. Red Sox, I see them. I, I don't see them finishing 500. I'm not sure what they're doing <laughs> in general. Their their farm system is not very good. Their major league team is not very good. Their pitching staff, frankly, stinks. Um, I mean, you can't. Expect like, I grew up a Mets fan, so you can't expect every oh, season to look, be look at really, that. really good. You can't, you can't lay claim to Mets fandom once you leave it. That's it. It's over. You can't go back to it. No, I, 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 I didn't, especially after the '86 World Series. But I did grow up about exactly <laughs> 1.1 miles from the old Shea Stadium, and I, I loved the Mets. And you know what? I, I guess Lee Mazzilli. You know, I'm sorry, Lee Mazzilli. My cousin Terry had a huge crush on Lee Mazzilli. There you go. Who was your favorite New York Met of all time? Of all time? Of all time. That's tough. I mean, Keith Hernandez was, and then it, he became everyone's. So now I feel weird about saying Keith Hernandez anymore. Um, 
I, geez, that's, I never think of it in that context before. You know what? You think, I'm going to speak for a minute. I remember 83, so almost, God, almost 40 years ago to this day, getting the sporting news and reading about the Mets picking up Keith Hernandez for like nothing, this like middle relief pitcher. And I had no idea what was going on at that moment with Keith Hernandez. Yeah, they got him for Neil Allen because no one realized that. No, now the story is a little different than what it was then about all that, because Keith Hernandez always said that it was Whitey Herzog who ran him out of St. Louis because of the drug scandal. Now the story is Whitey says it was Augie Bush who made me do it. Ah. Which does make some sense. It, I mean, Whitey Herzog was, had so much power in the Cardinals organization that that surprises me a little bit. Like when Gary Templeton made a fool of himself, I mean, Whitey Herzog sent him right out of town. And what I had heard over the years was after what happened with John Mayberry, I want to say in 77 or 78, when Herzog was with the, uh, with the Royals, he just had a zero tolerance policy for all of that. Well, that's how Keith Hernandez ended up in New York. So back to who would be my favorite Met. I would say Keith Hernandez because of everything he meant to the team, everything he stood for, everything he did on the team. But for a short-term period of time, John Olerud. John Olerud with the batting helmet from Washington State. Batting helmet because he had the brain aneurysm. Yep. And he almost hit 400 for the Blue Jays, but he came over to the Mets. I think it was, they traded, I want to say Robert Person. For John Olerud, who was a former batting champion, they got him for nothing. And for what was an okay Mets team getting better, he was an amazing revelation. We didn't know how good he was as a fielder, how good he was as a hitter, clutch. And then as the team got good in 98 when they got Piazza, and then 99, one of my favorite years ever, he was just perfect. And then he went back home to Seattle. And he eventually wound up finishing his career, I believe, in Boston yeah, as right. a backup first baseman slash defensive replacement, which you only 25 guys on the team. You don't have room for one of those. But that's he, he here is where he finished up. Why well, I interrupted you on several points and here we are. So let's talk about the new baseball rules. What are your thoughts on the pitch clock? I like it. I, I'm going to be the only one who says that I'm going to be. People are going to be repulsed by that answer, but I like it. I really like the the rule that limits pickoff throws to first base. It wasn't the it wasn't about the length of the games, Brian. It was never about that. It was about nothing going on during the game. You know, the guy w- wouldn't get in the batter's box. The pitcher wouldn't pitch the ball. I, I'm I'm all in favor of it. I don't want everyone to be like a Steve Traxel where they're on the mound and it takes forever in between pitches. There are definitely extremes. But the pitch clock speeding everything up, hopefully they get things repaired because it's not going away. Because some of the... And actually, it seemed like it really hurt the batters more than the pitchers from everything I saw in spring training. Guys who were just not even paying attention, just casually fixing their glove a foot out, and all of a sudden it's a strike because they weren't back in the box. No warning or anything. Yeah, you you know, perfect example. I mean, Bill, there used to be a player named Mike Hargrove back in the 70s, and he was called the human rain delay because he took forever. Now everyone takes forever. Dudes, you don't need to take off and put back on your batting gloves oh, in between every pitch. 
again, you're a Boston fan. You had Nomar, so maybe you're a little jaded when it comes to this discussion. Maybe I should have left you out of this part of it. My favorite Boston Red Sox player of all time. Nomar Garciaparra? Absolutely. Was he, what year, because I don't have the stats in front of me. There was a year where I thought he was clearly the best shortstop of the three, because it was always him, Jeter, and A-Rod. Yeah, the trilogy. Yeah. What year was it that, there was one year he was close to winning the MVP, wasn't it? I believe that was 99. No, 2000. What do you think about him going to the Dodgers? I was, I, I, well, when we traded him to the Cubs, I was, I was absolutely heartbroken. Oh, that's then right. That's right. It was the I Cubs. learned why the decision was made. You know, Nomar, still my favorite player, but if you recall the, the, the winter before his last season in Boston or his last partial season in Boston, they had that big trade going on where it's going to be Manny Ramirez basically straight up for Alex Rodriguez. And then Nomar was going to get sent packing, uh, to the, White Sox, I want to say. Who was that corner outfielder they had that was really good? Maglio Ordonez. Maglio Ordonez, yeah. Yeah, and that was on the verge of happening, and it didn't happen. And Nomar, I mean, from many accounts, spent much of the 2004 season sulking over that, and they, they got rid of him. You guys should assign Kyle Schwarber to whatever contract he wanted. Why? He's a DH. I, I, I can shake a tree and a DH will fall oh, out. Oh, he's clutch. He gets big home runs. He hits a lot of home runs and he gets big home runs. Yeah, like, I, I mean, he was, you know, he was asking for a big contract. Now it's like, look, it's easy to find a designated hitter. You know, well, well, if we're going to talk about baseball, let's talk about this. I have never liked the idea of having the same guy at DH, you know, close to every game of the season why not use that spot to occasionally rest your starting left fielder third baseman whatever and you know rotate things around a little bit i need to run a team brian please buy me the pirates you still doing fan (laughs) you know what i just read an article about the pirates i mean they have some good young players but they have awful ownership we aren't going to spend any money on that team but to go back to your earlier conversation actually this reminds me now about the contracts and how that's just the coin of the realm now you have to give these guys these multi-year contracts i'm glad the mets didn't make the deal with correa i actually did not want that for a long term look at the brewers you brought them up before look at them with christian yelich yeah and that's just the way it is now you get you have a great year you get a seven-year contract. you know what now that's even ridiculous you don't get a seven-year contract you get a 10-year 11-year contract it's going to end the same way for everyone. It's the cost of You're right. And it's the cost of doing business in 2023. And not only do you get, like, if you're Bryce Harper, a 15-year deal, you get to opt out every three years or so. It's like it's the opposite of an NFL contract. It's, it's not guaranteed for the player. If he feels like skipping down, he can. What do you think about Correa and everything that went down with him? And I guess it was him and the Giants, then him and the Mets. And then back to the twins. Uh, I think it was a, I mean, he's an outstanding player and to get him on a six year deal uh, because of concern over an ankle injury that he had surgery on, I believe in 2014. uh, I I think the twins, twins fans should be very happy. The fact that two different teams and two different sets of doctors saw the same thing doesn't bother you. Whatever it is they saw, then they'll never disclose that. 
I think what ha- who who did he sign with first? I think with the Giants, right? It was the Giants then the Mets. That's right. If you're the Mets, and he didn't probably- sign with them, he was. It was announced that it was going to happen, and then the day of the signing, it all went awry. I have the feeling that the Mets, you know, because of what the Giants did, they were more likely to make sure they found something, especially if they got cold feet on the contract. What were you guys going to do with him anyway? You're a, you're a shortstop. They were then again, move, so the Padres, but... They were going to move him to third base. They were going to do what the Padres do. <laughs> Get a shortstop and move him to third base. I mean, with Bogarts, it makes sense because he was not a really good defensive shortstop. But, I mean, if you move a guy from short to third, he loses a lot of his value. Yeah, I mean, I guess the first big high-profile one was Cal Ripken when they moved him for— Do you remember who they moved him for? Um, yes, I do. Doug didn't—no, not Doug. Doug the Sensei? No, Manny Alexander. Oh, dear. <laughs> they moved him off shortstop to third base. They had Manny Alexander. He was going to be the Orioles shortstop of the future. And then he ended up on the Mets, and then he ended up on the Cubs, and, you know, it didn't really work out well. I think Manny Alexander, I'm probably thinking of someone else. There was some middle infielder on the Red Sox who got caught with steroids in his car. But, no, I was thinking Ripken was a third baseman in the minors, and they moved him to short. And I think they moved him when they overdug the sensei. I could be wrong. And then A-Rod, of course, when he went to the Yankees, because Jeter wasn't leaving shortstop. Jeter was not leaving shortstop, and guess who, was, guess who the better shortstop was at the time of the trade? But, hey, if you're the captain, you, I, hey, here's a, a humble brag. Maybe almost 30 years ago, I got to see at a Pawtucket Red Sox game Nomar Garciaparra playing shortstop for the Pawtucket Red Sox and Derek Jeter playing shortstop for the then-Columbus Clippers. No shit, wow. Yeah, I, I, I saw some cool stuff in Pawtucket. You like minor league baseball? I love minor league baseball. I haven't been for a while, and, and they moved from Pawtucket to Worcester. I hate Worcester, and they, they, they are now called the Worcester Woo Sox. I'm like, I'm not going to that. <laughs> Just because of the name. That's enough to protest. And, and Worcester. I mean, put, <laughs> no offense to anyone in Pawtucket. Pawtucket's a dump, okay? But you can get in and out of there safely. Worcester, I'm not so sure. Plus, there's good restaurants in Pawtucket, believe it or not. Are there... Good comparisons, you think, between minor league baseball and independent wrestling? No, not really. I mean, minor league baseball teams are are completely controlled by the parent team. So I, I guess there's somewhat of a comparison, but you know, like when in terms I, when, of in terms of the actual uh, going to the live event or the live game in this case, what the experience is like. No, not really. I, I think it's it's basically minor league baseball is just you know kind of. Inex- more inexpensive baseball, and you're seeing a lower quality product. I, I think the, you know what. The more I think about it, there is an <laughs> analogy to be made, but I, I think they're they're very different. I think you made the analogy for me, maybe a little bit there at the end. Hey, uh, you know, <laughs> while we're talking here, because I have so much to do, and I'm gonna have to rewatch most of it tomorrow. But I have Monday Night Raw in the background. How much wrestling do you watch nowadays? Of Modern the stuff. Product? Modern stuff. Yeah, I watch. Let me see. I watch the WWE live premium premium events on Peacock, and that is pretty much it. Uh, I knew Tony Khan back in the 90s, uh, and I feel bad that I don't watch that much AEW, but it just 
didn't drag me in, you know? And it's less a reflection of AEW or Raw or SmackDown of just me getting older and my 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 uh, tastes changing. Is it your taste changing or is it wrestling changing so that it doesn't match your taste anymore? Like, what do you find is lacking in wrestling that draws you in to watch it regularly? There isn't one thing I can point to and say, aha, that's what I don't like. It's like when someone recommends a show to me, uh, Madman. And oh, great know, show. Great show. Okay, here's the thing. It, it didn't drag me in. I wasn't like interested in, okay, what happens next? The way I was with Breaking Bad, The Sopranos, etc. Um, you know, I just watched the first season, watched a couple of episodes of the second season. I'm not saying it was bad, but it just didn't reel me in. Oh, and Brian, there's something I'm also known for. I have a lot of wrestling footage. I don't know if you're aware of that. <laughs> I've heard a little and bit about I, that. I've, you know, I just have so many alternatives. What are you currently watching? Is there anything that you are currently watching, classic wrestling-wise? I just got done watching all of the worldwide wrestling episodes from 1986. What a oh, wow. year that was. It's a great year. That's probably the best year to watch that show, I would guess. I think it was the NWA's best year by far. I mean, they were on fire. I, I miss the whole thing. I mean, I love that promotion so much. I drove from Nashua, New Hampshire to Philadelphia, Pennsylvania to see the Great American Bash. Was it worth it? Yeah. What was it? It was like? worth it just for the experience, just to say I did it. Just, you know, I knew I'd be on a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> no, but growing up in WWF territory, main, I'm guessing mainly seeing, other than that world-class show, WWF Wrestling Live, what was it like seeing the NWA Live for the first time? Uh, I mean, the first time I saw the NWA Live, I didn't even know really what the show was going to be. We drove down to the, the New Jersey Meadowlands for the first night of the of Champions, and I could not believe the... I, and let me say this, I had no idea, Brian, what work rate was. I, I, I understood the concept, like George Steele and, and Big John Studs suck, and you know certain guys are better. Adrian Adonis was really good. But when I saw Ric Flair against Ricky Steamboat that night, I mean, it blew away everything else I had ever seen. And that was him and Flair that night? Yes. And we had no idea like if that was going to be the match because Kerry Von Erich was on Boston TV winning the NWA championship. And they didn't mention it on WTBS. So we're like, you know, OK, we have tickets. We're going. What's the show going to be? And it turned out to be a great show. Well, let me add someone here because he's on standby. And let's see if his phone sounds all right. I'm going to the dial pad. I'm dialing the secret number right now. If I could see it, there it is. My favorite game, Hen. Here he comes. You're talking about Omas on TV? No, my favorite game, Hen. <laughs> no, I know, I know. <laughs> All right. Yeah, I'm on. sure he's never heard that one before. We are dialing him now. Says we are calling. It remains calling. Hello? Oh, you stopped my commentary on us calling you. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to opening day Star Wars, the man behind the hot dog, Scott Cornish. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Oh, uh, <laughs> it's wonderful to be with you. <laughs> also on the line right now, John McAdam. 
My favorite man from upstate New York. How are you, Scott? I'm all right. I'm all right. How about you? I'm doing fantastic. It's good to speak with you. Oh, same here. What a... Ah, we're off to a roaring start. <laughs> I was going to say, your enthusiasm is off the charts this evening. <laughs> you have Ron... You have Ron in the background? Uh, yeah, no sound, but I do have Ron. Yeah. It's enjoyable a little bit with no sound, because you just kind of have to guess what's going on yeah. and what's being said. Yeah, big weigh-in for uh, Omas at this moment. Yeah. <laughs> what do you think of Omas and uh, this match with Brock Lesnar coming up at WrestleMania? I don't think anybody has to worry. They're saying that how how are they going to do that? Oh, he's just so, he you know he's so awkward. This Omas, you know, <laughs> this match. Here's my bold is my my hot take, my bold prediction right out of the gate. This is going to be. Uh, King Kong Bundy versus SD Jones. Oh, <laughs> really? Interesting. I, I'm going to say less than 10 seconds. However long it takes to get an F5 pin, <laughs> uh, go home. That's it. They're making it look like it's going to be a big clash of the Titans, but it's going to be, it's going to be, you know, quick. <laughs> You know, I think that's good booking sometimes. Like, not every championship match, not every big match, if wrestling were a shoot, would be a 10, 20, 30-minute match. Sometimes you're going to – if it were a real sport and you should book it that way, you should have that occasional Mike Tyson knocks him out in 60 seconds finish. Yeah, they've done that with Brock, and it and it was good, you know? This is uh, – and this is probably the best. If if it goes that way, and I I'm saying it'll go that way, but, um, that's the best for all concerned. <laughs> I mean, remember that match? It was I want to say almost ten years ago. They had uh, Brock Lesnar against John Cena, and Lesnar just spent ten minutes ragdolling the guy and pinned him. I was like, wow. Yeah, yeah, you know, no problem. I've said the it, Goldberg match. Uh, that's what I was going to say right there. I've said it before. My favorite match was him and Goldberg the first time, or not the first time, but the first time after Goldberg came back. And I oh, think yeah. it was like three minutes, three and a half minutes, and it was perfection. Uh, Just move, move, crowd going crazy, surprise victory. Yeah. I got to see them at uh, at uh, WrestleMania 20 in the garden where everybody booed them. <laughs> With Steve Cranky Austin fan. as the referee. Steve Austin is a referee. Yeah. <laughs> Brock Lesnar, ladies guy. and gentlemen, went to use the scale to hit Omas. Omas kicked him in the head. Omas now has the scale. Brock is leaning against the barricade. He looks scared. Omas is holding the scale like Rio holds a pipe. But Brock <laughs> is now smiling. We are set for WrestleMania. And there's our live action commentary. Yeah, see, this is already going much longer than the Mania match. <laughs> is there a match you're looking forward to at WrestleMania? Actually, quite a few. Uh, is it the main event with Roman's going to be uh, worth watching. I think both of the women's singles matches look good. Uh, the tag match with the Usos against Sammy and and uh, and uh, Kevin has a lot of intrigue. Uh, as much as I despise the current character of Seth freaking Rollins, I think him and Logan Paul will be good, you know? 
um, yeah, actually, actually, looking at it now, I go, boy, this this looks halfway deep. <laughs> hey, John, you, is, if you don't mind me saying, because you brought it up, uh, you made me think of it, at least, Scott. John, you've watched a lot of wrestling footage. Did you ever think in 2023 we would have so many stars named Sammy? <laughs> not really, but I want to say this. I, I declare the Usos one of, if not the best tag team of all time. They are fantastic. Really? They are, I, they are that good. I really believe they are Midnight Express, Rock and Roll Express level at this point. Wow, you don't hear too many people say that. What do you think, Scott? Ah, they're certainly they've certainly come a long way in the but they've always been solid. You know, they've always been a good good team. Uh, but uh, this this whole thing was just coming up aces for everybody this year with the bloodline. You know, but uh, and I but I heard people say, oh, the bloodline is nothing without Sammy. Really? <laughs> you know, <laughs> that was I'll tell you what, Sammy. It, he's a guy. In one, in one year, what was he doing last? What was he doing last year? He was in the Johnny Knoxville match. Everybody was going, oh, man, he should leave. <laughs> <laughs> he should get out of there. They don't appreciate him. They dropped the ball. with him. <laughs> One year later, he's the hottest thing going. I, I, that's why it, it, you can't really count any, almost anybody out. You know, like people get so, they, oh, my goodness, well, this happened or that happened. You, know, you can just rehab somebody. Uh, image-wise and bring them back to where they, you know, it, nothing with Oscar for quite a while. And now, you know, they brought her back up to where she, yeah, she's not going to win. <laughs> but people like that, 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 you know, they worry so much about her. Remember when the Daniel Bryan was there? Oh my God, get rid of that Roman Reigns. He's the shit. You don't want to see Roman Reigns. <laughs> Oh, come on, get rid of it, you know. Oh, they're just pushing him down our throats. Oh my goodness, he's just horrible, you know. And now, you know, they they, they stuck with him and they were right. <laughs> Whatever. But I don't I don't like it being two days. They should just get rid of uh all the nonsense that nobody cares about, you know. Oh but, I think John said it on his show the other day. Battle Royals are always horrible. <laughs> <laughs> they are. I think always that's not. Horrible. A, that, yeah. Yeah. Oh, especially when you go to see them live, you convince yourself like, the first time I got to see one in Utica. Oh, I'm going to see Andre in a battle Royal. And, uh, and it was Andre and a bunch of, you know, mostly <laughs> preliminary guys. He didn't even he didn't even get a, a, a different singles match during the regular car. <laughs> he literally was just there to walk out there into the into the uh, battle royal. Well, I got to see Andre. That was something. But then watching all those dull matches leading up to the battle royal, you know. <laughs> oh God! If I was a wrestler, oh, look, if I was a wrestler, Israel Matia versus uh, Dominic Danucci. Oh no. <laughs> If I was a wrestler in like the seventies and I was like five foot five, I'd do everything I could to become Andre's best friend. Just so I can go with him everywhere and be in the battle royal and be like the little guy that gets thrown around and makes him look even bigger than he is. Yeah. You know, I've discussed well, I don't this know. on Sorry? No, I've discussed this on Stick to Wrestling before. It's been a while, but 
growing up, little kid, they talk about the Boston, the Battle Royal coming to, to the Boston Garden. It just sounded like the greatest thing ever. You've got all oh, yeah. 20 guys in the promotion and they're fighting each other. And it sounded like a dream match. And then it, 82, I saw my first Battle Royal and it was like the, the, just an, an immense disappointment. And not only was the match horrible, the match wrecked the rest of the card because they they had it on early. They made you think that, okay, the promoters will be filling out the rest of this card based on who is not injured from this battle royal. And they just put on the worst matches of uh, imaginable. I mean, they already had your ticket yeah. money. Yeah, right. The first battle, royal, first battle royal I saw was Andre the Giant's last match in WWF. Wow. At the Nassau Coliseum, won by Kerry Von Erich. Oh, man. I believe. <laughs> oh, gee. Have you ever been to a WrestleMania Live, Brian? Uh, WrestleMania 10. I had fourth row tickets. Oh, wow. That yeah, was, a, that was when Randy Savage chased me, Mark Cooperman, and his uh, brother-in-law out of the I fucking... I didn't realize that was at Mania. Out of the bathroom. <laughs> that was at WrestleMania 10, yeah. Oh, man, you got to get out of here. <laughs> Macho man, we gotta piss. I don't give a. F- I don't care what you gotta do. You gotta go. <laughs> <laughs> and that's where they finished the match that night. It was incredible. Oh boy. What about you, John? Have you ever been to one live? They had WrestleMania 13 in Boston, and we we talked about this recently on Stick to Wrestling. I, I didn't go. And I didn't have a reason to not go. I just think that were there were like 18, 19,000 more uh, people that wanted to go just more than I did. <laughs> that makes no sense, I know, but no. I, I get on a plane and I go to Smoky Mountain Wrestling in Barberville, Kentucky, but I can't get in the car and go to WrestleMania. But do you think there are uh, certain things that you enjoy more at home, sitting in comfort, where, whatever, on the couch, in a chair, on the floor, whatever it may be, in comfort with your food and sometimes well, it's easier to enjoy that than schlepping over to the arena putting up with people and where's where's uh, the yeah. hot dog guy i haven't seen the fucking hot yeah, dog guy in a I while get... <laughs> yeah I you're right older. i mean i i watch it with my friends in my living room and i had a good time doing it but i do regret not going to wrestlemania 13 just so i could say hey i was there yeah i i, I... It's the same with concerts now, too. I don't want to go to anything big, <laughs> especially after the pandemic. And, oh, I'm going to sweat in here. with it, it, And it's just a chore to get to the show and things like that. Having said that, I went to a, you know, for me, <laughs> yeah. I went to a lot of wrestling shows this year. I was just oh, wow. counting them up and I was almost embarrassed. You know, <laughs> you know don't. Don't talk about XPW yet because we have someone else who's going to be on the show from California in a little bit. So let him hear some of that talk in case he has any thoughts too. Oh my goodness. Yeah. yeah what have yeah. you gone to other than XPW? Uh, now, I don't consider going to Albany. <laughs> Albany is like 90 minutes away. I have friends there and I like a lot of stores, you know, and uh, places to eat. And I like the. I like Albany and I like the nearby towns, Troy and Schenectady. Goofy as that sounds. Yeah. So what are you saying? You're saying it doesn't count because you actually like other things in those towns. So you'd be there anyway. I, it adds, (laughs) it adds to the experience. You know, if I'm going, you know, but I'm saying I wouldn't go to New York for a show anymore. You know, I don't, I can't think of anything going on in wrestling that I would travel out of state for. 
Um, Going into Manhattan is the worst experience in the world now. It's horrible. It is bad. Yeah, yeah. that's that's what I'm saying. You know, you're right in that in that regard that, that it that it's a hassle to go to a big building and go to a show. You know, I went to the Garden. It's this a hassle to go to the Bowery Ballroom. Ballroom to see a show if you're driving in. Yeah, yeah, that's true. And uh, the older <clears> we get, the more of a you know the more of an annoyance that it is. You know, but I just because I have friends to hang out with and there's usually a rock and roll show that I can fit in during the weekend and things like that. I ended up going to a bunch of shows down in Albany and, uh, uh, without discussing, I can discuss whatever you like. <laughs> I went to, um, my crib notes here. I can't even remember them all. I went to a dynamite taping in, in September at the MVP arena. Oh, that's right. Yeah. I went to that, uh, like a month later, uh, I went to the Washington Avenue Armory. Now I love going to shows there. It's a classical building. That was our, uh, it's much bigger and much grander, but, uh, that was our old classic building in Albany. I never went to it when I was a kid, but they had impacts bound for glory, uh, pay-per-view <laughs> at, at the Washington Avenue Armory. So my friends and I went to that, you know, um, month later, uh, Monday night raw came, uh, to, to the, to the same place where the impact or where the, uh, where the AEW taping was the MVP arena. A friend of ours had got tickets for us. So, uh, we went to that. Um, and because it was on the way, uh, we'll, can discuss it at length later. <laughs> I ended up at an XPW death match show in Newark, New Jersey. And that was uh, oh, uh, another one. Yeah. An, an, an experience of a lifetime. I'll, I'll say that as a preview. Uh, and I think I went to an independent show the weekend of the, uh, the weekend of the, uh, pro Wrestling Hall of Fame, International Pro Wrestling Hall of Fame in Albany. Uh, that weekend, they had an independent show over in the swing in town of Water Valite. And, uh, and that was really, really cheap and god-awful. One of those there's a second year in a row where a local promotion ran an independent show that weekend to take advantage of the fact that there be some wrestling fans in town, you know, and you put on a live show and things. And that show is so overbooked with, you know, local, <clears throat> local guys and guys from the Northeast and things like that. The highlight, uh, put it this way. And I don't mean to put him down when I say this, the highlight of that show was seeing Mike Kalua on the show. <laughs> King Kalua. Wow. In 2023. He, he, was he looked, he looked great, and he was funny as all hell. I mean, he was he wrestling was in the great. '80s. He was wrestling in the mid '80s, yeah. early that, '80s. That guy, yeah. that guy, as as much as you remember him, as much as you've seen him, and as long as he's been around, he never ever got a, a shot in the WWE. I think he said he he did one TV match. I went, wow, <laughs> how is how is that possible? Think of all the bums they've had over the years. But uh, but other than that, on these 
shows that they had the last two years. It's a local group that runs the shows and you know how they do the best they can, but Oh, it was bad. And it was held in this big building that was called a uh, water Valite, which is a tiny town outside Albany. And this was called the water Valite dome, even though it, it is not dome like in its structure. <laughs> it's like a big pole barn, you know? And this year, for some reason, one entire side, imagine an old school promoter, one entire side of that building was off, you know? There was just a big fence, you know, like you'd put up like at a cage match, you know? There was just a big fence on one. So literally anybody that wanted to go to that show could just go to the side of the building and stand there and watch it for nothing. <laughs> <You know? laughs> That's the thing, Watts. Oh, yeah, we got a new town. I think we're going to draw really good. Except there's one whole, whole side of the building is missing, and people can just stand there. It's like a jailhouse show. Yeah, and then when I watched the show, I knew why they weren't worried. <laughs> people you outside want... were going, oh, let's go get something to eat. Uh, you, know, you, you guys want to know how dumb I am? I'm... He, Scott is talking and he says the Washington Street Armory, right? I'm like, wow, I'm surprised it's not like the Dunkin' Donuts Center or something like that. And I'm going like, I'm thinking to myself, Brian, buy the naming rights to this. It can be the Arcadian Vanguard Arena. And then I'm like, oh. but it's an armory. It's an armory. <laughs> we would all have to be armed beautiful. to be there. A, be a beautiful building, except it was at the... Uh... At the impact show, it was soiled by the grand return of, uh, of Bully Ray as the top heel. <laughs> what was the My uh, least favorite wrestler ever? Yeah, a lot of people say oh, that. God. What was the energy like at that show, Scott? What was the energy like at an impact? Uh, was it a pay-per-view or a TV taping? It was It's their big pay-per-view. The first time they've ever run Albany. <laughs> and they had their Bound for Glory, which I think is supposedly their premier uh, uh, show of the year. That's, such a, no that's such a WCW, like, we're coming to Troy, New York move. We're running our biggest show ever for the first time ever in New York, yeah. in Albany. It, I was surprised that some of the people that they came out, because I don't, I don't watch Impact, but some of the people that came out, the audience was super into. Yeah, the, adder, ad, the uh, energy wasn't lacking, uh, but yeah, it just was average. There were a ton of people on there that I've only ever heard about and never saw, had never seen before. And then after I saw it, I knew why. <laughs> Jordan Grace being one of them. Uh, controversial figure, all of this, you know, she's gotten into some kind of a ripped bodybuilder type physique and she was just lousy, you know, <laughs> nothing to it. But yeah, a big deal made of the fact that Bully Ray was back in uh impact and i, I i'll shamelessly say you had a topic the other day what was the angriest you've ever, <laughs> you've ever <gotten laughs> the wrestling. maddest wrestling ever made us the yes. maddest i think it was more just participatory <laughs> but bully ray was out there so much and i was with my friend nick and i couldn't stop myself from booing and shouting vociferously uh every time he was out there at one point i was channeling terry funk and i'm going pig 
and and poor Nick looks at me like like I've lost my mind, which I think I had. <laughs> oh man, it was bad. We saw a lot of people on that show that that was their last shot that night. I think Mia Yim left the next day. I know that uh, the Kingdom Maria and Mike Bennett and whoever their other guy is, they Matt all Taven. left the next day. Yeah, Matt Taven. There you go. Yeah, uh, opening match was this guy Speedball Mike Bailey, and he does a lot of really quick, spectacular stuff. And I think he wrestled Kazarian, so they got off to a hot start, and the audience was really into it. And then it just sort of level off, leveled off from there. But it wasn't, you know, it wasn't full. It wasn't quite. Ha- it wasn't an embarrassing turnout, and the audience seemed halfway into it. And we got in for practically nothing. So. <laughs> well, there you go. So it worked out for everybody. Another, well, I'm working the line trying to find somebody with an extra ticket, and Nick is a little reluctant. He said, "He said, oh, let's just go. Let's just go get tickets." I said, oh, I said, "Look, I, you know, <laughs> if I don't get a free ticket, you know, <laughs> or something very cheap, I'm not going in." <laughs> <laughs> I, I'd be ashamed to even admit I paid full price to go to an impact show, <laughs> but, but not, no, 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 uh, I don't mean anything bad by that necessarily, but I'm not their, their typical fan, but I go up near the window and some people bought tickets and I think they thought it was a rave or something. That's what their excuse was. And they were looking to get rid of them and i think i gave i think i gave 10 or 20 dollars for two tickets right up front you, you, didn't, you didn't notice him it was ed nordholm the guy running the company <laughs> those tickets. <laughs> at least it wasn't carrie silken <laughs> tickets available on the door on the door That's as he right. put in the ad in the newspaper because he's a complete fucking moron carrie silken <laughs> hey i want to ask you about I the what, what were you gonna say I thought I knew that would set you off. That always does. <laughs> it's still the maddest I've gotten over wrestling was Carrie Silken ripping us off. But I oh, want to ask you about the Dynamite show. I want to ask you about the Dynamite show you went to, but let's ask a baseball topic. John, I'll throw it to you, but Scott, chime in. Another hey, Brian, <laughs> can, I, can I share a, a funny baseball ticket purchasing experience with, with your audience? Why not? Okay, I went to game six of the 1986 World Series at Shea Stadium. And we get there, and the, the I'm going, I'm with two guys who are older than me. And they're like, yeah, we know a guy at the ticket window. Um, he'll, get, he'll give you tickets at a discount. He has them, but there's a password. Just go up and say plastic. So I walk up to this guy, and I look at him. I'm like, plastic. He's like, what? Plastic. And he's looking at me like I'm an idiot. I see my two friends cracking up in the background. <laughs> I got pranked, Brian, but go ahead. Well, what I was going to say is let's talk about a rule change. John, you go first. Bigger bases. I I don't like it aesthetically. They look like uh, big pizza boxes on the bases. <laughs> but, what, I mean, what, is, what was the reason for it? They're saying it'll make it safer for plays at different bases. Also, so safer for player safety, I guess I'll call it. And also it will lead to more steals, which will make the game more exciting. 
okay, I don't see how six extra inches is going to make steals go up. I mean, if it, uh, how are the players safer with the larger bases? If it does go up, if somehow this season a player steals 150 bases, should there be an asterisk or an asterisk? Everyone calls it different things. Should there be one of those squiggly little ball things next to that player compared to a Ricky Henderson or a Lou Brock? Categorically, no. Um, I've never thought that, um, you know, anyone, uh, I, I've never thought that Hank Aaron deserved an asterisk. I've never thought that Roger Maris deserved an asterisk. Um, you know, a stolen base is a stolen base. I mean, stolen bases were more plentiful in the 80s than they are now. And, you know, I mean, it's just the way it was back in the 80s. But you're cutting the distance. Because each bag is bigger, so the distance is smaller, so it's not a fair... I mean, look, the baseball always changes. There are always different things. But that's the thing. If someone goes crazy and just sets base running records, that's where it's like, eh, I don't know. I'm not a big fan of the bigger bases. I agree. Aesthetically, it looks like crap. And I'm sick of them just doing things to decide... They decide it's going to make baseball safer. You can't barrel over the catcher anymore <laughs> because Buster Posey got hurt once. But what were you going to say, Scott? It's just I was asking who 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 advocates for that? Who who examines that and says, "Oh man, we've really got to do something about this." You know? Major League Baseball is instituting a series of rule changes this year, which they think will promote baseball to a bigger audience and cause more—I don't know what you want to call them—the casual baseball fan to yeah. tune in and stay involved longer because the game will be hypothetically more action-packed and a lot more will be happening and it will end quicker. Okay. I, 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 about I, the I'm sorry. Go, go ahead, Scott. No, I, I couldn't. I like the game of baseball. I can watch a big baseball game and be entertained, but I don't follow baseball. I wouldn't even be called a casual baseball fan, but now you got me thinking this bigger basis thing. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> and if you're into counting there's now going to be a pitch clock so oh man win-win i just felt a tingle <laughs> <laughs> all right well that's what that's what's going to make the difference Scott, me, go ahead john throw something in on the on the asterisk thing there were people who argued that willie mays was in fact a better home run hitter than hank aaron but willie mays played in an extreme pitcher's park whereas hank aaron played in more of a hitter's park just the way it goes man yeah, it, no, that's no true. asterisk for hank aaron although let's point out willie mays if he hadn't played you know again the polo grounds wasn't easy and he left that to go to candlestick and play out in the wind so he yeah. really didn't have an easy time any place, but it's like that old discussion, how many home runs would DiMaggio have hit if he was a Red Sox, and would Ted Williams have hit if he was a Yankee? I mean, there's always those, how many home runs they could have hit if, if they were in a different ballpark. Think of this. <laughs> if there was a player whose name was like Fucky Kunstein, he'd have- <laughs> There was, at 30, least, 1930s. <laughs> there would be at least four asterisks. <laughs> in the sports section yeah. uh what was uh dynamite like scott live very dull i i told this story <laughs> this shows you don't listen to, uh, to, to 
to John's show. I told this story on John's show. Um, you know, I wanted to see it. I wanted to see Tony. I wanted to see the presentation. I wanted to see MJF and whatnot. And I'm trying to think of who Danielson wrestled that night, but that was the only thing that was, was even, even MJF was, it wasn't one of his stronger promos. They did almost nothing to promote that show live. And it was a really, a uh, the entire second and third levels. Well, they do this at raw now too, but the entire second and third levels were roped off. I, I mean, we're, we're blank, you know, they had large, uh, black cloth covering them up um and the the first section and the floor uh it was just an embarrassing turnout i i sat with some people from the uh from the uh pro wrestling hall of fame in some section that was obviously like comp tickets and uh we weren't on camera but there was no one anywhere near us for like two whole sections embarrassing turnout uh, really badly promoted as far as far as I could say, and nothing really of note happened during the show. You know, nothing too outrageous. Some of the people seemed to be off. I think Kenny was not back. I can't I can't remember if the Bucks were on the show. They do something because some of these shows that they're doing on Wednesday don't draw. This is one of them that didn't draw, and they were building to their return to Arthur Ashe Stadium. So they had everything big planned for Arthur Station Stadium. I don't think, and uh, and uh, you know that that was just it. There's really nothing. It was it was like any other TV taping. It was quite dull. Um, I tell you that I got there uh, and was looking at the at the Hall of Fame, which is right in the same complex in the MVP Arena complex. I was walking through the Hall of Fame, and I managed to finagle a ticket from the hall of fame which i would rather make a small donation to the hall of fame and get a ticket from them than to go to the box office and pay for for an aew ticket um so i missed part of aew dark and i missed what was people are still talking about as one of the worst promo if not the worst promo of the year uh i missed uh Marina Shafir uh, doing the promo that she did at AEW Dark with Vicky oh, Guerrero. Man. That was the best promo yeah. ever. I know. <laughs> but so, uh, so Dynamite goes on, you know, t- at eight o'clock and it just was nothing. It, the MJF came out and did like, the, I think that's when he still had like a whole faction of people with Stokely Hathaway or something. And I think he just sort of came out to introduce that thing. He didn't do much of anything, didn't really say much of anything. And all the stuff they had lined up just seemed kind of dull, you know? And uh, what, were the, what was the, like the most hardcore fans there? Were they really into everything? Or what kind of crowd? What did the crowd seem like to you? That's what I'm interested in. Were they into it? it? Was it, it a casual audience that would go to WWE if they were there? Uh, I'm sure that it's the same people, although the WWE show that I saw a couple of months later was, was, same building and of course it was completely packed you know although they did have the upper the the top level uh uh, blocked off um but 
yeah, they were they were not rabid fans or anything like that. And again, it was kind of a downbeat atmosphere because there were so few people there. You know, I did see some attention to detail, which I thought was was wild. The section we were sitting in um, was not, you know, the cameras were facing away from our section. I guess there were some handheld cameras and stuff uh, that might show that section. And on the bottom of each seat is like a seat number on a little metal tab, you know? And they had some guy while we were sitting in our section, they had some guy going through every row to every seat and putting a piece of tape over that little tab so that it wouldn't shine on the camera during the show. (laughs) 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 You poor pathetic soul. You know, I hope, I hope Tony's picking up your trans too. He is. He is. But, but, um, so what I did was, um, I had seen Roxy music at the garden two nights before that. And when I decided to go and check out AEW, uh, I had also heard that like two blocks down the street, uh, this, this singer St. Vincent was appearing at a club. I had just seen him. I just seen her on Monday open for Roxy music. And she was great. She really impressed me. And she, you know, she really put it all out there in front of the garden crowd. And they all went wild for her. She gutsy, stage dived and did all kinds of stuff. She was like a feet watching like a female prince, you know, very impressive. Uh, and literally the the day of the show, I'm like, eh, do I want to go down to Albany to that, to AEW? And somebody says, are you going to go see St. Vincent? Uh, she's appearing at Empire Live, which is like, two blocks away from the arena. And I went, wow, really? To see her in a club show would be something else. I had just seen her two nights earlier. So at nine o'clock, I walked out of the MVP arena, two blocks up the street, walked right in exactly on time to see St. Vincent, watched her show. The place was packed and sweaty, which was a big concern to me because we were still uh, still easing our way off the pandemic, you know? and. Uh, I watched the show. The show was fantastic. Turn around, walk back to the arena. It's quarter of 11. The matches are still going on. (laughs) I literally walked out of the arena, went to a concert, had a great time, and went back and finished up the wrestling. (laughs) Roxy Music at MSG. Wow. Yeah, yeah. They they didn't draw. I I don't expect you'll ever see another. Oh, yeah. What was the crowd like? It was small. Um, and here's something funny that happened, just a ticketing thing. Uh, bear in mind, if you ever go to a show <laughs> like this, we didn't really know. I didn't think it would be sold out. Uh, and it wasn't embarrassing, but it was a, it was not half full. Um, so we get there, and my brother had gotten not the best seats in the house, but he got his seats on the second level. Perfectly fine. I don't have to be in the pit up against the stage anymore, you know? Uh, and as we're walking around and this was true of other places they played on the tour, uh, they're saying, Oh folks, uh, make sure you, you go through this gate and check for an upgrade. You may be eligible for an upgrade. And so we go, huh, eligible for an upgrade. So we go through there and with our second level tickets, 
they say, oh, your section is open. You can go right in. Uh, okay. So basically, they didn't want anybody in like the, the upper second or third level. So literally, if you bought the cheapest ticket possible for the upper third level and the garden, they upgraded you to the first level. We had we had to sit in the second level because our seats were too good. <laughs> Hello? Makes sense. <laughs> How was the it show? It wasn't bad. What, uh, the guitar player, uh, Phil Manzanera, and the and the sat they were great, and the visuals were cool and all this. Uh, and it's great to hear all those unbelievable songs. Brian Ferry maybe losing the voice a little bit you know i saw him play a solo show maybe five years ago that was fantastic and the voice is a little a little weaker a little worse for wear and uh but the guitar player and andy mckay the uh sax player were really on fire it was really a, a pleasure to see them you know just brought down a little bit by the fact that the turnout wasn't so great but but it was a good show and saint vincent was really good yeah, Madison Square Garden seemed very, to me, very ambitious for Roxy Music. Yeah. Nothing against the band. Especially right now, yeah. really, 2023. Who would think that they would fill that building even halfway? And, yeah, Madison no. Square and I like them. I, years and years ago, I think one of the last times they ever toured, and I don't know how long ago that was, but it was a long time, they played the theater. You know, they played what they used to call the Felt Forum, you know, and they filled that, you know. Um it, it it's different, yeah. I, and I think they found that in a lot of the other locations. I was hearing a similar thing where people were going, "Oh, wow, we went to the show and we had cheap ass tickets, and they gave us really nice ones." You know, <laughs> so don't expect another major Roxy music tour. So if you haven't seen them, you're not going to. <laughs> what do you think of going to the Garden in general right now? You've been to it so many times over the years. It really would have to be for something special. Uh, there's there's it still has an aura about it you know it's still the garden and thank god it's still the garden it's not the you know it's not the dunkin donuts garden you know it's not the, you know, it's not the uh yeah, the just K wait. kfc yum it's not the kfc yum garden just wait until james Dolan yeah. runs out of money and then it will be but at least i've never had to sit through james dolan's uh rock band you know? oh my god have you ever googled it to see what his band sounds like like him is it's really not the band's fault i hate to blame the band it's him <laughs> it's him trying to be a bluesman oh it's the fozzy of blues bands right <laughs> <laughs> pretty much wow well i'll tell you what john i know you have to get running in a moment so uh before we go any closing well first of all who's gonna win the world Always series in a this hurry year? this john He's always yeah. in a hurry. He's a busy guy. Who's going to win the World guy. Series this year? This year, I predict that for the first time since the 1999-2000 series, we will have a repeat champion in the Houston Astros. Even with Altuve being out for the first couple months, or I guess around that period of time, yeah. Uh, yeah, even with that, and I'm not one of these people who hates Altuve. He's a great player. Um, He's a great let, player, absolutely. Let bygones be bygones, if we will. But, I mean, just up and down that lineup and the and the pitching staff, and plus, I can't see anyone else winning their division, and I think that's very important. Uh, I am going with the Houston Astros to repeat. 
All right. Any picks on MVP since you did so well last year? Since I did so well last year, I am actually going to go with I'm going to go with Juan Soto to have a a bounce back season in the National League. In the American League, I I'm not going to go with Volpe. I'm not going to double down on that. Yeah, you know what? In the American League, here, okay, here's a crazy pick. You ready? I have the feeling Jose Abreu has one more really good season in him, and he won't actually be the best player, but he'll get the votes. All right, that's an interesting pick. I don't know. I mean, it may be a difficult season in Chicago this year for both teams. Yes. But, John, before you go, let the listeners know a little bit about Stick to Wrestling with John McAdam. Stick to Wrestling is part of the Arcadian Vanguard uh, series of podcasts. We just recorded episode number 250 with the great Brian Last as the guest. You can download that and listen to it now. Uh, Stick to Wrestling, We, if you give us 60 seconds, we will give you a Wicked Good and Raw Bone podcast. Um, it's out weekly, and I, I hope it's a lot of fun to listen to. I thought we had a, a really good episode 251 that's coming out, the... Uh, last day of of March 2023. Very cool. Check that out. McAdamPod.com or look for Stick to Wrestling with John McAdam wherever you find your favorite podcast. But John? I, I always enjoy when the uh, hot dog soundbite opens the show like it did on episode 250. Well, there you hear it. An endorsement from Scott Cornish, the okay. noted wrestling humorist. But John, noted wrestling humorist. That's right. John will be talking and- to you soon. Brian, thank you for having me on this. I'm always very appreciative. We love having you on, and we'll talk to you again on the Super Podcast very soon, or maybe on Stick to Wrestling very soon, one or the other. But have a good evening, and uh, let's go Mets. All right. And, Scott, always good getting caught up up with you. Oh, my, my pleasure. Take it easy. And with that, John McAdam has left. (laughs) This phone call will add someone else in a moment. How you doing? I'm hanging in there, doing okay. Glad that uh, spring is here. <laughs> yeah, well, how did you get much snow this year? It, nothing we can't deal with. Um, I, I say up here, the, at the very least, it was a, it was a mild winter for us. Um, there wasn't anything that brought things to a standstill. or the, you know, It definitely was cold, but uh, the snow was... You know, just what we're used to, nothing too tragic. I say we're we're, we're sort of uh, so used to it up here, places like Syracuse, especially Oswego and Buffalo that just get just get buried every year. That was the only that was the only uh, really terrible thing was that that it uh, I I use Amtrak quite a bit. And for a while, Buffalo was so buried that all the train all the passenger trains uh in new york state were cut because you couldn't go up to buffalo you couldn't go through buffalo from canada um so yeah that, that was all shut down for a couple of weeks but uh but not a terrible thing like i said uh, you know other other parts of the country they get an inch of snow and and everything grinds to a halt they don't know what to do you know <laughs> We get a foot of snow and we go, well, I better just start snowing, start shoveling this crap, you know? <laughs> yeah, we got barely any this year. It sucked. I missed it. <laughs> yeah. Do you ski? I do not. That'd be a problem.
<laughs> I just saw the Gwyneth Paltrow trial on TV earlier. The uh, the clips of it, at least from I, today. I, I'm not I'm not aware of that at all. Other than it appears to be a thing. I don't know what's going on there. I know that she was in like Shakespeare in Love, and she won an Oscar years ago. <laughs> and, and like there's a few other movies. Like she was in a few Wes Anderson films, I think. But other than that, terrible act. No, but other than that, I don't think I've ever watched her in any movie. And she seems to be yeah. a really annoying person. Every article I read is about like her steaming her vagina or whatever the fuck is going on. <laughs> and now this guy's like, yeah, she skied into me. And her like defense is, he skied into me. <laughs> so I don't know what to think of this whole thing. Yeah. Well, it's celebrity trials. I, I haven't heard that this one is as good as the... Uh... Amber Heard Johnny Depp trial from last year. Oh my god, that was ridiculous. Did you watch much of that? Not a lot, but Wait, oh, you only needed I, to see a little bit, to be honest with you. Oh yeah. Yeah, same thing. Same thing. He's good. Boy, I used to like seeing him in movies. Now I can't even imagine watching a movie with him in it. <laughs> you know the- I like but you talk about Jericho. Oh my god. Johnny Depp on stage with the, with his hired band, you know. Alice Cooper and Joe Perry. You know, that's, and, that's and the thing. Yeah. He thinks he's a rock star now. He he actually looks disgusting now because, you know, he, he thought he, he decided to play Keith Richards and then he, he became Keith Richards. No, well, it's it's two. It's he decided he was going to be Hunter S. Thompson and he decided he was going to be Keith Richards. Right. Right. And all of a sudden, yeah, like good even, role models. Yeah. Even like the good way models. he speaks, it's like he's it, it almost sounds like he's trying to channel Hunter S. Thompson when he talks. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's enough that that those guys tolerate him to where you can hang out with him and stuff like this. Like the last time he came through the area, you know, he was on shows with 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 Jeff Beck. You know, it it just like, <laughs> yeah, I'd like to see Jeff Beck, but I don't want to sit here and pay for Johnny Johnny Depp whack off on the guitar. You know, you see, I think a John Stamos has more musical credibility because he's at least in the background <laughs> playing bongos or whatever. <laughs> He's not all the way in the front doing it. Yeah. He was hiding. At least on you stage. can avoid you can <laughs> avoid him because he he goes out with the shitty version of the Beach Boys. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't heard a good fuck my love story in a while. Something has to happen uh, he's, soon. He's still awful. Uh did you ever hear his version of Rockaway Beach? Mike Love? <laughs> no, I, obviously I have not heard that the Ramones classic Rockaway Beach Mike Love did a cover of it yeah and it's it is just as just as soul shattering as you might think it's just awful <laughs> you want to talk about something I don't know why I, I thought of this the other day but <laughs> I went down a rabbit hole like looking for information because I was like I don't know enough about this so you bring up the Beach Boy situation Apparently, I forget the guy's name, the original lead singer of the Village People. Okay. The guy that kicked out of the band, and like, not band, the guy that kicked out of the group in like 1980. The guy whose voice Victor is the only somebody. voice you recognize for any Village People song. Victor somebody. Vic, the only, the, the straight member of the group who was married to uh, Felicia ah. Rashad. So. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, well, before she was Rashad, I believe. <laughs> but he was married ah. to her. And. He was... At the time that they were married, she was known as Felicia Policeman. <laughs> well, he was the policeman of the that village people. Yeah, that was her married name. Though. They kicked him out. They just got another African-American singer to be the policeman. 
another release, but <laughs> I, didn't, and then, I didn't know that. Well, I didn't know too much about it either, but for whatever reason, I decided, like, whatever happened to, like, the original Village People? Like, where did they all go? And mm-hmm. one of them died of cancer in, like, 1990. Apparently it wasn't, apparently it was, like, lung cancer. The Indian yeah. is still alive. The original cowboy's alive, but he has nothing to do with any of them. (laughs) I think the original construction worker may be alive. The other guy, I don't know. The military guy, he may be missing in action. But at some point... The original original construction worker is is working construction now. (laughs) He's working, that's right, downtown Lower Manhattan. Yeah, Yeah, he didn't even have to get a new hat. So there was a touring touring village people group with the original Native American... Uh, when I, originally he was called the Indian, but the Native American in the yeah. village people, and maybe the construction worker every now and then, and then out of nowhere, okay. off drugs apparently, and in his late sixties, the original singer decided to sue for the rights, and he got it. Oh boy! So he now, after like forty years, has control of the village people. And he kicked out all the other members, and he replaced oh. them. So now there's just like a whole bunch of like. Guys that don't look like they fit in the village people. It's like the stereotypical, I have a mustache, I'm in a leather jacket, I must be the biker. Like, nothing works. Yeah. It's just generic village people with the original lead singer who's now like 350 pounds, and he's still wearing the yeah, police I mean. outfit. Imagine they're all, all these guys are all old and fat and slow. That's what you want to see. They can't even do the YMCA thing. Young man, where? Where? <laughs> Not up no, there. No, I mean the dance move, the YMCA. That's right. But um, oh, I hadn't heard that. I I see the cowboy's name around New York. He's just, you know, he's like a gay icon. He lives in a West in Village the, or something, because I see him in the Post every now and then. I'm I'm told he's a very nice guy, and he he you know supports a lot of. A lot of good causes and such. You better not say anything bad. He'll name. get his lasso out and capture you. There you go. <laughs> well, you examine uh, some of those some of those Beach Boys songs. <laughs> wow, how did that get on the air? You know, even even today. <laughs> yeah. So it's now Mike Love. Who's in his band? Mike Love, Bruce Johnston. Uh, oh, that makes sense. When available, when available, uh, Stamos on drums. Um. What, what about Ricky Fatar? Not if Ricky <laughs> Fatar plays with um, <laughs> plays with uh, Bonnie Raitt now. Oh no shit! I actually just pulled that uh, out of thin air. I didn't think he was doing anything right now. I didn't know that. Wow. No, he does very well. It just uh, some friends of mine that are in that are in NRBQ did a bunch of dates opening for Bonnie Raitt, who loves them, just adores them. And I got to see a bunch of pictures of them posing with Ricky Fatar, and they were all very. Excited to meet one of the Ruddles. <laughs> a Ruddle and a Beach Boy. How cool is that? Yeah, that's very cool. Uh, but uh, mm. is Stamos in the group yeah. now? The last time they came through this area, he was with them. I, it's based on availability, you know. But I mean, nobody's knocking down doors to hire Stamos to act anymore. <laughs> he probably fills it a lot. Of, he can drum, you know. He, you know. And I like, you know, so yeah, he, 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 he's there often as not as the, as the drummer for the Mike Love, Bruce Johnson version. Uh, did you ever hear the story about uh, Billy Miller from uh, Norton Records 
gets on a plane and he sees Bruce Johnston of the Beach Boys in first class. So Billy knows every obscure early record that any of these guys had when they were in early rockabilly bands. You know, he knows their whole history and all of this stuff, you know. So he goes by Bruce Johnston and he can't resist himself. And uh, Johnston is in first class and he says something. He drops the name of some obscure, like Bruce's first single before he was ever in the Beach Boys. And Bruce pops and says, oh, hang, hang on for a second. Let's let's chat, you know. So they chat about this and that for about five minutes. And uh, finally, you know, the plane's getting ready to take off or something. And Billy says, well, I, it's nice talking to you, Bruce. Nice to meet you. And he goes, yeah. And he says, uh, I better go back to my seat. I'm back here in coach. <laughs> Bruce, Johnson says, <laughs> Bruce Johnson says, if you see Al Jardine back there, tell him I said hi. <laughs> Oh, that's great. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> so is Al yeah. Jardine playing with Brian Wilson? Yes. Yeah, he really... Uh, and David Marks? And, uh, the, <laughs> uh, Marks was, was there for a while, and I think he's out of the band now. Um, but it's Brian. It's most of a band called the Wondermints, who are really good, except their, their guitar player passed away. Uh, and... Al Jardine, Al Jardine's son, Al Jardine's son handles the high harmonies that, uh, that Brian and Al don't, don't, don't quite get to anymore. And I saw, I saw that. And Blondie Chaplin is in that band too. And Blondie comes out and sings Wild Honey and a couple other songs. It's just fantastic. Oh, cool. oh that's cool. Yeah, it, it's worth seeing, except that it's disturbing seeing Brian Wilson at this point. Cause he just sits there like a, you know, like a statue. Yeah. They lead him out by the hand, sits at his organ and plays and sings a little bit. And, but the band is so good and the songs are so magnificent. Uh, you, I'd say to go see it, you know, if you've, if you got the chance, you know, even, even the, the Mike love, I, the, two years after I saw Brian, and he played the he played the smile or uh, in its entire or no he played pet sounds in its entirety um and then a bunch of hits and stuff like that but while he was playing pet sounds he kept saying like he was afraid people were going to get up and leave if they didn't hear a hit you know <laughs> he must have said two or three times he goes yeah we're we're playing uh, pet sounds in its entirety uh, uh we'll we'll be rocking again right after this <laughs> You know, like, like, please don't leave. Everybody came here to sh to see me. Please don't leave. You know, we're gonna play. You know, we're gonna play fun, fun, fun in a little while. Please don't go. You we'll know, be walking uh, again. I like that. We'll be. He, he said it at least three times. We're we're gonna be rocking again here in a minute. Um, and uh, he's become like Wesley great. Willis. <laughs> Not quite to that to that degree, but. Uh, yeah, it's it, it's it's a little. He's being led around now, and maybe he needs some money, and I don't know what. But you know, you could tell he'd be just as happy being at home, or happier being at home, than he is on stage. And now he's an opening act. This year he went out with Chicago, and he opened. You know, um, uh, but um, if you got the chance, and they were doing something like that, like playing all of that sound, I'd say go see it. You know, and even. Um, Mike Love is a creep, but yeah, you 
<laughs> you can't deny those songs, you know, an hour of those songs, one more incredible song than the next, you know, and you just go, wow, this is something else. But well, yeah, t- there was that brief period brief period where they all got together for like the, whatever their anniversary was a 40th or 50th anniversary. Yeah. I missed them on that, on that tour. Well, I'll tell you, well, let me uh, try to add someone here and let's see if this works. This may work. It may sound like shit, but we will find out. I'm, ad- <laughs> I'm adding this person now, but Do it I can't, like shit? it can't be any worse than Scott Cornish's phone. Yes. Oh dear. <laughs> it produces like a little hiccup sound. Hold on. Mm-hmm. We are calling this person. This person may have no idea we're calling. I probably should have messaged this person that we were calling him. But we're calling this person. Maybe I should hang this up and let him know. Hold on. That's going to hang up you. <laughs> Don't do that. All right, you well, didn't give me any warning either. Yeah, well, you kind of had a heads up. I did. And I'm so desperate for human contact. I'm asking him if he's ready. How you doing otherwise? Pretty good. Yeah, pretty good. I'm anxious to get out there and see some music. I've seen a couple of small shows. I remember John Spencer from John Spencer Blues Explosion. Yeah, of course. Uh, uh, Pussy Galore. I saw him in Albany. And I think I'm I think I'm done with really big shows. Like I said, like Springsteen, I've never seen him. He's coming through the area. Man, even his and fans I'm, are done with him. I've been reading a lot of shit about that. Same set every night, and I've seen the ticket prices and the yeah. ticket prices. And, but in the end, his fans will somehow justify even that. You know, they'll go far distances to see him, and with good reason. He always delivered a big show. Guy's in his 70s now. I mean, he's not, he looks good. He's not decrepit or anything. But I saw some video of it, and I'm not a big fan of Little Steven at all. Uh, or Big Steve, way, as, he, as he should be called yeah. now. Or Rhoda with that uh, <laughs> motto on his head. <laughs> oh, that's but, um, but, uh, uh, way too much clowning in the clips I saw. I said, I don't want to. I don't want to see that. You know. But, uh, <laughs> My least favorite thing is Patty Skialfa, Bruce's wife, who has an acoustic guitar plugged into nothing. If you ever see any, nah. <laughs> she's at the front of the stage, the front, so you can't ignore yep. her. And she's like rocking out of the acoustic, like there's one fan there for her. Ah, uh, what's even better about her is she doesn't make all the shows. Sometimes she just doesn't feel like. Do you want to <laughs> That's a good gig. Hobby has to show up and play for three hours. I'm just it's like the same set every night on this tour. And, you know, I, wa- I think I would have liked to have seen him at his peak, but I didn't. And so now I'm just going to say I didn't. I never got to see him. <laughs> well, let me, <laughs> no uh, let me try. I'm sorry for that sad story, but whoa, 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 whoa. Let me add someone else to the call. That's my Bruce <laughs> tribute right there. We are adding this person again. He says he was slow the first time. I may need to get up in a moment. I get another drink of water here because this one's almost finished. We are calling this person who claimed he was slow. Apparently, speed has not entered the picture yet. <laughs> it is still calling. Did you see that clip? Did you see that clip of the slow, uh, slow motion match? Kind of. I mean, like fifty people sent it to me on Twitter today. 
Awful. So eventually I checked it out. I didn't realize what it was because I wasn't paying attention. At this point, whenever people just start sending lots of clips of the same thing, I'm like, okay, I know this is just something that no one wants to see, so they want us to talk about it. Yeah. But once again, he wasn't there. What? What is going on? Mm. I just did. I call again. I was slow. I just did. Ha. <laughs> Woman I know went to see Springsteen when he was doing his acoustic uh, show in uh, on Broadway. Remember that a year or two ago? Yes, I do. Hold on, I'm going to try it again and, while you're uh, telling the story. Uh, her husband told me. I said, I said, I said, boy, the same thing. It was like, oh my god, the ticket prices. I said, well, yeah, she knew somebody who uh, who took her to the show and sprung for the tickets. I said, how was it? And he said, my wife said. That's a long show to sit without a drink. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. Three right. hours without a drink. Oh. All right, I'm hold back, on. You know? Let me try him. Let me hang up on this. Because this is going so well. Now, let me add <laughs> this. I'm going to try his phone number. Otis coming up blocked. Otis. Hello? He said Otis is coming up blocked? Yes, Otis is coming up blocked. I have no idea why he's that way. I think he eats too much. He eats pork fiber in his diet. Ladies and gentlemen, I can't even speak. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to <laughs> opening day Star Wars, the man who put Elvira on the map, Dan Farrell. Uh, welcome back I wish I was. Thank you very much. Nice to, nice to be here, Brian. Nice to talk to you again. Well, in a way you are. Can't you say that's an actual claim that someone well, other yeah. than yourself I mean, could make? Yeah, I did actually write the very first national article for Fangoria magazine on Elvira. Uh, oh, wow. And uh, it got repeated a couple of times. And it was, it was just the one of those, per it, it came out perfectly. I, I did it right about the time she did, she was doing the, um, the 3D movie. And I remember... Uh, when I contacted Fangoria, they said, oh, this is great because we just heard about her. So, I mean, it was one of those situations where it just was just at the right time. But, uh, yeah, it's been – I used to go see – we used to go see her uh, uh, at the Groundlings all the time when she was doing uh, improv right before Elvira. So we were kind of familiar wow. with her already. Also Ooh. on the line, the noted wrestling humorist Scott Cornish. Ah, of course. Good. I'm glad to talk – always glad to talk comedy with Scott. Well, thanks. And I'm uh, – in it – Next month, I'm going to see her old boyfriend, Tom Jones. <laughs> ah, yes. You read the book, too, huh? Uh, oh, I did. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. Do you know that, Brian? I have the book. I haven't read it. I read uh, Wilt Chamberlain in there, that whole story. But I did not okay. read uh, I did not read anything about Tom Jones yet. Mm. Yeah. She Apparently, very, very Tom. Young. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you tell the story, Dan. Oh, no, I, I just say, I, I, I forget the Tom Jones story, but I just keep remembering that talking about going to working in strip bars and she was doing her homework for high school at the same time. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, but uh, no, go ahead and tell the Tom story. Uh, I forget the Tom Jones story. Go ahead, Scott, tell that one. Tom Jones story, as I know it, is that uh, she lost her virginity to Tom Jones. Uh, That's right. Okay. She, she was like a young uh, showgirl and hadn't been with too many guys or whatever. And apparently Tom's girth caused a problem for young Cassandra. <laughs> and uh, so it wasn't, it wasn't a, a it wasn't a wonderful uh, 
rendezvous between the two of them. She, yeah. she even claimed he he kind of got pissed off because she was too uh, too inexperienced and uh, yeah. so forth. Well, welcome to the <laughs> why, Penthouse Forums why, edition of the Super Podcast here. Exactly. Why? 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 Yeah. Elvira. That's a little. That's, <laughs> well, that's that's an old reference. Ain't nobody gonna get that one. Uh, <laughs> she she still looks pretty good for whatever <laughs> age she is. She's seventy now. Oh, wow. Scott, I said I wanted to wait to hear about your XPW adventure until we had someone from Southern California on the phone. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. So you went to XPW Live recently? Because uh, everyone's, again, this is yes. another one of those clips everyone's sending me from like yesterday or a couple of days ago that I'm just not watching. Oh, but no. It, what did I didn't you go yesterday or a couple of days ago. <laughs> Please, <laughs> let me. Yeah, no. I, let me. But the venue and the general lineup of people on the show were the same. Uh, I told you a dull story about a dull show they did in Rob Black's uh, adopted home, you know, hometown of Rochester, where because it was uh, upstate New York and the athletic commission and stuff like that, they had to do, you know, like a clean XPW show, regular wrestling show, not too much blood. I think there was blood in one little match not too much mayhem or broken things or anything like this. Certainly no light tubes or anything, but apparently you go over the river to Newark, New Jersey, which you already (laughs) groaned when I brought that up. um, And all bets are off. You can do just as, (laughs) as you may have seen in recent clips, uh, you can get away with just about anything. Um, And they do streaming. And that's outside. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what. I was I was on a rare uh uh journey. This was all involved in the with the fact that uh uh if I'm going to a, like even like a rock and roll show, I like to go and see friends. Even if they don't go to the show with me, I like to go see people I know. Uh, you know, if I go to New York, I'll visit people that I haven't seen in several years now. Uh, for a show, I certainly I always see a certain bunch of people if I go to a rock and roll show in Albany. Um, so, a friend of mine who lives in Washington D.C. invited me down to go see NRBQ, and I love NRBQ. And my friend is a dear friend who I haven't seen since pre-pandemic. So, it all lined up great because I was going down to Washington to. to hang out with him for a day or two and see NRBQ, which I did. And it was fantastic. Uh, that was like on a Friday, the next day in the afternoon, uh, Billy Bremner from rock pile was playing a rare show in New York city. He's playing like an, like what Jamie Lee Curtis said. She wants, she wants rock bands to play matinee shows for us old people. You know, (laughs) I never had, since the first couple of times I saw Rockpile back in the 70s, uh, I'd never seen Billy Bremer. He just doesn't come to the States and tour anymore. So he was playing in Queens at a club, and I liked the club, and I knew a lot of people that were going to be at that. So I said, oh, I'll go see NRBQ. I'll take the train back and see Billy Bremner on Saturday afternoon. And as that's happening, and I'm sort of going back from Washington to New York, my friend Greg calls me and says, "Hey, you are you up in New York this weekend?" And I said, "Doesn't matter of fact, I am. I'm on my way to Queens." 
And he said, oh, he says, I I haven't decided yet, but I got invited down to to shoot pictures for the XBW show in oh, Newark. Oh, my God. And he sweetens the pot by telling me, he says, he says, now this could change, but our mutual friend Chuck Weber, Uncle Chuck Weber is coming. And Chuck rarely leaves Philadelphia, and I haven't seen Chuck in maybe 10 years. Uh, so I go, yeah, you know, <laughs> I think I can do this. I think I could go see Billy Bremer in the afternoon and get on the train <laughs> to, to uh, Newark from uh, Queens to Newark, quick trip, and go to the and go to the XBW show. Now, believe me, I know XBW does wild shit, and I knew that this was going to be a crazy show. I didn't realize it was all death matches, all every match, mm-hmm. like a death match. Um, and they do their shows in they do wild shows in California and wild shows at this place in, New, in Newark called the heart ballroom, like, like, like the, 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 like the bodily organ, the heart ballroom. Uh, is it a bad sign if you get to a town to their train station and you go out and get in a cab, you give him the address and he says, that doesn't show up on any, <laughs> <laughs> on any GPS. Believe me, the heart ballroom, you know, does not show up anywhere. And I said, well, does that street show up? Yes. The street, because I can't just take you near someplace. I've got to have a street, you know, whatever it was, you know. So we hashed around and found the street address, whatever. And we just sort of head out from the depot blindly you know, <laughs> to get to the thing. And one thing and another, uh, as I get there, it's like eight o'clock. The show is just going to start, you know, and I find the place. And even after we find it, it doesn't quite look like anything. And there's nothing outside indicating that anything's going on. There's just a couple of stragglers hanging around outside. And I see somebody with an XPW shirt and I go, okay, well, this is a place. <laughs> I go in and it is a tiny, tiny ballroom. I think it's mainly, it's shabby. It is a catering hall, basically. I imagine punk rock shows would go on in this place. Um, and it's the only time ever I give them credit and thank them. Uh, it's not the first time I've been a guest at an XBW show. Uh, I went to that to that with went to that Rochester show with my friend. So I walk up to the desk. It's like eight o'clock. The thing is just getting ready to start streaming live, and it's packed with a small but really wildly enthusiastic. And there is just, as far as the eye can see, there's like, there's like stuff. Yeah, <laughs> like a, a big net made out of barbed wire. Uh, uh, you know, uh, I can't even describe the amount of light tubes. Uh, they don't even they don't even waste time on these deathmatch shows with tables anymore. They just use hollow cord doors. Uh, they they don't even set up a table. They just have a hollow cord door, which is just a cheaply a cheap hollow door that they set up like a table, just long enough. You know, they might put something else under it to prop it up, just long enough to have somebody thrown through it, panes of glass, all this stuff. 
I get in there, I meet my friends Greg and, and, and Chuck, and we have a nice little reunion laughing our ass off already. This place is really small. There's a balcony, and in the around the ring, there's two rows max, I think on one side, maybe one row, you know? Uh, so hardly a lot of people, but they're pretty into it. They're pretty wild. And Chuck tells me they've already bashed up light tubes and gotten color in the dark match. <laughs> and I go, oh, oh really? You know, <laughs> and we're sitting way far in the back. Chuck was there long enough. My friend Greg is taking pictures. They had Chuck be the timekeeper. <laughs> oh, my God. He's way, way back in the corner. I said, well, I'll just stand here with Chuck or sit here with Chuck and laugh my ass off because he's one of the funniest people I've ever, I've ever met. I haven't seen him in so long. And we're next to the, oh, it was cold during the winter. I guess this was, when was it? Um, yeah, I can't remember. Uh, November, I'll say. And we're near the only open door, you know, leading out into an alley. And my God, this was an experience to see deathmatch wrestling that close up and the lowest grade of deathmatch wrestling that, that, that possibly exists. Um, the thing is, that's an audience and they, it, it's small, but it, they know what they want, which is blood and blunt object trauma and mayhem. And uh, for people that haven't been to this thing, congratulations. Uh-huh. <laughs> and you ask yourself, like people say, well, what about the, what about the, all the shards of glass? You know, what about the, uh, what about the uh, light tubes getting bashed all over the, doesn't that shit fly all over the place? The answer is yes, it does. <laughs> and this audience, this audience cannot get close enough. And there were kids there, not a lot, but there were children there, you know, (laughs) and it was just the craziest thing. These people are really severely into bashing things and bloodlust. And it doesn't matter how, if you're a name wrestler, and there were a few name wrestlers on the show, it doesn't matter if you're a nobody. And there were some absolute nobodies. Literally, there was one guy there. What was his name? I think his name is Wax, spelled like getting whacked over the head wax and they said he was just like a fan at deathmatch shows and he was really willing to be brutalized you know and and cut himself open and just bleed all over the place and take countless uh, uh uh bashings to the head so suddenly you know he's on the show just like anybody else there was one guy wrestling there he was like he accompanied uh necro butcher to the ring. I'm talking to him after the show. He said he called himself, he was like dressed like a hillbilly, you know? And he says, yeah, I drove up from Carolina and, you know, I told him I was really into the, you know, and they, they put me on the show, you know? I said, I, I just watching it. I just assumed, Oh, he's part of this necro butchers faction. Now he literally drove up that day and they said, Oh yeah, you can go out with him. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so it went, now, Necro Butcher was supposed to wrestle uh, PCO, and I thought, well, that's going to be crazy. And PCO I'll, is Pierre, least, uh, is Carl Ouellette? Yeah. He wrestles Carl for, Ouellette. I didn't realize yeah. he's wrestling for XPW. Wow. Yeah. And he, well, he was to appear at this, and I saw him, I actually, he was on that um, 
that impact show that I saw in Albany. He came out for like a battle Royal or some one match or something, you know, he's making the rounds of all these different groups. I think he, he was an ROH or he might still be, um, but he didn't show. So they literally replaced him with some complete nobody that nobody ever heard of, but it didn't matter because that guy got so many light tubes and panes of glass and, and, you know, and, uh, thumbtacks, you know, if you, if you prove that you can just take a beating and cut, cut yourself open until you're a disgusting, bloody mess covered in shards of glass and light tubes, the crowd will appreciate that. They, <laughs> they'll well, love that's you good. for it. You know? Yeah. So like I said, it, nobody was even a little disappointed that the marquee match between those two guys didn't happen because the other guy, you know, got beat up and bled so much. Um, I'm sort of interested or fascinated by Necro Butcher. He's an interesting character. And I did want to see what he was like, you know, and, you know, it was damn interesting. He has a gimmick now. And they said in some city, they said when he goes to California, he does a MAGA gimmick, you know, uh, MAGA, Ma, they call him the MAGA Butcher now, not Necro Butcher, the MAGA Butcher. And uh, Ed, he espouses all that stuff, you know, it's supposed to get heat. It, well, you know, in uh, in New Jersey, they all kind of got into it. You know, they all love him <laughs> so much. It was like, oh, yeah, wow, MAGA, that's great. They said he got real severe heat when he was in California. The California crowd didn't like the MAGA shit at all. And then somebody told me later, you know, that MAGA act that he does, not really an act. <laughs> 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 go, oh, really? Oh, well, whatever. But. I met him after the show and it, after he was all cleaned up and dried off and things like that, I just went over, you know, I got to see him do what he does. You know, the problem was every other person on that show is doing that, you know? And, uh, but, uh, outside the ring, soft spoken, very nice, very polite. I didn't know what to call him. I call him necro, you know, say necro, uh, you know, uh, interesting to see, a. You know, whatever I said, good to see you work today. And he says, it's, it's Dylan, very quietly, very nice. It's Dylan. Oh, okay. Hey, Dylan. You know, Please don't call and, me the only name that anyone knows me as. <laughs> <laughs> no, but he, you know, it, it, just after everything I'd seen, you know, and he's got a pretty notorious reputation. Nah, the guy was very cool, took a picture with me and all that. <laughs> Close up, I got to see. I, I guess everybody knows who this, and I didn't know. <laughs> he's got a tattoo of a dotted line that goes across his neck and right under his Adam's apple, it says cut here. <laughs> okay. But outside it's the a... ring, outside the ring, it's a, to I'm sorry. It's a total tribute to the eighties. That guy had Zubaz. He had a, uh, he had a bad street USA t-shirt. He had a fanny pack. You know, <laughs> I just went, wow. It's that good to so see hard. that uh, it's good to see that XPW learned nothing from mass transit. It's it's wonderful to see that. You uh, you would not believe it. I don't even know how they make money based on how much shit that they use. You know, as far as light tubes, there were literally hundreds, hundreds of light tubes bashed during that show. And if that wasn't enough, then they had <laughs> you know every single person on that show bled, and some of them bled to excess. I think that guy was telling you about wax 
he went up to the balcony, which is really high up, and took took some sick dive off the balcony for no other reason other than you know he's a moron, you know, <laughs> to, to do it. And some poor fat you know, had to lay on a if I wanted, lay on a door when he went through it, you know. If I wanted free tickets, I think I would go and find someone who works with the company and just tell them that my family owns a light bulb manufacturing plant. <laughs> do you have any free tickets? And I'm sure they'd yeah. get me in. I'll tell you that that whoever that audience is, they've got money to spend and they want to spend it seeing bloodletting, you know, and just total fucking mayhem. They were selling turn not even not used or anything like this. They were selling XPW turnbuckle pads. One turnbuckle pad, $150. I don't know how many they had, but they sold out. So that that audience knows what they want to spend their money on. And it's, and it's very sick. I was thinking that, so I went up into the balcony where my, my friend was shooting pictures and up there, up there in the balcony, you're sitting there going, Oh, you're not allowed to smoke in here. Are you? No, no. What are these clouds of smoke? Oh, that's the shit from inside the light tubes. (laughs) (laughs) Floating up in giant clouds towards the ceiling. It literally, it looked like the first two rows. I've got a picture of it somewhere that I took. The first couple of rows of seats, not just around the ring. Forget about around the ring. Just in the two first two rows of seats, there was so much broken shit on the floor. It looked like snow had fallen. <laughs> uh, it, uh, it, 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 it was so much worse than anything you can imagine. <laughs> and I knew one guy that works for XBW. He doesn't work for them anymore. <laughs> it's already gone. <laughs> gone. His, his relationship with Ron, Ron, or, or, or Rob Black has already gone sour. <laughs> yeah, but a nice low key guy, but he, he wanted to be in wrestling and in death match wrestling. He comes by and sees me sitting there and he goes, the hell are you doing here? <laughs> Even he couldn't <laughs> believe it, you know, but we, me and Chuck just sat there with our jaws, you know, on the, near the floor because on the floor was not was no picnic but we sat near the open door and at any moment i was like ready to yeah i'm yeah i'll run out this door if i have to (laughs) it was much much worse and you know who was in the main event if i had known about this before i went over there i might not have gone over there the main event was schlack the death match uh, demigod who who apparently is a white supremacist and has a nazi <laughs> punk band and um <laughs> schlack they love schlack and he really he takes a as the expression goes he takes a shellacking uh during a match it just everything you know <laughs> that can possibly befall him happens but he's a big muscle up guy and uh all tattoos and all this and he wrestled and <laughs> greg goes you know who that is and I said, no, I don't. I didn't know who any of these, hardly any of these people were. His opponent in the main event was Drake Younger. Oh, my God. The oh. referee from NXT? Yes. Yes. Well, he used yeah, to do CZW back in the day. Guy. Back in the day, he was with CZW. What's that? He used to do CZW. Yeah. Yeah, yeah he's a big oh, guy. I didn't know that. Yeah. 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 Well, that was it. it. was Younger against Schlack. And again, at some point, they both took such a beating that the audience didn't care for one thing after another. Here's what I learned about light tubes and deathmatch wrestling. 
it's the ends of the light tubes that are a real danger. Uh, I, like I said, hundreds and hundreds of light tubes got bashed in every possible way. The referee almost would call a halt to things. After the bashing of a light tube, he gets down with gloves on his hands and picks out the little end pieces and throws them out of the ring. That's very important. Don't want to leave those things laying around because that's where it gets bad, apparently, <laughs> and gets dangerous, you know? And, uh, you know, so, it, you know, it's a study in uh, human nature and sociology. <laughs> I don't know what, <laughs> you know, but mostly because I got to hang out with my friends after five, ten years. Um, I saw that. <laughs> What's going on in California, Dan? You go into anything? And how, what do you think? Is there too much blood right now in wrestling on TV alone? I think on TV, yeah. I mean, I, I've never been a big blood guy. I never really, uh, you know, have, uh, it, despite what uh, you may have seen on NBC, I never passed the blade to anybody in my entire career. <laughs> nah. uh, I, you know, I'm not, uh, I'm, I haven't been to, actually, the only show that I actually went to wasn't really a show. It was at Cauliflower Alley two years ago when they first started back up again. They had a they had some wrestling there, but I kind of stayed away from shows because there hasn't been a lot of shows or ones that I want to see. Uh, there's all kinds of, of, of little shows popping up here and there. The lucha shows always go on, and in fact, I was talking to Kurt recently about we were going to definitely try to hit uh, some uh, local lucha shows. But um, yeah, I don't. Um, I've seen audiences, especially in small shows. Uh, recoil in fear when when blood uh, when blood starts up, especially small children yeah. and families or whatever, because you're so close to the ring and stuff. It starts splattering, it starts shooting. Plus, also I, you know, worked when we did uh, Hollywood Heavyweight Wrestling with Johnny Legend back in the uh, like ninety ninety one. Um, we had a match. I, I think I may have mentioned it here once before, but we had a match with uh, Tim Talltree. Uh, as Johnny called him, the Twisted Tonto, uh, and uh, <laughs> our our friend, the late Stefan De Leon, and um, Stefan had never bladed before, and this was in a small club, um, and um, Tall Tree uh, cut him, but cut too deep and hit an artery, and literally every time uh, they try to keep going, but every time um, Stefan would hit the mat, it'd be like a fountain it would squirt up. You know, like 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 something like that, and the audience got hor was horrified by that. It took them completely out of the matches, and we had to uh, to go to a quick finish and, and get it off and get him to the back. And um, uh, I remember Mondo Guerrero telling me to call nine one one because that's how badly he was bleeding. Wow! And uh, I've told I've, I've told this before, but I called nine one one and they said, "What happened?" I said, "We're at a wrestling show. A guy's been hurt." I said, "He's bleeding all over the place." And the operator, honest to God, said to me, "Did they cut themselves?" <laughs> and I thought, ah. and I thought, "Oh my God! I, I got a non kayfabe uh, you know, EMT here. It's, it's amazing. Yeah. Maybe maybe they saw yeah, the show that I did, operator. and now I've ruined it." You know, uh, so they they sent them out, and then and Mondo talked to the police, and then and, and glossed it all over. But uh, yeah, that was uh, I think that especially in small arenas, unless you're you know with the the, the you know the bloodlust crowd or whatever, I think it takes people out of it. Uh, but I am kind of itching to get back and 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 see some uh, wrestling again. That may change after this weekend. I'm going to WrestleCon this weekend, so by the time that's over, I may oh, not want to be with 
be with any other wrestling fans ever again. You know, uh, Roy Lucier, Roy Lucier this morning put up something on Twitter saying for people going, may I suggest soap? Uh, you know, something <laughs> just to make sure we did. <laughs> and I wrote mouthwash is necessary. Also, you want to do that. So you've done but, some conventions. Uh, yeah. You've done some non-wrestling conventions though. Uh, oh yeah. My right? wife and I have been on, uh, we've been on the, about the last couple of, right before the pandemic. Um, the first one we went to, I went to see Elvira, Cassandra, uh, because it, it, it was the, um, she doesn't make that many appearances and she doesn't do it in the costume anymore. Um, mm. so, um, I took the story that I wrote for Fangori down and got a picture of, of her holding it. And I, and I told her, I thanked her for it. And she thanked me because it, you know, it got her into Fangoria and, and then got the ball rolling. And after that, I said to my wife, I said, you know, there's a lot of conventions going on. We had a really good time meeting a lot of these people who were from our childhood, from TV shows and movies and stuff that we just started going to every freaking convention we could go to and getting pictures with people that we remembered and thanking them saying, Hey, I watched you when I was growing up. Thanks a lot. I, I really do appreciate that. And we did it for the year before the pandemic. And then we were off a couple of years, but we uh, did it several times last year. And uh, this will be the second convention this year and we got seven more we're going to hit uh, here in Southern California before the uh, the end of the year. Uh, for everything from horror to uh, to wrestling and uh, and science fiction and everything else in between. But we have a lot of fun. My wife, I do not. Somebody said to me, you, uh, "Your wife is really um, really nice that that she uh, lets you drag her to these things." I said, "No, she enjoys it just as much as as I do." You know, we got we meet everybody from people who are like in classic movies. Uh, we met uh, the little girl who was uh, Zuzu in uh, It's a Wonderful Life, uh, who's like 90 years old and uh, it oh makes Christmas ornaments and sells them, uh, to um, uh, Red Brown, who was uh, that, in that horrible Captain America movie and in the, uh, the Mystery Science Theater classic Space Mutiny. Uh, and he was, a, and he was a really great guy. He's like 70 years old and he's, he's buffed like no, like no get out. Yeah. But yeah, we go to, we go to a lot of these conventions and, uh, we've met a lot of people and, and had a lot of fun and, and, uh, and, uh, we go to as many as we can. That's our kind of thing to do, uh, right now. Um, I, I didn't completely retire, but I, I, I cut back and, and got a, a close, a site, uh, to doing security closer to home. And, uh, I was in the middle of, of retiring because I got I got burned out because where I was working over in North Hollywood there was a, a, a you know was a lot of interaction with drug dealers people going to the bathroom in the parking lot trying to break into cars uh, and you know after a while you get threatened you get uh, you get bored of being threatened to kill be killed on a regular basis uh, mm. so I decided I was just going to retire because they've been saying to me when are you going to retire when are you going to retire and I said okay well maybe I'll just retire to get out of here. But um, they uh, they they uh, found me actually another post, which is only about a mile from home, where I do uh, cybersecurity. And I mostly work um, at a desk and uh, I actually even have a day or two off during the week with pay. And so it allows me allows us a lot more time to do stuff. So this year is our big year of doing conventions uh, because, wow. you know, I I mean, for God's sake. It's <laughs> the last I, since the last show that we we did this. I actually am now on social security, uh, but I still can work full time because I I passed the sixty seven years old and four months date. Uh, so I'm 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 trying to rack up as money as I, much money as I possibly can. But yeah, it's it's our thing to do. I mean, 
uh, the old the old Adam Ant joke: We don't smoke, we don't drink. What do we do? We go to conventions at least for another <laughs> another year, and then we'll probably start doing other stuff that that old people do. When we were in Vegas for Cauliflower Alley, we played bingo, which is law in Las Vegas. When you're when you're 67 in Las Vegas, you have to play bingo. Uh, I think mm. it's just a law that way. But yeah, so we go to a lot of the shows and we've met a lot of people and had a great time doing it. I, I post the pictures uh, all the time. It's, I love seeing those pictures. I was so jealous of the one you had with the cast of Good Times. It wasn't even my favorite show. I thought, look at all yeah. those faces. You know, well, the same, wonderful. It was, the same, it was the same thing. It, was, it wasn't It was even one of our favorite shows, but it was such a memory to us from growing up in that yeah. time. And, oh, yeah. and what was ironic was the woman who played the neighbor died a week and a half after that picture. Wow. So that was Blown like the up. last chance. Yeah, it was the last chance. And Johnny Brown, who uh, played the uh, superintendent in the best, building, yeah. passed away too. But we got pictures with a good uh, amount of portion of Greece. And uh, actually, uh, I'm a, a kind of a big Back to the Future fan. And uh, it was really great several months ago when we got uh, got a picture with Leah Thompson um doc brown and uh and biff you know wow. um, and you know who took so, the picture I mean, eric stoltz eric stoltz <laughs> <laughs> yeah you know uh, life just takes strange, <laughs> strange turns but you know what's funny was michael j fox did a convention up in portland with them and oh boy the uh price of the uh of the uh, of the photo went from 125 dollars to 500 dollars by adding michael j fox yeah. So I mean, this, this is some big money. I mean, everybody's making big, big money. We were looking. I was. Oh yeah. Um, I was. I was reading to my wife. Uh, Rick Flair is going to be at, at the convention, and uh, she said to me, "Do you want a picture with him?" And I said, "No, that boat sailed. Uh, I really don't. <laughs> the, you know, don't want to really do you know, him and Jake Roberts are the two guys that I used to like, but I really just don't want to have the memories of that. But I was looking at at um, the rundown sheet of what he charges." Uh, there he charges. Uh, oh, I love this. Eighty-nine bucks, I think it was for an autograph, but it will cost you an additional fifty dollars if he puts Nature Boy on it. Ah. Yeah. So, so yeah, yeah, does that, and then. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, and, and it's, it's not, all the personalization. personalization. Yeah. Uh, that's the one thing that the the WWE guys are doing. They're not doing their their fan fest uh, this year. They're doing a uh, going to the convention center down the street, and uh, yeah. they're basically setting up a giant store and putting up the memorabilia there. But they have some yeah. people appearing for like a hundred and sixty nine bucks or whatever. But the thing is, they won't. They can't personalize it. They just you just come up, you meet them, they sign their name on the picture and they hand it to you. So yeah. this this whole this whole some, thing now. Some some people like Flair will charge you know, you know it's like. Like you said, it costs fifty nine extra for Nature Boy. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, it maybe thirty nine extra if he writes sixteen XX champion, you know, yeah. sixteen times champion. You know, every single scrawling. It, the time I met him a, a, just a few years ago, it was much more reasonable, and I got a free free pass to go in there. I wouldn't have paid. Not that he's yeah. not worth it, but I would say. It was it was relatively cheap compared to you know like I should have gotten a picture with Slaughter when he was twenty dollars now he's sixty eighty dollars <laughs> yeah I mean, and she, and sorry sorry, sorry. Sarge. Well, it ain't happening. well we want inflation <laughs> yes, Mag, is we wait 
we wait till we get to Cauliflower Alley and we just ambush him in the hallway for free. Uh, that's that's oh, what yeah. you can do. That's the that, that's the trick. That happened at that's. Mm-hmm. Sorry, no, no, go ahead. That happened at the oh, no. uh, at the. Dan, you go. Now, hold on, Scott. It, Dan, you go. Yeah. Don't finish. Yeah. Oh, okay. Sorry. Uh, no, I just said that. Uh, that uh, that's what you wind up doing. There's a picture. It was so funny that um, I, I, I Mary Lou got with. Here's the thing: is my wife is it's like my secret weapon. She's really adorable, and wrestlers will always stop if she asks. And that little, oh hi, can I take a picture with you? And it's just like you know, all right, we'll do it. And we mm-hmm. have I have all these pictures with like guys twice her size uh who uh who posed that and we got um the one year that the click was there um uh sean michaels was out of the room like usain bolt i mean it was that it was just so quick he, he just was he was gone in a moment uh but uh kevin nash there um that my wife stepped in front of me and said can i get a picture taken with you and i took the picture and jim valley saw it and he goes he said he said that nash had the look on his face like he was counting the the dollars that he was losing by posing for free pictures. Uh, and, <laughs> but that becomes the whole thing. I mean, we do the same thing when we go to any kind of show. It's like, who's worth what? You know, who who is worth this amount? Who's worth that amount? Um, yeah. I think Shat, Shatner's doing one. I think Shatner wants like 150 bucks at this point. Um, yeah, and that when I saw him five years ago, five or six years ago in New York Comic Con, I didn't see him because he was kept far away unless you paid, you know? <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. They, 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 yeah. they lock them up really, really good. But, uh, and, it, and everything and everything separate with, with somebody that big, you know, it's 150 for the autograph, maybe 150. If you want a picture, uh, yeah. you know, maybe more, if you want it professionally shot, not on your camera, you know, and on and yeah, on. This, it goes. Is, this is, this is big business. This is really, really oh, big yeah. business. And, yeah. and I don't blame them uh, doing it. But it's funny it was well, on the on the WrestleCon show where they have close to 200 wrestlers now appearing on it, uh, including local people. And I said, I joked about it and said, you know, if I had known that, I would have got a table and, and pulled out the old NBC referee gear and and <laughs> posed for pictures for that for ten bucks. Uh, and my wife said, there- what did you do? And I said. I, and I said to her, I said, no, I said, there's always one crazy fan or, or, or psycho wrestler that still holds a grudge, <laughs> you know, yeah. I had a guy tell me a while back that I, I that I ruined his childhood for him, that, that it really, it, oh, it upset him, uh, you know, oh, so dear. much. And I said, well, you know, I said, there's, there's a lot, lot of worse things that, uh, that you can, uh, that you can run into out there that'll, that'll ruin your childhood. And I, and I don't believe that was it. Let me take a look here. I got the Ric Flair thing right here. I just want to give you the proper amounts of these things because this is, this is, this is great stuff. Okay. So, uh, how much for him to expose his penis? Oh, he'll do that for free. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it'll cost that's, him. Uh, that's right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, Oh, have they taken them down already? Oh, oh, that's, that can't be right. It's not fair. Hang on here. Uh, does he charge by the woo? <laughs> no, he hasn't done that. Don't don't give him any ideas. That's the move. Uh, Everyone was like, can I get a video with you and me? I would charge by the yeah, woo. No, but if you want him to sign a belt, his belt the belt is five hundred dollars. Yeah, that's not just him. Uh, yeah, no, everybody. Like I'll, you go to a mu- be, musician, yeah. like you go to a musician who's any like an Ace Freely. Picture with yeah. him is going to cost whatever it does. Autograph costs whatever. 
autograph a guitar, five hundred dollars. Yeah. Yeah. Hey guys, I mean, while that, you that, talk while you talk for a second, I'm gonna jump away to get a drink. So I'll be right back when I do we'll add someone, but you guys talk, I just won't be here for a second. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah the, the the time I met Flair, it was sort of a pay one price deal. And like I said, I wanna I answered a trivia question and they gave me a ticket to the thing. But uh different from what people say now, God, that guy was so cool. He took time with everybody yeah. that walked up. He had a big long line and it was like a pay one price. It was something like a hundred dollars. Uh, I got a bunch of pictures with him. Uh, he signed his book, uh, you know, chatted a little bit, gave me the fist bumping over. And apparently at, we had to leave right after that, but he did like a Q and a, and that was part of it too, you know, and he was really super nice, but yeah. you know, I've heard, I've heard other stories about him, but, uh, but uh, yeah, it, it is it is crazy. But I've heard like even obs- the obscure names that you see at those shows, as you know, aren't worth it. You know, yeah, <laughs> whatever they're charging. I said even the most obscure names, they walk out of those things with hefty bags full of twenties. Yeah, oh, I know. <laughs> and they a lot of they most of the they do it with cash because of the fact yes. that. Some yes. of the guys take credit cards, but the trouble is a lot of fans, because they're weasels, uh, they basically try to do a chargeback afterwards. So they get their, their picture or their autograph, and then they go home and say, oh, hey, yeah. I didn't charge this. you know. And then you yeah. know, they wind up getting into the, the, the battles and fistfights over it. But I am just surprised at, at some people. I mean, the lowest, the lowest one I've seen um, for a picture is the, the wrestler Effie, who's charging $15. Okay. Yeah. Um, I think there's an astonishing amount. uh, There's an astonishing amount of sexy women wrestlers at every signing that I have never, never heard. Uh huh. I know. And and I I just a girl in a in a hot outfit. Yeah. Yeah. I just I wind up looking up you know half of them uh, because you (laughs) know their name is. I know, but it says, you know, like, uh, you know, May Champion is a woman wrestler. And that's all it says, you know, because they're not really well known. But again, if you show up in the skimpy outfit or whatever, and you, and you want to do, and they're all. The guy wants a picture with them. Yeah. Yeah. Guy wants a picture with them, you know. Uh, Yeah. It's going to be interesting because the Yoshi girls are coming over. uh, Oh, boy. There's a lot of them there. And uh, it's going to, it's going to be very interesting looking at that line. Because I, you know, yeah. what kind of people are going to be in that line. Though my wife wants to meet one of them because um, she's a, she's a, like she I, she copied basically the Hurricanes gimmick, uh, like the superhero type thing, and yeah. uh, and she and she mostly does comedy stuff. But she is a lot like my wife. She has that same horrible sense of humor. Uh, so, so she wants the woman's name is Hyper Masayo. And then uh, okay. she wants to get her picture taken with them. But it's interesting because yeah. you can go over. I mean, I was looking at it. The person that I actually am most interested in seeing is Susan Green. Uh, oh, who yeah. I watched wow. in the 1970s. She just had back surgery. So I'm hoping she's coming out. She works as a security guard. So I have feeling I have something to talk to her about. <laughs> uh, and uh, she's coming out in connection with the, uh, the documentary Out in the Ring, which is uh, the documentary about oh, yeah. uh, gay wrestlers. And, mm-hmm. uh, and she's going to be there. And, uh, I always, I wanted to, uh, again, you know, I get sentimental about certain things. And that was when I was a kid, I would read the, the magazines 
And I remember seeing her and Sandy Parker as the NWA Women's Tag Team Champions. And back in 2019, I met Sandy Parker in Las Vegas at Cauliflower Alley. Uh, she wasn't really appearing there. She just uh, just came through and was walking um, uh, just walking through very quietly. And I went up to her and uh, and said, I'm sorry, I don't mean to bother you. Are you Sandy Parker? She goes, yes. And she was talking to the late Dean Silverstone. And I started to, I got a picture with her and I started to leave and they said, no, sit down. And I got to sit down for a half hour and listen to them talk about the old days, you know, wow. uh, and, and about Sandy Parker telling stories about how other women wrestlers would say, well, be careful around this woman. She's gay. And Sandy Parker would say, well, I'm gay too. And she goes, well, but you're not that kind of gay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so I want to have a picture taken with both. Wow. Of them so I can, I can have a picture oh, taken with, with the NWA champions. Cause that's the, uh, you know, that's the sentimental thing. That's the stuff that, uh, yeah. that uh, you get a chance to meet somebody again. You're meeting, you know, I'm at the age now where my childhood is dying every day. I mean, somebody, a, a musician, uh, you know, an actor or somebody, you know. And then when I read this, like, what, how old was David Crosby when he died? He was something like uh, 70, 78, plus, something like that. Eight, 79, yeah, exactly. getting up there. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, and, and I, I can't ever believe that they're that old, you know. Uh, yeah. But that's, you know, that's what that's what basically happens. But, uh, you know, sometimes you just yeah. go, you know, it's a sports star or somebody goes, stop it, make it stop. I, uh, <laughs> I, I need to <laughs> slow down just for a little bit, you know. Um, I, I, I'm not so interested unless I have an actual object, like a record or a mm-hmm. book or something like that, or even a program. Yeah. I'm not really interested in the autograph. Um, yeah. Although mm-hmm. I like looking through stuff and seeing, oh, you know, Nick Bockwinkle had a great signature. Flair right. does oh, yeah. Too. Mm-hmm. Lawler does. You know, yeah. But, I, did, um, I did. I like the picture. Look, I like the photo op, but the photo op I, I kind of I, I saw a big 80s festival that's coming up on the East Coast. Uh-huh. And I looked at the whole list and I, I guess I, you know, I don't want to pay a hundred dollars for a picture with Brad Hart. It'd be nice to have a picture with Brad Hart, you know, <laughs> but yeah, I, I don't, I don't care. I don't mean to sound jaded because I still no. really love and respect all these guys, but I'm looking at the whole list and it's all guys from the eighties and nineties. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I'm going, yeah, I'm, I'm not impressed to meet any of these people, you know, and it's a little yeah. overwhelming, you know, you know, and, God knows. And that, sometimes, you know, Sometimes the best wait till you go to this wrestling cheap ones. Oh, I know. Yeah, uh, I know. Yeah. I, I, I mean, wait till I mean, you go to this thing. Please take a please take account of how many AEW superstars you see <laughs> working working their table. You know. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. All uh, the way, actually, out, all the way it, out there to California, Young Bucks, mm-hmm. Kenny. They're yeah. all going to be there. Moxley. They're all going to be. Oh yeah. They take keep a look at how they, they take a look at WrestleCon down the run. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. They got Hey guys, I'm gonna jump in. You're both talking over each other. This is creating such I'm a sorry. dizzying fine. effect it's, it's, here. We're out we're of all, practice. We're both very old. We need and we, we need to do more shows more often. That's <laughs> well, that's right. That's that's right. right. We're out of practice. Well, I'll tell you what. Let me uh, add someone here to calm things down a bit. Uh, <laughs> I don't think Scott and I have ever been accused of being overly hyper, but hey. Uh, yeah, really. Uh, it depends on who you're gonna add. Well, let me add some. You know, my favorite at, at my favorite Chinese restaurant, they just named a dish after me. Yeah, it's called Egg Foo Old. Ah, oh god! 
<laughs> Greetings. Hello? This is the hey. Church of Oh, Church of Joe Bryant here, ready to save your souls. <laughs> Welcome to opening day Star Wars. Vandal Drummond, Rockin' Jerry Brown, the HIV Kid, <laughs> various other ones. Lucha Lucky Pierre, Donkey Show Dominguez. <laughs> and the founder of the Tubus City Cuttlefish, who will win once again this year, as they did last year and the year before. Kurt Brown, welcome to opening day Star Wars. Why, thank you. How are you caps doing? I'm all right. On the line with us, and actually this is the reason I added you right now. You're not going to believe it. Things got out of control, and everyone was yelling at each other with Scott Cornish and Dan <laughs> Farron, so I needed you to come and pacify everything. <laughs> Okay, okay. If I'm going to pacify people, if people are rowdy, I want to read a passage from uh, Rod McEwen poem. Tomorrow I shall buy you presents, pomegranates and breadsticks, and rides around the room, and red roses like everybody buys everybody. Now, don't you feel the love after that? How could you not? How are you, Kurt? I am doing quite well. How are you guys? I'm doing all right, uh, although I, I send my uh, my condolences. All those weird, sick gimmicks that you had coming up over the years were all made obsolete this last weekend. Uh, <laughs> they were all made obsolete, were they? Yes, yes. Now people look at your old gimmicks like the HIV kit and they go, eh, kitty shit. <laughs> what's, that, what's that compared to a... Uh, compared to a syringe up your pee hole yeah oh that's a pretty good one we haven't done that gimmick yet we did we did where feminatrix uh <laughs> shoved shoved a riding crop up somebody's ass i'm serious that actually Kurt, in case you don't know people. scott's talking about something that actually happened in uh the yeah, new version of xpw oh my gosh oh tell me about this no <laughs> <laughs> okay, I guess I'll have to just be the one who's not on the I'll, secret. I'm 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 the kid who doesn't yeah. get to learn anything. I'm 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 the one who's always picked last for kickball. <sighs> I'm always they, the one who gets picked last for three ways. All that stuff, you know. As they as they say in the uh, in the Facebook groups, I can't wait to hear Brian and Corny talk about this. <laughs> 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 oh my lord! Okay, so XPW, I should have guessed it would be. A, a Tell him what ball. happened. Tell him what happened. They ha they had in New Jersey. They had a streaming pay per view. You had to uh, add New Jersey into this. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> It was no. It, it, it was just a glass panes throw away from Morristown, where they had the thing. Uh, it, in Newark, uh, and in one match, uh, where just about everything was going going on and going down, uh, one wrestler who was already completely beat up and a bloody mess, he got his his pants pulled down, was completely mm -hmm. exposed in the ring, and his opponent stuck a, a syringe needle up into his, uh, up into his Johnson. He, <laughs> he, he stumbled around. We found the audience. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> he, he, he stumbled around XPW. for a few. <laughs> and, and yeah. And by the way, he kicked out of that. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know that. <laughs> that okay. If I, 
That if I had finish. something stuck stuck up my dick, I would not kick out. I would lay still and wait for it to be removed and just pray. Yeah. It was, um, yeah, it, you're going to be hearing a lot about it. You're going to want to see it. Don't try to see it. <laughs> well, I have never bought anything by XPW because I'm not a fan of Rob Black for what he did to my friend Dan Farron. So that's all there is there to that. Go. But uh, I, I, I do I do applaud the sickness of the gimmick. I do applaud that. Uh, yeah, like I said, it's, that was just a transitional move in that particular hey, match. It's hey, just, Kurt. You know, on this topic, yeah. I'll ask you the question I asked the guys earlier, because I know you watch a lot of modern wrestling, specifically AEW. Do you think there's too much blood mm-hmm. right now? Hmm. Now, Brian, what do I I think, okay, well, I, I do think Moxley's bled a little too much. Um, and, you know, yeah, to be honest, all I've really had time for is AEW. I'm, I am uh, just neck deep in my project, so I just, I want to start watching uh, some more AAA and CMLL, but I've really uh, just haven't, uh, you know, I, you know, I have. How would I say? I'm Argentina proud, Titanes in El Ring. I want to see the people like Dan Housen and Orange Cassidy. So I watch AEW, <laughs> and while I do enjoy John Moxley as a wrestler, he would bleed so much it was just almost silly. Yeah, I, he he's at the stage that the Sheik and Abdullah were at when they'd been doing it for thirty years, where where you go, oh my God, he, he's not even trying to hide. He's at Lou Albano level right now, as far as <laughs> <laughs> how obvious. Oh my God, I think the doc and sloppy he is, you know. Doctor Jerry Graham would be quite proud of him how much he believes. Kurt, do you I see? Remember a few, Kurt, do you a see? A few the, months ago, he was in a match. I'm sorry. A few months ago, he was in a match, and he gets hit. He hits the he hits the the mat, and he rolls in the opposite direction. The force of the blow forced him to roll away from <laughs> the the strike, just so he could roll outside and cut himself in full view of everybody. You know. Oh yeah. Well, you know. <laughs> Kurt, do you see? Yeah, it all- I said, Kurt, do you see Dan Housen and Orange Cassidy as natural um, extensions of, you know, like a Titanus and L Ring style of wrestling? Uh, Dan Housen, definitely. And Orange Cassidy has a lot more know-how than most of the wrestlers in Titanus and L Ring. Now, when Titanus and L Ring was first around, they started doing all the crazy gimmicks. Most of their guys were pure, like, wrestlers, well-trained wrestlers. And then they kind of got some Danhausens in there who knew some moves but weren't quite polished. Uh, I, I read that was it the New York New Yorker or New York Times article on Danhausen where he himself admits he's not all that much of a worker. Where I think Orange Cassidy is a really good worker, excellent worker actually. Did- now, Kurt, when you're when you're attacked, Kurt online, no, no one ever does that, but. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> But I, not, this is what always amazes me. Kurt will come on and just say, I love Orange Cassidy. And I wait for like this this deluge of people saying, how can you do it? No one ever does that. But I would yeah. just be curious. If somebody said to you, uh, you know, I hate Orange. Well, I, I had this happen just recently uh, with, a, uh, with a, a guy online where um, I was having a very 
serious conversation about Lucha Libre with this guy. And we were going back and it was a very interesting conversation. It was very, you know, uh, you know, it was was really good. And then somebody wrote in and goes, that's not wrestling. It's gymnastics. (laughs) (laughs) And at that point, what I usually do is I usually write back and say, um, thank you very much. I appreciate your time. Which specific uh, which, match you know are me, you citing? Which specific match is your example here? That's what I would ask. Uh, okay, we're talking about uh, the Vikingo versus... Uh, oh, Kenny Omega? Uh, what's his, uh, Kenny Omega, yeah. And uh, my feeling on that match was, it didn't. I didn't mind it so much. I don't think... I'm not a big Kenny Omega fan, and I think I would have rather seen uh, Viking work with... Um, somebody you know that he's like commander or somebody that he's used to working with because i think it shows more at that point but some people just get and i i tried to explain that like anything else it's it's a style it's a different kind of thing than american wrestling there's more than just american wrestling and even in american wrestling mid-south was very different from memphis memphis was very different from world class san francisco was very different from los angeles you know and there's room for everything except that stuff that Scott was talking about a few minutes ago. That's there's right. no room for that at all. But everything else, I think there's room for. And um, you know, you can make you can make it, it's all. It, Chris Rock used to say all the time that in general, uh, a basket is worth two points. But there's a million different ways to make that basket, and I feel the same way about wrestling. So a lot of it doesn't irritate me. It's not going to be what I saw when I was a kid that really got me excited, and I still. Uh, and Kurt and I have talked about this before. I say I always hear people talking all the time about, oh, well, it's not as good as, as when, you know, uh, this stuff now is not as good as the stuff in the 80s. I was saying that about the stuff in the 70s that I saw. When we came into the 80s, and I was like, God, the 70s were much better, you know, uh, than this stuff. But you go to in, enjoy it or or to do what you can with it. Um, but, uh, yeah, I so saw this, this guy was just like, you know, no, it, I'm not going to accept it. That's the way it is. And, uh, I've, and like, I, 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 I every now and then have people do that. I every now and then I have but people you know, do that. And you know, my well, code you, you, is when I when I write back and say uh, thank you very much, have a nice day. That basically means fuck you. Uh, and that way, I don't you know, I don't have to deal with. <laughs> well, that's anymore, like me. But. Somebody did do that to me a few months ago, and I wrote them a fifteen paragraph response. Until there's no more room in the comment section, I never heard from them again. So. <laughs> and, I, and I think I, I I wandered off the subject matter too. Uh, yeah. I think it went from the style of wrestling to what kind of laundry detergent I use or something like that. But yeah, let me put it this way: I fucking hate hardcore wrestling shows. I think they're the oh. stupidest idea. Starts off with somebody bleeding and getting covered with barbed wire all the way to the main event, and to me, a hard the thing hardcore that's so cool about wrestling is when you're having just ordinary wrestling and then two guys are so fucking angry at each other, we're going to have a death match or a hardcore match and we're really going to mm-hmm. hurt each other, you know? Mm-hmm. A hardcore match, whenever <clears throat> match is like this, by a, by three weeks into the promotion, people are going to come say, oh, look, they're bleeding again. Uh, <laughs> and they got barbed wire and baseball. But, oh, yeah, just like the last week. Yeah. You want to yeah. make it seem to stick out. And, you know, we're wrestling, like I said, wrestling is different. It's not what it was when I was a kid. And what I'm discovering as I peruse, you know, these decades and decades of headlines, everybody wishes pro wrestling was the way it used to be going all the way back to the yeah. beginning of time. That doesn't mean they're always wrong. 
That's the thing. At some point from the beginning of time to now, when someone said it was better when I'm, when I was a kid or it was better 10 years ago, in some cases they were right. And now nah, they're all wrong. You know, yeah. in the uh, they're all a bunch of whine. They're a bunch of whining babies who can't accept that we're getting older and we're looking in the rear view mirror and people are enjoying different things. Well, no, but when it, but, I watch it, I do not have the same passion I do. But man, I see people having fun. So, but if I say you know, I don't think the yeah. TV presentation is as good now, I'll give you a great example: the mm-hmm. El Vikingo or El Hijo del Vikingo versus Kenny Omega match. I liked it. I smoked a bunch of weed and watched mm-hmm. it. I knew what to expect. You know what I mean? Like I knew uh, yeah. the highlights, what to expect. In the middle of the match, Suzanne walked in the office to talk to me. Mm-hmm. And it's the kind of match and the kind of action that draws whatever you want to call it, a casual fan, an outsider in. Mm-hmm. She's watching this guy do spectacular flips. Mm-hmm. And she said, who is this guy? And I said, he's El Ijo del Vikingo. And she asked me to repeat it a few times. She's Colombian. She had never heard the word Viking in Spanish wait, wait, wait. before. Viki- Vikingo? Really? Vikingo? <laughs> she had never... Yeah, Vikingo, yeah. Yeah, she had never heard the word Viking in Spanish before, so it kind of... You know, she... <laughs> and then she said, why don't they just call him the son of the Viking? And I said, well, that's not the way it works. They bring these guys over. They keep their original name when they come to America. She really liked him. So the other day we're talking after the fact, and she asked me about what Jim thought. I was like, well, Jim didn't like it. It's not the style of wrestling he likes uh, and various different things. I said, I liked elements of it, and that's what I said, but I wasn't the craziest about it. Some people thought it was the best match in the history of television. But I said, but she was telling me that she liked it. She said, I would watch him again. Mm-hmm. So I said, what was his name? And she couldn't remember what his name was. And then I reminded mm-hmm. her, it's El Hijo del Vikingo, and she reminded me that she <laughs> thinks, you know, that's a stupid name. It should be something else. And then I said, if you wanted to see him again, what would you do? And she said, I'd probably watch that show again. I don't even think he's on the show this week. No. And they did nothing the week before other than Tony announcing it on Twitter. And they did nothing the week before to build up this match. On the show, the match happened. They had a video package earlier in the show, an incredible highlight reel that would make you want to see this guy. That should have been on the show last week. So when I say things like, it's not as good as it used to be, it's not always necessarily Mm. about the in-ring action. It's about the actual presentation. Because you can't yeah. tell me if you're going to do this match, they couldn't have built it up for a week or two weeks before it. I agree. Show I me agree, highlight that, You know what? But you know what? That's my complaint about pro wrestling since, I, since after the first few years I watched it. The first few years I watched it as a kid, it was a drug. It was my opium. I loved it. And I saw flaws in it. But you, you want to keep the Santa Claus inside of it. And you believe. <laughs> but... <laughs> There have been ridiculously done things. Oh, oh, here's one I think I brought up before. The Olympic Auditorium, as you remember, Dan, they aired live yeah. on Wednesday nights. Yeah. Walton is furiously yelling into the camera, Richmond 95171, you know, two nights from now, it's Roddy Piper versus Chavo. This will not be televised. This is everything. You must see this match. And you know what the main event on television was that evening, Wednesday night, two days before the Friday night main mm-hmm. event? Yeah. I know. Roddy Piper versus Chavo Guerrero. Ooh. And if you don't hear, hear the ridiculousness in that, <laughs> I mean, they, 
they've done three, they, they did an idiotic things like that in wrestling forever. You know, everything from, <laughs> remember, remember the, I remember Mark, when I first was in touch with Mark Nolte, he was talking about how some of the people in the Dallas office were complaining about pro wrestling, not being taken seriously as a sport. And he was, this was before he was super involved, but he wrote something in the newsletter. Okay. Let's, let's take this as they see it. I'm going to the Dallas sporting event. I noticed that the, that it was typed with a typewriter, the program. Uh, some of the typesetting is off. Half the wrestlers' names are misspelled. And that shit used to go on all the time in the good days. Yeah. <laughs> it really I, did. I don't think there's any golden age of wrestling. There are many golden ages of wrestling. And like I said, I don't have the same passion I did for it. And to be honest, I don't analyze the stuff like the video packages, and I do agree that that was a dumb thing to do to just do the video package earlier that evening. But um, yeah. Yeah. frankly, I don't. Frankly, I, I don't mean, care. And I, again, I, I, I watch it like <laughs> well. And you know, and Dan, I want to go to you in one uh, second, but I just want to point out the video package was the week before. Again, to the point of the week after, she's the person who's a casual person who saw someone that impressed yep. her, couldn't remember his name, but if she wanted to tune back in and see him, he wouldn't even be on the show the next week. But go ahead, Dan. Yeah, right. that's a good point. Oh, that's a very <laughs> no, good point. I, I think part of the problem falls in that either people are or in general have shorter attention spans. And mm -hmm. I remember that they used to uh, they, when you you could follow if um, I got someone gave me the, the superstars from uh, 1980, uh, whatever it was, but it, it was leading into uh, the Hogan. Andre match in WrestleMania 3. 87, 87. Okay. And it was all those shows leading up to that. And every week there was something that moved it a little further and progressed. It, they didn't mm -hmm. give everything away. They didn't do all that, but there were, it, it was one of the best. If, if you can, if you can get those shows from September, right after Andre uh, is no longer the machine up into WrestleMania, you sit there and you go, Oh my God, the time they spent in doing this as a writer, one thing that makes me crazy is when people assume that everybody knows what's going on. You mm -hmm. have to lay pipe. You have to go through and you have to put, it's like the old uh, Oscar Wilde quote about if, if the curtain rises on a play and there's a rifle hanging on the wall by the third act, somebody better fire that rifle. And that's some of the yeah. things they have to do. And I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that fans in general don't have I remember when we were doing shows and, and, and a wrestler would come up and say that he wanted to do this thing I said well that, that's something you can break up over four shows and he goes oh no 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 we have to do it now because if we don't they're, they're, they're not going to uh, want to come back and see it again I said but that's the whole idea the whole idea <laughs> is you do yeah. something to bring people back well maybe they won't be able to come next time so we need to do the whole thing in one no. night said, no we don't need to do the whole thing at it's kind of like they're trying to create hamlet and you know and instead of and, like uh, something that keeps going after time you know they're yeah exactly <laughs> and i i think that and, and we it, need to do that more i mean look at the old serials the old serials had a recap at the very beginning you know mm -hmm. i mean there's nothing that wrong old, with uh, that and if some old fogey who's only devoted his entire life to being the very best at wrestling for uh over 40 years really takes the time to watch that and break it down and explain it. They just, they just completely turn a deaf ear. They say, Oh, this is how press, this is how wrestling. They, they have the nerve to say to a Cornette, 
you don't understand. <laughs> this, this is how wrestling <laughs> has evolved. Wrestling must evolve. I said, yeah, just I, because you're doing something stupid in 2023 doesn't mean that something has evolved. Yeah, people think Bray Wyatt's in an evolution, of, evolution, an evolution of professional oh. wrestling, and I'm so I have a tough time thinking anyone could enjoy that stuff. That and I got, I got, I got to plead ignorance on that since I've watched so little of it. You know, I wish I had your take. I, I wish I had you. You'd be the perfect person to tell me if it's good or bad because you. You know, go the other way and accept, not go the other way, but you accept, uh, <laughs> you know, you accept, you accept like all the wacky gimmicks and everything and you see the beauty in them and you see the entertainment in them. I wonder if you would actually see that in Bray Wyatt. I wonder if that's something you would actually find anything in. I that that's a good question because there are some wacky gimmicks that just don't work to me. I, and I. I mean, I have to tell you where I'm frustrated with my generation, not just wrestling wise, everything from music and stuff. I'm finding people my age who are just screaming and crying and just, you know, acting like bitches about, about how things aren't the same. Music sucks so much today. And I'm, my answer is, you know, I hear music today. It doesn't do anything for me, but you know what? I'm not taking the time to listen to it. Um, and I hated, I mean, I was lucky to have parents who they were really intrigued with this music I was listening to when I was a kid, when all my friends, their parents would mistake Led Zeppelin for Bob Seger and, uh, you know, it was just filthy rock and roll. And, I, you know, I, yeah, I'm getting older. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to die one of these days, but I'm going to enjoy it while I'm here. If I'm going to watch something, I'm going to dig it. You know, as, as just we're, as, we don't, any of us have that that wild excitement or passion for wrestling that we did when we were in our teens or twenties, you know, yeah. uh, I, I, as I, as I explained earlier, I somehow went to five or six wrestling shows last year, just because I still like hanging out with my friends at a wrestling show, being in the live environment, seeing what, you know, I, I don't expect it to be, to get that reaction that I got when I was so yeah. much younger. And I almost do Absolutely. forget that, but, but they do take it. May, and, and maybe we did, but they take it to a ridiculous extreme. Yes. Like it is so yeah. important. I, to, I, to I, 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 I missed the right God. side, you know, hey, jump yeah, in, Dan. I, yes, I mean, I, I mean, let the, hold on guys. Let Dan <laughs> jump in here. Yeah, no, I, I and I missed that too. I mean, Kurt, we've talked about this before. Um, I don't like going to big, clean, sterile arenas. I like going to, do you remember that time we were looking for a show in Pomona and we couldn't find it. And uh, I said, pull over for a second. And I got out and there was a board laying face down in the street. <laughs> and that was, it said wrestling and it pointed this way. And we yes. would never have found the place. I mean, because that's just what people assumed that, that you were going to do. Uh, and, and that's the problem that, you know, people always say, if, if you, if you, it's not, this is not field of dreams. Uh, they're not always going to find it. You know, if, it, it's not always going yeah. to happen that way. And uh, I, I like it when it's a little gritty. I like it that way. Mm -hmm. I don't, I don't, I don't need it to be corporate. I mean, I've been uh, a wrestling fan for fucking 50 years. 50 years <laughs> you know i, I like when i was going to the san bernardino arena in the 1970s uh my favorite little arena of, of all time uh and the thing was that the guys there were saying to me oh you know 
you should have seen Gorgeous George. Oh, you should have seen Ramon uh, Torres. You should have seen, and they were mentioned, they were always complaining about the guys. These guys these days, these guys are nothing. Oh, but you know, the guys back in the old days, they were really something. They were real, you know, <laughs> and that's the whole thing. And same when we went to, went to, when we went to Tijuana, the older fans mm-hmm. would scoff at uh, somebody like Bayou Adan, the local Exotico who did plies and stuff. He's, he's just a clown and, you know, that kind of yeah. stuff. Yeah, well, you always remember my favorite quote, Kurt, uh, I, from uh, Night of the City, uh, which is still, I think, the best movie made about professional wrestling uh, ever. Uh, but at, at the end, when Stanislaus Zbysko, yes, that Stanislaus Zbysko, wrestles Mike Mazurki, he's complaining to the promoter, and he, he says, um, you want me to wrestle this clown? This is all we have for wrestling today. This is a clown. This is 1950. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and when you go through uh, uh, magazines, like you find old magazines, I remember seeing one one time when Fabulous Moolah was, was, uh, wanted to wrestle somebody, and this was like in 1954 or so. Uh, she said, I would like to get her in a shooting match. So, I mean, they've been talking about this crap for years. So they, the, 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 the wink of the eye has always been there. But the trouble is nothing is subtle anymore. Uh, everything yes. has to be big. Everything has it, to be over the top. Do you remember the whole that whole thing with Flair? No, sorry, uh, Savage and Hogan was all sold uh, at Survivor Series when Hogan picked up Elizabeth, and Savage just slightly gave a, a, a skewed look at him, and yes. that told you right there something's wrong. Okay, yes. and they're going to build over that. Uh, the subtleties are gone. The nuances are gone. Everything these days has to be now quick, fast. God, I do sound old. Uh, <laughs> all, all at one time. But I think it's that way with everything. I think I have a friend who does a Star Wars podcast. And mm-hmm. God, those guys are horrible. So are the Star Trek people. My, one of my favorite stories that, I, that reminds me of fandom was I went to a convention way back in the 1970s, right when Star Trek II was coming out. And the rumor was, which was true, that they were going to blow up the Enterprise. And I remember this girl got up and she started talking. And, and the more she talked about, it, the more upset she got. She started to cry and started screaming. <laughs> you can't. Don't destroy the Enterprise. We don't want a new Enterprise. We want our old Enterprise. That's the Enterprise. And then her friends had to literally, like Al Pacino at the end of oh Justice for All, had to drag her out of the room. You know, and I, <laughs> and I, I said wow. to my friends all the time, I said, you know. I imagine now this woman's a grandmother. She's sitting there, and I imagine her grandkids are saying, "Hey, hey, you want to see Grandma get upset? Go tell them they should have they should have blown up the Enterprise." You know, uh, I mean, it's something that will stay with her forever. You know, and and that's the trouble. Yeah. I, that's what I miss more than anything else is the nuance. I, I miss it too, and at the same time, it doesn't bother me because I mean, um, I, I, somebody did ask me like, "Do you?" prefer AEW over WWE and I was just saying yeah I prefer <laughs> AEW and they gave me a list of reasons why WWE is more proficient and I'm saying <laughs> well let's see is anybody in AEW or in WWE thinking about uh, paying off my mortgage and I said no and I said well I'm not going to take the time I got well, to Tony Khan to will if he does, hey, yeah. hey, I will give eight star reviews to everything on AEW if he pays my mortgage. What do you think? And then Kurt, you guys would know. Kurt, what? You, Kurt, you go back to the first days of the Observer. I don't remember if we've talked about it or not. What do you think of the mm-hmm. idea of the five star system? Uh, you know, not being a five star system, just being an endless star system. Okay, so <laughs> okay, 
I've had a handful of people over the six months, sometime rather rudely, talk to uh, tell me that I'm supporting somebody who just blindly follows Tony Khan and they don't think he should be allowed to say what he says. Few and private messages, uh, and they know who they are because they're blocked. <laughs> Dave Meltzer can do whatever the fuck what he wants. It's his newsletter. He's been my friend for uh, 40 years now, almost to the almost to the month. And he can give it 15 stars if he wants. He's the one who Norman Dooley started doing the star system. Dave Meltzer popularized it. He can do whatever, whatever the fuck he wants with it. And I now say that about the Hall of Fame, too. I used to get frustrated <laughs> about how he does his Hall of Fame. Here's the problem. Everybody's frustrated and all for different reasons. If he tried to please even a 20th of those people, he couldn't do it. So, uh He's my friend, and I say do what you want and uh, give them the finger if they don't like it. Oh, I'd like to see that. I'd like to see Dave do that. That would be an interesting move. <laughs> he just starts giving people the finger. <laughs> he would. No, he would. Go yeah, on yeah, Moxley yeah. on everyone. No, he, he, uh, no, no he's, he, he will stand up to somebody. See, I mean, I, I hear where you're coming from. I, got, I guess I'm looking at it from beyond it being Dave. Just the idea if there's an mm-hmm. established ranking system that people are accustomed to let's say it's movies and it's cisco and ebert and all of a sudden they go mm-hmm. you know is it thumbs up or thumbs down i'm gonna give it you know my dick like, okay yeah you know that's something that, i yeah. i didn't expect i never knew was part of the equation here so that's what i'm saying <laughs> you know it's not to attack dave but just the idea of if you're someone evaluating these things and you're used to five stars being the limit should there be something beyond five stars dan yeah, you have any thoughts why not Dan? <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I didn't. I, uh, <laughs> I was just, I was, I was uh, ruminating on that. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, when you start rating, I'm, I'm a, a kind of a big, uh, I guess control freak to some extent. I, I like structure. Uh, <laughs> I work well within structure. Uh, but I also, uh, am very comfortable with, with, with kind of, you know, coloring outside the, uh, the lines. Um, I do think, that I mean, my rating system is usually is a little different. Uh, either I liked it, I didn't like it. It was great. It it, it was excellent, uh, and it was a lot of fun. Uh, just something like that. It's not as, as scientific as you know. My favorite match of all time. My favorite match of all time. And I talked about it with you, Brian, on this was uh, Eduardo Carponte and Andre the Giant against Greg Valentine and Bobby Shane. That's right. Uh, it was not a great match, but boy, did it make an impression on me. And sometimes mm-hmm. just a real a really good match will make an impression on you. I sat through uh, great scientific matches and watched it. Um, I was at um, I, the only WrestleMania I ever went to was uh, uh, Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels the uh, the uh, one hour marathon match, um, and that was a really good technical match. I mean, those matches are always horrible when it comes down to it because everybody goes out to go to the bathroom or whatever because they know nothing's going to happen for <laughs> a minute, you know. But um, but in general, yeah, there was a lot of great moves there. I remember watching as a kid. Carl Gotch was in the WWF, and I didn't know much, but I knew that this guy was was something was it was something different. Uh, I do miss that uh, a lot of lucha in Japan when I first started watching it was was a lot more mat based, and I really enjoyed that. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's why I think I enjoy, uh, the, the, uh, George Kidd, who I, I didn't know that much about, and, uh, but I've been watching a lot more of him recently. 
Um, I think it's, it's so, you know, judging something scientifically like this is, is really, really, really difficult. Uh, I do like, you know, like I said, with the structure, I do like having a structure of saying, and this is where it goes into, because, um, you know, if somebody says to me, you know, did you like this movie? Oh, I really, 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 really liked it. You know, uh, <laughs> it, it, it makes it a little hard to figure, well, how many, you know, do, do I carve off a couple of reallys there? Is it, you know, I saw it, but it's two reallys <laughs> less than, than what you're talking about. Uh, I would prefer a little structure, but, you know, again, um, my, well, my I, I get another, my father, I just, that's okay. My, my father needs <laughs> to tell this, this wonderfully, um, um, uh, the wonderful joke that that you couldn't really tell today, but I'm going to tell it right now. And that was <laughs> all the pope, all the popes were Italian, okay. And uh, the pope came out and said uh, that uh, you know that uh, you couldn't uh, use birth control. You you know you just had to have babies. And uh, I said to my dad about that one time, uh, and he said to me in a, in a horrible Italian accent, "Hey." You know, play of the game, you know, make of the rules, uh, referring to the fact, you know, the priests couldn't have, have sex. So how come they're allowed to tell us how many kids, you know, so I use that line all the time, you know, play the game, you know, make of the rules. Uh, so, uh, it's yeah. kind of the same way it's, it belongs to Dave. If, if I came up with something, uh, when we were doing uh, the newsletters, Kurt, you know, we rated matches. Uh, mm-hmm. and, yes. and, and we didn't, we just did that because everybody else does that. It wasn't, it's, it's yep. not a, a big deal yeah. to me. Uh, it does help. Uh, truthfully, I, I do, uh, I don't watch AEW regularly. I don't watch WWE regularly. I will look online to see what looks interesting to me and I will seek it out and watch that. Um, huh. you know, but I do, I do like to have uh, the structure a little bit to be able to, to use something mm-hmm. more so. Not well, tell and me. I think I'm not. I'm not saying. I'm not saying. Uh, hang on, Kurt. I'm. I'm. I'm wrapping up here. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's not me. Not me saying that. Uh, you know, I need someone to tell me how good this match is. I just need something that's going to recommend me and guide me toward that match. Right. Yes. Yeah. And I think now things where I kind of stray from uh, pro wrestling on TV. This is just my thing. Is TV? You know. It's more of a TV-based industry now, like the TV show yeah. itself. So the shows are two to three hours, and I don't want to – you know, I, I obsessively watched wrestling until I was in my 30s, and I I still watched a lot of it for the next 10 years, but I think I was just wanting to get get interested in other stuff before I'm too old yeah. to be interested in other stuff, including the history yeah. of pro wrestling, which fascinates the hell out of me the more I yeah. – Hey Kurt, I want, hey Kurt, let me ask you a question, Scott, and I'll go to you in a second. Then I do want to talk to you, uh, Kurt, about what you're working on with wrestling history a little bit later on. But I remember you went to an AEW show. I want to say it was a pay per view in Vegas. Am I right? The first one, yeah, the one in 2019. That was oh. my first exposure to AEW. Okay, was that far back? I was going to say, I wonder now, just you know, where you are in life, knowing that you're a big fan of it. If you went to a live show, let's say in Los Angeles, when they were there. How long do you think you would last? Because they give you so much, and it's dynamite for a couple hours, dark matches, then matches for YouTube or whatever it may be, Rampage maybe. How? Yeah. Do you I, think you'd be I able to go through the taping? Why do you think I never attended a live Raw? <laughs> Is that why? That's the reason. I knew I was going to watch a TV show that had had better seats live rather than 
Yeah. I, I remember I remember when I'd be at work like 20-something years ago. Oh, 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 I just got raw tickets. They're, they're 100 bucks, And I'm going, okay, I'll watch it on TV. Thank you very much. <laughs> yeah, because well, that, that was a – that was a pay-per-view show, and I I had such a good time, and I it was fun seeing a packed arena of other people having a good time. I mean, that's I think something that kind of I get a kick out of is when I see younger fans. It reminds me of the passion that I had for it at the time. I I saw a bunch of people having a blast, and and also saw a lot of like a a lot of groups and buddies hanging together, which you didn't always see at the local arenas when I was a kid. It was. You know, uh, th- there were maybe a small handful of people who went to the different matchbook arenas in addition to the Olympic. Very small. And you see whole herds of people powwowing. And I, I don't know. I kind of dug that. Yeah. And I, I, mean, do, I, this- I, I if I could have my choice. Yeah, I'd love I'd love the wrestling that I knew and grew up with, because that was that was a shot of heroin for me. Totally. And uh, one of the reasons I like the Orange Cassidy's and the Diane Housens is because. The very first year when I watched wrestling, when it was just a total orgasmic rush, I, part of that was Titanic Snell Ring. So I got to see straight wrestling, and I got to see the most ridiculous wrestling, and I have an appreciation for both. Yeah, and you, you know, got I, I, and you became involved in, in a just that you became involved in uh, you know the Johnny Legend style and the the the, the independent lucha style, which is which is different than what most people get to see, let alone be involved in, you know? So I, I always appreciate your take on things because I know it comes from an honest place. You're not just saying it to be contrary or or anything like that. No, no, I'm I'm telling exactly how I feel. I promise you, especially with you cats, you all are, you, you, you are like the tribe. (laughs) <laughs> the most awesome tribe. I am quite literally in the tribe, but yes. What were you going to say before, Scott? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I can't remember other than the, 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 I never really tried to rate matches by stars and I haven't read, subscribed to the observer in many, many years now. I just, I did it a couple of times because I thought that's what you do. You know, I just felt <laughs> like it, that's, I just felt like a dope, you know, sitting there. Oh, <laughs> I should deduct a quarter star for that. <laughs> and uh, but now, now it's sort of. I think it's had its time and it's obsolete because now they're they're you know, racking up these insane things. You know, and, and again, it's his, as you say, his newsletter, or his mm-hmm. rating system. Mostly, he can do what he wants with it. The people put so much stock into it and get all been out of shape about it but on the other hand the other day the the, one of the most talked about matches recently was this kenny versus uh el viking uh uh, el El hijo del vikingo and it gets five stars and i went by kingo i just learned the proper pronunciation myself so that's why i'm correcting you Yes, always, always think of the titanus in the song el el vikingo that's that's my own el vikingo that's my own other uh, uh, old man uh, take on wrestling, which is you can call it whatever you want. For God's sake, Vince McMahon, he, he earns so much money. He wants to call it sports entertainment. That doesn't bother me. You know, I'm still going to call it wrestling. I, I said you know, people excuse themselves almost. Even Jim sometimes stumbles over WWF. Oh, I, I mean, WWE. Who the fuck cares? <laughs> <laughs> it's wrestling. You don't, it's wrestling. 
and you Earl McCready. <laughs> you, you don't work there. Nobody's going to yell at you. You can call it whatever you want. You know. That's right. You we're know. in each other's company, man. We're calling it call five star fuckery. Call it whatever you want to call it. <laughs> now there's welcome to AEW five star fuckery. Five star fuckery. Yeah. Well, and well, in 1941, I, I, that that, I saw that that uh, that Kenny uh, El Vikingo uh, match only got five stars. I went, oh shit, only five stars. <laughs> Somebody must have pissed them off, you know. <laughs> if I if I got if I gave stars, I'd give it an extra star or two just for the hell of it. Why not? And oh oh oh, and to, to further the, the Titanes versus normal wrestling in history, I just found the clip, the newspaper clipping. Earl McCready. Y'all heard the name Earl McCready, yeah? Of course. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Badass. Yeah. Earl McCready did a one-hour draw. With a mummy in 1941. How do you work that for an hour? Two out of three falls. I think they each took a fall. And the mummy was Pedro Martinez. Really? (laughs) Pedro Martinez? Yes, the masked mummy. The masked money. Huh. (laughs) That's because McCree took a nap halfway through it. Yeah. And it, it reminds me of when uh, Minoru Suzuki, right before COVID hit, was scheduled on a spring break show to wrestle Orange uh, Cassidy. And a couple of the indie local guys here in L.A. were saying, dude, I wish I could fly out to see that Minoru Suzuki is going to rip him a new one. He's going to strangle him for yeah. uh, disrespecting right. oh, the yeah. business. <laughs> and I let them I, I let them go on for a little while. And then I said, no, he won't. And I argued them with him lightly for a little bit. And then I sold them. I uh, sold them. I posted for them the match between Moro Suzuki and the Mecha Mummy in Japan. Yeah. And I also sold them the Battle Royal where he sold for a nine-year-old girl too. Oh. Yeah. Well, you come on, he wrestles a Mecha Mummy, and they 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 sprayed each other with fire retardants and shit like that. <laughs> I. I. And then one of the one of those wrestlers. One of those wrestlers didn't speak to that I showed it to didn't speak to me for over a month because uh, huh. of me uh, pulling down their pants. Oh jeez. Hey Kurt, what do you, you know? What Suzuki's go go ahead, guys. Sorry. Suzuki's main intensity and problem is that bad haircut. He just <laughs> <laughs> you want to tell it? <laughs> yeah, no, no. It's hard being in New Japan yeah. and being known as the guy with the bad haircut. <laughs> you know what i'm saying was uh, what i'm noticing and I, I hear it in scott and i hear it in kurt a little bit and that is if you've been a fan for a real long time of wrestling uh, you go through times when you when the malaise hits you where you're just kind of like i've seen everything it's kind of hard to impress me uh, it just it doesn't quite grab me as it did, and there's nothing wrong with that. I think if you if you do anything for a long period of time, you eventually get a, a little tired of it, uh, and then something will happen. Like for example, when the Olympic closed down out here, there was really nothing going on except some lucha shows on TV or whatever, and then the WWF came back uh, here when they started the expansion. And then, oh, 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 this is kind of cool. It's back on again. Oh, this is this is like it's like seeing an old friend we haven't seen for a long time. And I do think, like with everything, yeah. you do have to kind of step away from time to time. 
and I did that for a long time. And also the, the pandemic was really good for that because all there, there wasn't really that much to watch. I mean, I don't want to watch two right. guys fighting in an empty arena. Um, mm-hmm. but like, but like, for example, you know, now I feel from some of the research I've done and from some of the stuff I've seen and, um, you know, I, I really am looking forward to going to the Russell Connor on the weekend because there's a chance to see some guys that I grew up on. And it does feel kind of like being young again. It feels kind of like going back in time and, uh, and, wow. and seeing these guys. And I think that, um, that it's not a bad thing. I know that after, um, the Benoit situation, uh, that was almost a deal breaker for me, uh, with yeah. Russell, incompletely because I had refereed the match between two Cole Scorpio and Chris Benoit. And it was my favorite match that I ever refereed. I mean, standing in the ring and watching them, uh, go at each other and everything. I had to re- remind myself I was refing the match from time to time, uh, because I just wanted mm-hmm. to watch them up close. And Benoit was that night was the nicest guy in the entire world. He was easy to talk to. Um, I remember that he was wanted a cup of coffee, and the kids that were running, the, the guys that put the show on, um, they got him the night after the uh, when worlds collide uh, pay per view. They 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 shot it in this place called the Ice House, which was an old Ice House that was turned into a theater. And they Bob Barnett the filmed it. Co- I saw Bob Barnett's video yeah. this years mm-hmm. ago. Yeah, mm-hmm. and they sold they sold all their. Um, they sold all of their uh, baseball cards so they could uh, put on the show. the show. And, and what they did was they did the opener and they decided talking about getting your shit in. They did 35 minutes, the tag team uh, in the opener. In fact, and we should, we end- should fill in. These are guys who are not trained wrestlers. And most of yeah, what they did looked really good. They were amazing gymnasts, but they, when they locked up, they didn't look like they were locking up. And when they threw a punch, they didn't look like they were threw, throwing a punch. And one of those guys was Blitzkrieg, who did make it to yeah. WCW. They had a, yeah, but yeah. the problem was, you, you go ahead, Dan. You could tell me what the problem was. <laughs> well, also, they never discussed the finish was another problem. Because I know I was in the battle oh. with them. I wasn't refereeing that match. They had their own buddy refereeing that match. And I remember I stayed in next to Al Snow. And he goes, well, I don't have to do that much tonight because they've already done everything. Uh, you know, there's no, there's no, there's no, and by the time they got down to Benoit and to cold Scorpio, uh, most of the people had left because they came to see their friends. And I thought, boy, you could have saved a lot of money just by putting on the first half of that car for your friends. Uh, then instead of going on doing that, but, um, they didn't, they didn't know anything like Benoit wanted a cup of coffee. And I said, I turned to one of the guys and said, you need to go out and get a cup of coffee for your main event guy, because, Mm -hmm. you know, that's, that's what you do, you know? And then when we were doing, we were doing the match between Bob Bradley, who was the local guy here, not Bobcat Bradley uh, and Al Snow, they, uh, Al kept saying, what do you want to do for the finish? And they just kind of looked at each other. And finally I jumped in and suggested a finish and they went with that. But because they were just so, you know, not with it. Now that show was a lot of fun anyway, and that's that's a show also that I saved Kurt Brown's life. Do you remember that, Kurt? <laughs> that was great. That was great. Uh, One of the so few times a I fan was, got into it with me, and I started yelling back at him and shouting in his face, and he wanted to go with me, and I'm saying, well, I guess I'm going to have to start a fight here, but I don't want to. And then Dan just just crams himself in between the two of us like a sandwich and screams, you're out of your fuck out the fucking line. You sit down right now. And the kid guy, like a, a school kid sat down very quietly. And then I had to go blow it by 
falling out of the ring again and elbowing the kid. And telling <laughs> yeah, him right, right, you, you had to do it. Yeah, and I know. told him I fucked. I fucked his mother. I told him I fucked there his go. mother. There you go. But uh, no, I, I want to say something. I want to say something in my defense. I had no idea that his mother died two weeks earlier. I mean, oh. how would I have known, man? That was that was kind of fucked up. <laughs> then I had to come up with a joke about necrophilia, which is hard when you're uh. living. Uh, yeah, but I mean, uh, no, no, his mother I, didn't really die. I'm making that part off. <laughs> but I did but say just, I in just, just in general, to, to get back to what I originally said was that you know after that happened, here was the guy that I told my friends, oh, if you want to watch wrestling, watch this guy. This guy is is the real deal. Watch this guy. Huh. And then this horrible thing happens, and yes. I was like, I just don't know what uh, I want to do with this anymore. I just don't know. But, you know, you come and you go and you get regenerized and, you know, re-enterized mm. as opposed to generized. re re-enterized <laughs> and um, it's been a long work day. Um, yeah. and you, and you want to do that. But I do yeah, think that everybody it. does get – it does – people do get burned out on, on shit after yeah. a while. And it's really easy to, especially if you've been a fan for a long time. And there's nothing wrong with stepping back for a while. It's always going to be there. It's always going to be there. You can always go back to it anytime you want to, or mm-hmm. go to some hole in the wall card uh, with a taco truck out front and and go to that. And and the ambience will... alone there is a lot of fun. I uh, yeah. Fredo and I, I went you know, to what we still call the worst lucha card we ever saw. The matches were horrible, but it was in this tiny taqueria somewhere in uh, deep in L.A. and the ring could barely fit in there. And we had a great time. The matches were yeah. terrible, but we had fun. Yeah. Yeah. Brian, have yeah. you ever been to a point, Brian, where you've been burned out on it? Oh my gosh. <laughs> uh I don't know if I would say burned out. I lost interest and in, you know, some people always find this interesting. I lost interest in two thousand, where a lot of people think like if you're a WWE fan, it was like their greatest year ever. I had lost interest. Nitro was really bad by that point. I'd hated what WCW was doing. I was getting fed up with WWE. And from like 2000 to around 2004, for the most part, I walked away from wrestling. You still kind of keep up with things every now and then. Yeah. Rick mm-hmm. Flair's book was actually one of the things that helped bring me back in. Because mm-hmm. it had been a few years and I still cared. I still loved history of wrestling. I had so much shit from my teenage years on the history of wrestling. I still love that stuff. So... The Ric Flair book brought me back in. I was working at Sony, and uh, I had various friends at Sony Wonder who did the distribution for the WWE DVDs. So I had everything they were releasing, and they were releasing all their classic stuff back then, like the yeah, biggest stars. So did I. Yeah, everyone who was friends of mine basically <laughs> got any album or any DVD or any CD <laughs> or anything they ever wanted for free for all the years yep. I was at Sony. <laughs> and Scott Cornish is a witness to that. Um, Absolutely. But yeah, so, That's so, awesome. so that kind of like pushed me. I was kind of pushed away for a few years. I came back, started getting the Observer again. That was kind of like a mantra. You know, it didn't go away. The Observer was still, it looked the same. <laughs> it yeah. read the same, a little more <laughs> MMA than I wanted. But, you know, I actually always have thought that that four years of getting outside of the bubble was a good thing. It was actually yeah. a really good thing. Yeah. That makes sense. I, but yeah, still, I'm looking think, at things like, like WrestleMania this weekend, you know, and you were asking Kurt if he would go to a taping that was that long, you know, now, it's WrestleMania. And I always 
want to see how things are presented. And then it actually looks good this year, but still yeah. eight hours over two. Yeah. Over, that's a lot. And that's, 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 that's being conservative. You know, if you watch everything that they're presenting, everything that's out there, if you watch the hall of fame, if you watch NXT and, and all of this, you know, now you're talking 10, 12, watch the pre-shows. Uh, it reminds me of that great line by Rita Rudner, where she says, uh, she's talking about, about uh, being in labor, uh, eight hours of WrestleMania. I don't even want to do something fun for that long. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. No, that's like that's that. absolutely true, Scott. The template for shows that I first started going to in the seventies, they started at seven o'clock and they were done by nine fifteen. They were four yeah. matches, two, two matches, intermission, semi intermission, main event. Everybody got home by yeah. nine thirty. I mean, that's the way they did mm-hmm. it. Yeah. Uh, and, and then I worked on shows later on where I would walk in and, and some guy would come running up to me in a panic and go, we don't have enough wrestlers. We don't have enough wrestlers. And I said, how many wrestlers do we have? And he goes, 25. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, I said, I could do a show with yeah. four guys. Give me you know, two singles and a tag. There you go. That's it. That's all. Yeah, you do, need the, to do, do the, the old school bonus about. tag thing. Yeah. Yeah. Do the, yeah. Yeah, I, you know, and I think everybody should be, you know, especially the really old school people from the territory today's, be thankful you had it while it was there. Because that's what I, when I reminisce, I miss it. And I wish, uh, the one match I wish I could experience all over again as a kid was Black Ordman and Goliath. It was only the second night of the evening, uh, match of the evening at the Olympic against Tony Rocco and La Pantera Negra. And they were such great heels that they actually had you convinced that Pantera Negra and Rocco were going to kick their ass. Even though you knew deep inside they were mid-carders, they were so good at selling that you thought maybe they'll pull it out. Because one of the few smart things <laughs> LaBelle did was occasionally they'd put over a complete jobber over a mid-carder or even a top guy on TV occasionally to make you wonder, hmm? And I'll never forget how I felt. but. Even if they had a tape of that match and I watched it again, I wouldn't have that same feeling, but I'm glad I got to experience it. Oh, I know. And now you understand also that Kurt and I will bring up Black Gorman and the Great Goliath every time we can until enough people know who they are. <laughs> uh, that's just one of the rules that, that we do. We always make sure we mention them. Hey, guys, uh, we'll go a little bit longer, but we always do this. We always talk about the World Series, but if I got you guys here specifically, I'll go to Kurt first. Kurt, what are you reading right no. now? Well, the two city cuttlefish, you know, with, uh, <laughs> well, who's their manager this year? Oh, yeah, their manager was Big Dick Hertz from Dallas, Texas. Once again, the he question was, the what are you reading right now? And this is the yeah. answer. <laughs> no, okay, what am I reading? I thought you said, well, how am I reading the next series? Okay, well, what am I reading right now? I'm starting to read some of the Perry Mason mysteries because I enjoyed the HBO huh. version of Perry oh, yeah, Mason really so good. damn much. That's really good. And I'm reading the series, actually not the Perry Mason series, but they're called uh, Cool and Damn. Uh, that oh, Earl cool Stanley and Gardner. Mm-hmm. Cool and Lamb, yes. Cool and Lamb. About a heavyset woman who owns a private detective agency in the 30s, and this uh, really green detective comes, you know, just strolls into her place one day, and uh, I just started that book. And... What else? Oh, I'm reading. Uh, I recently read uh, uh, 
as you could tell earlier, uh, I read about Rob McEwen's life, a biography which was excellently oh. written. That was uh, it's so funny. Rob McEwen <laughs> was always the punchline when I was younger of what really bad poetry is. And I look at it and I now say, hmm, no, it's kind of like Bohemian Hallmark cards. But it's a fascinating story of why he wrote this, uh, these poems. Uh, he wasn't aiming to be a poet, but that's what sold. He just wanted to be a star. And it was a very well-written book. I think it was written about three years ago. And what else have I read recently? Um, oh, I'm right in the middle of a book written on Joe D'Alessandro. Oh, and really? all his involvement with the War Hill. Oh, this yeah. is a fascinating book. Fascinating character, yeah. Yeah, and in fact, this book is great. Little it, Joe. It, Little Joe, yeah. It gives a quick right. bio of him that's maybe 70 pages and in a tight nutshell, and then it examines all his films. And the bio is nice and tight, enough where I got all the info I need, and I get the feeling that's all the info Little Joe wants out there. But it paints a very three-dimensional picture of who he is and who the people he hung with were. And um, I've always been intrigued by him and, to some extent, Andy Warhol. So I am... I am in hog heaven book-wise right now. Scott, what about you? What are you reading? Not all that much. I have a, I've <laughs> lately I've had a very short attention span for reading books, but certain things grab me. I've got it morely as a novelty, but I haven't even started reading it yet. I have a very small biography of uh, the French cabaret performer Le Petamain. And, uh, oh. <laughs> you know, Le Main, don't you? Uh, -huh. no, I don't. And please send me the link to the book. Cause you already have me, my curiosity. Oh my God. Uh, in the turn of the century, I'd say, or in the early part of this century, he was the premier act at the Folie Berger. I, I'm not kidding. His specialty was being able to fart at will uh to to make music with his with his uh with his father I've heard of this guy. Yes, I have heard he of this could, guy. Make, he he was the he was the rage of the French cabaret scene. He performed for for royalty. He Get could, out of here. He could stand <laughs> he could stand ten feet away from a candle and blow it out with uh you know with with, with his fart. with a little blast of gas a personal with, gas. so 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 notorious that that in the film Blazing Saddles, uh, 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 Mel Brooks gave himself the name, the character name, Governor mm -hmm. Lepetta Maine. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> now you and do I realize went, into, I... went into one of my favorite used bookstores uh, uh, and saw it, much to my delight. And uh, oh, that's great! <laughs> it's very small. I don't know how much you can possibly cover. But that same that same bookstore uh, produced. It, I find stuff in there that I didn't even know existed, which is my favorite thing. Uh, mm -hmm. There's a, a book about a guy from the early '60s, a book about a guy that ran like a live gorilla show in the carnivals called "The Ape I Knew." I'm reading oh that, <laughs> and I'm finally uh, after. I always put. Uh, the she uh, Brian Solomon's chic book in my bag. If I travel, if I go to do laundry, if I do whatever, and then I just fuck around on my phone 
instead of reading the book. <laughs> now I'm finally mm-hmm. entering the home stretch and, and, and finishing the sheet book. There's a couple that of few other ones. That but, was uh, the sheet book oh, was fantastic. absolutely one of the most phenomenal yeah. books I've ever read. Uh, as you, part you talk of about biography. you talk about cards that are talk about cards that are too long. Look at some of the posters for those for those Kobo Hall shows that had twelve <laughs> matches on them. Every program, every program is like fifteen matches. You go, oh my, oh no, uh, the Porky Pig versus got to you know. <laughs> and, <laughs> It is uh, funny to see how different territories back then worked. Like in here in LA, the typical card was five matches. The fourth would be the main yeah. event, and then the last match would match would be like a decompression match where you know yeah. a couple of good hands did their stuff in the ring, and people yeah. slowly left the arena. You guys, yeah, Madison it? Square Garden shows weren't weren't. Uh, there were too many matches. They weren't too long, but there were too many bad, bad matches over three plus hours. <laughs> you guys hear that well, Brian Solomon's doing the Gorilla Monsoon biography next? Yes. Oh, yes. Fantastic. I pitched him the Jerry Graham uh, book a couple of years ago. He hasn't uh, picked <laughs> up on that yet. Trouble finding You'd the You'd probably publisher. have to start drinking. You'd have to, one, you'd have to start <laughs> drinking if you... If you did the job right, this is just my opinion. If you really did the job right and you were able to dig deep, you'd probably do a lot uh, of drinking yourself because <laughs> I, I don't believe he was born that way. I think some heavy shit uh, happened to him. And oh, speaking of which, I would I would like to make mention that uh, there the famous hospital episode where the doc took his um, mother's body. The person he took in tow with him, who was twelve year old Jim Graham. Uh, Jim Graham passed away March 14th, um, heart failure. Yeah, I was very sad to hear it. And I wanted, uh, I hope you don't mind if I make mention of him because. No, go ahead, Kurt. I coursed, yeah, I corresponded with him a bit um, on Facebook. And when I saw pictures, he looked stocky. He looked like a stocky guy like his dad. He looked jovial. And from his writing, he sounded like a gregarious guy. But aside the fact that he was in the 82nd Airborne and played uh, uh, football in the Army, I think the similarities between him and his dad in there, this was a guy who was uh, taught Sunday school at the Southern Baptist Church in Bowie. He he taught fifth grade, and the thing that struck me when I saw mentions of his passing, tons of people, whether they were adolescents or adults, said oh my god he was the nicest teacher and he was very supportive and uh, some somebody else made the comment that you never felt like you were a stranger with him and at the same time he never apologized for for his father's crazy antics and he does acknowledge that the right thing was done when uh he and his siblings were put into foster care after the um the hospital debacle which probably says something to the people to Doc Mary too. Uh, is even the the moms weren't they didn't feel they were safe with the mothers, but he never talked bad about his dad, and he loved the fact that his dad had a posse was admired to this day. Uh, but such a mellow guy, and I I could tell like he knew I was as liberal as he was conservative, and he never made me made me feel like I was a dick for being the way I am and likewise. Oh. 
No, oh, sorry to hear about his passing, Kurt. Oh, thank yeah. you, thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah I was reading that. Hoping uh, I, I knew I'd probably never meet him, but I was hoping one day we would get to powwow. What are you saying, Scott? Did you read that uh, Bill Zim died? No, he was a uh, uh, celebrity. Uh, his expert were, was like a celebrity biography. He wrote the best book about Andy Kaufman yeah. out there. He wrote. Oh, Zamuda. Uh, you... No, 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 not Zamuda. Bill. Oh, yeah, oh. yeah. Bill Zim was a journalist, and he. Wrote oh, okay, a gotcha, great, gotcha. Bunch of great biographies, specifically the Andy Kaufman book, and uh, a great book about Sinatra called "The Way You Wear Your Hat." Um, yeah, just 64. He just passed away a day or two oh, ago. I'll have to look into some know. of this stuff. Wow. Yeah. Mm. Dan, what are you reading? Uh, well, actually, on your recommendation, uh, most recently I finished uh, Retail Gangster, which was really, really good. Yeah, what'd you I think really like that? that. Yeah, what'd you think? Uh, of that's that? that's unbelievable. That, <laughs> that's I never read basically The Godfather uh, for a guy that sold uh, stereos. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> really what what is this? Tell me, tell me. Oh, the oh. the book is called Retail Gangster. I talked about it on a few different shows, Kurt. It's the Story of the rise and fall of the Crazy Eddie electronics chain, uh, as well as uh, Eddie Antar, and as well as the Syrian Jewish community around Brooklyn. It's incredible because it's basically just for whatever 15 years how they robbed and stole from everyone. Yeah. They stopped paying sales tax, they got their competitors to pay for their advertising. I mean, it was just one thing after another. It's an extraordinary book. Wow. Wow. Did it make okay. a hell of a movie? Did it make a hell of a movie? Somebody man. sends me the link of that too, please. Please send me the link. That I want to read that. Yeah. I'm uh I'm also I'm, I'm going to pick up because uh the guy that wrote the Vince McMahon book is going to be at uh WrestleCon this weekend. Uh so oh, Abraham Reisman? Uh-huh. Yeah. He did a and, um, uh, a Stan Lee biography too. Yeah, I want to I want I want to get that too. But uh, I also pick up want to pick up the Medusa book because she'll be there also. But uh, I, I go back and forth. I like to alternate between fiction and nonfiction, and I'm a big hard boiled um, uh, mystery guy, uh, and I I love those books. And I I've read a lot of them by Donald E. Westlake, who was, was a great uh, great hard boiled author who wrote so much and so fast that when he died, he still had like ten books. Uh, that weren't released yet, you know, and, uh, and, uh, I, he, they finally released, uh, on the, uh, I forget what the, 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 uh, the publisher is all they do is they release, actually they released a lot of those, the, uh, it's called uh hard case. It was like the hard case, uh, crime books. They released a lot of, a couple of the, uh, the birth of cool and, uh, lamb books you were talking about, Kurt, uh, oh, because okay. that was, that was done by Earl Stanley Gardner, who did also, like you said, did Perry Mason. But he wrote so much that uh, his his agents made him write under assumed names because they they were didn't want to flood the market because he was writing like a book a month because he was one of the black mask guys with, with Chandler and Hammett and, and they, he could write very very fast. But Donald E. Westlake was just a master of of hard boiled fiction and uh, and, mm. and wrote wrote the Hot Rock, which was a, a big Robert. Uh, Redford movie a long time ago, but this last book is called Call Me a Cab, and it's just a really simple book about a guy driving a taxi who picks up a woman who decides that she wants him to drive her across country to Arizona from New York, 
And uh, while they're making that drive, she's going to make up her mind whether or not she's going to marry the rich guy that's waiting for her in Arizona. Mm. And uh, it's just he's just he's, he's his work is lean, it's tight, and uh, I, I really it just jumps off the page. It's uh, five stars. Speaking, no, <laughs> yes. Speaking of that, speaking speaking of such six and seven, eight star fiction and ten star fiction, Dan, you might have heard of this guy. I only heard of him in about two weeks ago. A guy named Jim Tully. Yeah, mm-hmm. he, I, uh, in past, I don't know him real well. Oh my God, this guy is fascinating. He was a guy who. Uh, in the early 1900s, he was a professional boxer for a while, rode the rails by choice. Uh, he eventually landed in the movie colony, and he started writing books which they say never really were big hits because they were a bit too real, especially books on riding the rails and being a vagabond. Yeah. Uh, and there, it, I started reading one of them, and it's absolutely incredible and it is you understand why it didn't get over at that time because you talk about a 19 year old you know talking to a 19 year old by the rails who only has one eye and is chain smoking and his entire uh index and uh um writing finger are just pure yellow dark yellow move over very (laughs) oh god yeah no this makes Kerouac. this make Kerouac look like a frat party. <laughs> they should put that on the book jacket. I like that. I'm going to put that on my book, even though it's not <laughs> going to be a shocking at all. What you going to say? Make- like, if you're going to be like Kerouac, Kurt, what you need to do is you need to mm-hmm. go to the the butcher and get a, a long roll of uh, a paper that they wrap meat in, because that's how Kerouac used to write sometimes. Yeah, he get a long roll. <laughs> Yeah, just yeah. one page, just one endless one, page. One endless page. Oh, Lord. But, I mean, that's, you know, wrestling, wrestling could learn from also, when I go to look at, at novels and whatever, especially hard-boiled stuff, um, if I can't tell by looking at the cover, get an idea, of, it, 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 if it doesn't sell me, I'm not going to get it. Because, but with this the book, Call Me a Cab, on the front it says, she promised uh, him she'd get there, she just didn't say how. You know, oh, who can put out a book it. that has that written on the front? Uh, you know, I mean, you have to. The covers them, yeah. are a work of art in themselves. Yes, they are. <laughs> All right. Well, Kurt, you already picked who you're gonna, who you think is gonna win the World Series. I think we know that answer. Dan, <laughs> sorry about That's... your Orioles this year, but who do you think is gonna win the World Series? I know. <laughs> well, you know, listen, they're they're rebuilding. It's, it's a, uh, they're rebuilding. They got some young people coming in. I see them finishing like third or fourth, and I, it's going to be a while. But they may, if things go well for them, get up there. I think it's just if things be go well, boring old. If they sell yeah, the team, if things go well. Yeah, if they, sell, <laughs> if they sell the team, things will go well. Now stop it! You make fun of my baseball team, and you make fun where I, where I was born. So you guys got to stop doing that. I, I, I watch. I listen to you and Cornette. You're making fun of Evansville, Indiana, all the time. Oh, I forgot uh, you're from Evansville. That's right. I think it was yeah, Baltimore. Uh-huh. I forgot about Evansville. Yeah, or Depressionville is what they call it. That was the thing from Cauliflower Alley this year. We had that great seminar with uh, Jimmy Hart and Lawler and Jerry Jarrett. And he started, Lawler started talking about Evansville, about how he hated going to Evansville. Um, and he didn't want to go there. And, and it was, they called it Depressionville. And it was like the worst place he could ever go to. And they said, any questions from the audience? I was sitting in the front row and it said, yeah, Jerry, thanks a lot for making my making fun of my hometown. 
And, <laughs> big laugh. and he went, he was, I'm so sorry. And I said, no, that's okay. Don't worry about it. But uh, yeah, so every time I, you know, I listen to you guys, oh, Evansville, ha, 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 ha. Yeah. That's more Jim than but me. I've never I hear, been there. It is more Jim. Whenever I hear Evansville, all I think of is I, I hear of WTBS in the background. Saturday night, in, 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 yeah, Evansville, Indiana. Don Mattingly was from Evansville. Yeah, that, that that was that. Ron Glass from Barney Miller. There's there's a lot of famous people. <laughs> oh, he was uh, awesome, <laughs> yeah. especially in that episode of All in the Family. Ron Glass yeah. rules. He got he got he got uh, he got five stars for that too. But uh, definitely that was no, brilliant. I, I I predict actually it's 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 I think it's boring to me. It's it's going to be Atlanta over the the Astros. That's what I think it's going to be. Scott Cornish, who's going to win the World Series? Uh, first, uh, w- whenever I hear Evansville, I just imagine any wrestler from Memphis uh, telling you their memories. Monday was Memphis. Tuesday was Thursday was a house show. <laughs> Friday was a spot show. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm... I don't, I don't know, so I hope this gets me over. But because it pleases so many of my friends, I'm going to say the Mets. There we go. That sounds like a. <laughs> I like that too. I'm always have the Mets in my heart, and I said this last year because Elena, her dad, used to go to ba- baseball games to see the Mets when she was a little girl. Oh, you guys really know how to make me a- feel special here at the end of the show. This is nice. Aww. Well, I didn't get. Well, I, when I didn't get to say my part where I said they are rejuvenated. That um, Big Dick Hurts, the manager of the Tuba City Cuttlefish, has gotten a rejuvenation machine, which is kind of like my time travel machine for newspapers.com, where uh, he has rejuvenated Tim Lintz Cums, and he's had him grow his hair long again, and he's, uh, well, I don't know how to tell you, but he's cloned. There are like several dozen Tim Lintz Cums now. And they're all going to rule the baseball world. They're all 18 again, and they're in their prime. So Tuba City Cuddlefish with Tim Lintz uh, comes number one through Tim Lintz comes number 16. Even the Bat Boy is going to be a Tim Lintz comes. You know, and I thought I got good shit. Kurt, what's the, uh, what's the history project you're currently working on? Let the listeners know about that. What's going on? I'm having so much fun. I since we last talked, I don't think when we last talked, I had uh, gotten a hold of two of uh, or both of Jimmy L. Pulpo's daughter, and had several interviews with them. And they, uh, his post wrestling life was twice as fascinating as his uh, wrestling life. So I got a lot to work with here, and I'm really excited about that. I also have been exploring the career of Ray Duran. And I was, uh, it was amazing. This guy wrestled, this guy wrestled probably more people in the time he was in the business and like a wide variety of stars from so many different territories, including Ricky Dosen. Uh, from 1937, he started out as a boxer. He's one of the guys who started in CMLL in 1937 wrestled from 1973 almost purely as uh, enhancement talent. But he wrestled everybody from Luther Lindsay, you know, badass wrestler to the McGuire twins. twins. There was nobody he didn't put over. 
and uh, even had a brief title run in Mexico. I got a hold of his daughter, who uh, Mimi, who is just one of the most delightful people he could ever talk to. And she shared with me memories of uh, going to the little sewing shop where they made all the wrestling gear and all the uh, luchadores hung out when she was a little girl, which reminds me a lot of Gil's gym in East Los Angeles. And uh, I was double jazzed when I met Jerry Jarrett at Cauliflower Alley and I brought Duran's name and he lit up and just said, oh my God, he was a good friend of mine and a wonderful man and an excellent worker. So this is a guy almost everybody crossed paths with back it from the 30s to the 70s. Hmm. Wow. Kurt, I don't know why. Kurt, I don't know why it made me think of it, but have you seen any of the Rey Mysterio, Dominic Mysterio stuff? Not a bit. I have not watched any WWE in at least three years. Oh, is it worth checking out? It's hard to say. I think there yeah, are, there are moments is. that are. I mean, the Bloodline stuff has been really good, but with Ray mm-hmm. and his family turning his son into like the ultimate chicken shit who talks about his prison stay and has Rhea Ripley as his dominant girlfriend. But they did an angle where he started. <laughs> I, they did an angle where he started yelling at his sister and his mom the other day. And finally, Ray had enough, and he had to confront his son. It was great. I thought it was so good. Yeah. It was. Oh wow! Yeah, you. I, I know you. You. You lost me at prison term, but you got me at having a prison term and a dominant woman in his life. <laughs> oh my god, that's hot. Dan, what you reacting? Uh, when, what do you think of all that? stuff? I think I'm getting wood. I'm getting yeah. wood on this. <laughs> uh, no, go I'm to prison sure. and then you come back to a woman who beats the shit out of you. It does not get more bitching than that. That's living. That's a living. When he gets in trouble okay. in the ring, uh, he he yells for uh, he yells for uh, uh, Rhea Ripley by saying "Mommy." <laughs> I love it. I'm love not it. kidding. He does. It's funny. I okay. Oh my god! I'm gonna be watching. <laughs> He's much better than he has any right to be because he wasn't any any good as like the up and coming babyface partner to his dad. You know. As long as they found the magic potion, that's the that's the goal. Find the magic potion that gets you over. They turned it, and and now he's something worth watching. Oh my gosh, Ooh. Dan, what do you think of the Dominic Mysterio yeah. stuff? Uh, I re- I really like it. And now that's just the situation again, much like with the Bloodline stuff. They took their time with this. They dragged it. And they you know dragged it out a little bit, which I think is is, is really is a good idea. And I mean the fact that he finally snapped. What really drove Ray over the edge was he he insulted his wife. That's my wife. He said that to him, and, and that's something you would <laughs> that's say. Awesome. That's something that's something you would say in that situation. You know, that may be your mother, but that's my wife. You know, you don't do that. I used to say to my sister all the time. I said, "Listen, you know, mom and uh, mom and dad, you know, love us, but that's their their husband and wife. That's that's always going to take precedent over the kids. Don't worry about that." But I mean, it comes down to it, and I think what they're probably going to do, I think, is they'll probably put uh, Dominic over. And, and keep it going a little bit. The one thing I, I do wish they wouldn't do, I have a feeling they're going to do something with the, the Hall of Fame. And I kind of wish they wouldn't use that for an angle because I, uh, you yeah. know, Ray's worked so hard over the years that, you know, having, you know, Kurt and I saw him when he was what, 16 years old, 14, 15, 14, 15, whatever. He backed. He had to. He had to not. He, we were gonna. We had him on his show, and he couldn't come because he had a test the next day. He had to study for the test. Uh, ah. But we. Um, 
but I, I but I look at him and, and all the stuff he done. And actually, I got a chance in the last two years talk to him at Cauliflower Alley and gave him some pictures that I took when he first started out that in case he wants to use them for something. Uh, but I mean, he's, I talk about someone who, if you had told me back when I first met him that he would be a world champion in the, in the WWE and be in the hall uh, of fame or whatever, I, I would tell you as it, Kurt, you know, it can attest to, he was good. I mean, he was really, good. Oh, he, he was amazing. Really fast. In, in fact, Dan, but you, for him do you know that as big as he did? Hmm? Yeah, you know that uh, the video you recently posted of Asai and Tijuana that night? Uh-huh, yeah. You know, there was footage of uh, Rey Mysterio as Colibri, but maybe only three or four minutes. Because uh-huh. uh, when, you know, he has Colibri opening bout, and I told Wally Yamaguchi, who did the footage, film his match. This guy's going to be great. Now, I had no idea he would be WWE World Heavyweight yeah, Champion. Great. It was amazing. I just mm-hmm. thought he's going to be a hit in Mexico and Japan. And maybe, I, back then, I thought maybe somebody in America might appreciate him on a fringe basis. Yeah. But I had no idea. And that's one of the positive things about the way the business changed, in my opinion. Yeah. I mean, and I know that when we first used him on the on the first uh, Hollywood Heavyweight card in January of uh, 1980 or 90, 90, 90 it was. Um, or no, it had to be before that. It had to be the 80s. But he, um, uh, he was so young still. Uh, I said to Conan, I said, what do we bill him as weight-wise? And he goes, eh, go, go 175. You know? And I said, what do we pay him? <laughs> what do we pay him? And he said, hey, give him 10 bucks. I don't want him to get a big head. You know, so, I mean, Conan's been there. I, I've all the yeah. that he's going to Something he's an expert in, having a big head. No. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be here all week, ladies and gentlemen. Oh, <laughs> rim shot for Brian Last Daddy. Oh, baby. Oh, baby. <laughs> no, who no are trip they? To um... Iran. No trip to Iran for you. Uh... <laughs> Wait, is he good? If Luthez were still with us, would he be the next guy who was the guy in Iraq who challenged their champion to a shoot? Or, or will it, if Luthez was still alive, or would it be Bob Roop, or would it be Stan Hansen? Remember, Lou says used to tell that story. I took so and so to Iraq, and he challenged their champion, and oh, they quivered yeah. and said, "Let's yeah. just work." And he changed the 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 badass every time from Stan Hansen to Bob Roop to some other well, Carl Gotch. I don't know. Yeah, but no, no, Brian. Brian, it's 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 a great it's a great angle, Brian, and it's it's being done really really well. And I'll be interested to see with both those the bloodline and this one where they go after that. So the Ray Ripley, does she get like, does she get like sexually exploitive with the Dominic? Have you ever seen the way she pins? Have you ever seen the way she pins the other women, Kurt? She, like, I I guess it's a power bomb. She power bombs them down, but then she pins them like I don't even like rough missionary. I don't even know what the fucking call. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I do have to watch this. I have to watch this. Oh my god. Uh, oh my he's going to be up all night now. That's, that's... No, you know, I'll <laughs> say this. You know what? And I just saw Kurt. I, was, I forget if it was Kurt or someone else, but someone put on Twitter. It wasn't you, Kurt. It was someone else. Someone put on Twitter an all Japan women's match from the 80s that I was watching today. And they were saying how it was Jeff Baldron. They were saying how, wow, they still aren't doing this stuff today in wrestling. I think there are so many unequipped or under-equipped or under-trained women wrestlers that get on TV in North America just because... I agree. They do. 
However, WWE, Rhea Ripley and Bianca Belair, to me, are as good oh. as they get in North America yeah. ever. Yeah. I, gotta. You know, I, I do have to watch that because uh, I remember about a year ago talking with Mickey Doyle on the phone, and <laughs> we talked to AEW, and he said, yeah, I'm not really into that. And I'm saying, I really hate this, but I watched all the time. And he said, no, I don't hate you for watching that. I, if you can get an enjoyment out of something I can't enjoy, why should I be mad at you? But <laughs> he did make a point, and he said that it's just – he said the, what, my biggest complaint is the women in AEW aren't nearly as well-trained as the women in WWE – and it's true. A year later, yeah, I've yeah. been thinking I really should check them out. I really should take a little time and check the women there out. And I'll tell you, I do enjoy the women on AEW, but they aren't all that in the ring. Hmm. Certain ones I are, and certain to, uh, ones aren't. I mean, it, it's kind of been exposed mm-hmm. recently. But go ahead, Scott. I'm sorry. No, that's fine. I I went to a raw taping. You talk about checking a woman out. The one thing about that taping, it was kind of an ordinary taping. Nothing particularly special in a raw live broadcast, I should say from Albany last year. And, uh, uh, they were really pushing Rhea and the judgment day, her faction that she's with, uh, judgment day had a match. Rhea came out and got involved and was in a few other things. And she was in the main event against Oscar, who's also a way above average talent, you know? Um, but, she's standing at ringside and we were pretty close to, to where she was standing. She's standing at ringside in in her skin tight outfit, um, watching the judgment days match. And I got to see if I still have it. I caught a photo of her leaning against the ring, looking incredible. And a handheld WWE camera guy is standing right next to her. And he doesn't have his camera up, and he is just staring directly at her ass. (laughs) (laughs) And I go, (laughs) he he probably will never get in trouble for that. (laughs) Now, now, does 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 do you think Ripley will be like smacking Dominic around, like doing really like (laughs) nasty stuff to him? Because that's what's going to sell me. Well, I think they're seeing an I older, older woman smack a younger see, guy Kurt, around. That's hot. That's Kurt, hot shit. That's really hot. So Dominic was like a yeah. chicken shit baby face. Uh, his dad was Rey Mysterio. They would come out to the ring smiling, high fiving, tagging up, but he mm-hmm. wasn't impressive. And then I think this is the beginning. Rhea Ripley just started kidnapping him. Like she would yeah. oh, God. for the judgment day to get the Rey Mysterio, Rhea Ripley would just snatch her son like in a room full of people she would just walk in there and just throw him over her shoulder and walk out oh damn and okay. then he, oh i've been this okay oh i get my dvr oh man i am so turned on now and then he, he fell under her spell and fell in with her friends in the judgment day and then they started doing videos that really only shouldn't say only but primarily aired on youtube and then they would show highlights on tv where Rhea and dominic would show up at ray's house on different holidays and cause right. a scene with the family, and then he got arrested. Oh, yeah. And then once he yeah. got arrested, that's when they started pretending. He started pretending like he had a big prison stay. Ex-con. Oh, that bitching. Oh, and all and all because of a woman who smacks him around. That's hot. That is so last hot. week. Right. Last week on Raw, he complained that his mom and his sister threw him out of the group chat, and I thought it was the funniest <laughs> line. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was the funniest <laughs> line because it's so real. 
<laughs> oh my god! Oh my god! And, and when the family got together, they wouldn't let Ray play Twister with us. You know, I don't know why. Uh, Dan, what were you saying? <laughs> I'll just say, Brian, Brian, stop! Kurt's getting weird. Uh, please. Uh, 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 I why do you call it weird? I'm just getting warmed up. I thought this was that's what you talking about me, Danny baby. Uh, <laughs> that's what I'm afraid of. Uh, Actually, what I like about Rhea Ripley, besides all the other stuff, she has a very playful sense of humor. You see little outtakes and stuff. Like, she'll be at ringside, yeah. and there'll be somebody in the ring, and she'll go, hey, dickhead, like that, just like joking with them or whatever. Oh, what I, like is she, I, saw, I saw a clip of her. She rolls out of the ring. Yes. Uh-huh. And she's right, she's right by the rail, reaches under the rail, and unties some guy's shoes. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's right ah, back in the I ring. love it. I think she sells right. yeah. the way she sells her facial expressions, the movement. Like, yeah. It's perfection. Yeah. I don't think I've ever seen a better. Well, she's from Australia, so I can't even say North American wrestler, but she's <laughs> probably her. I think, and I think Bianca Belair is great too. And they both kind of yeah. came out of yeah. that system around the same time. And they both look like stars. Problem is you have some really top people. And then. Under it, it may not be so good. In AEW, it's just a complete disaster. Yeah. That women's division is just but a I, I, unmitigated well, I, one disaster. Of the things, yeah, one of the things with the women's division is they'll have a woman who is not very, who is good, but not well schooled against a woman who is really green. So you have the green leaving the green, and it's like really obvious. Did you see the Anna J. Britt Baker footage, Kurt? The which? They had a, AEW started running house shows. And there's fan mm-hmm. cam footage where fans in the crowd were filming Anna Jay versus mm-hmm. Dr. Britt Baker, one of the top AEW women's stars going back to the beginning. And yeah, now go ahead. Oh, okay. I haven't seen it, but here's, here's the only reason I'm cutting off and I'm not trying to be a dick or anything, but I really don't judge house fiction. Cause something I will never forget uh, is remember what Chris Adams move was the super kick. Of course. He used to practice that on dark shows and well, a lot of the times he would miss it by a mile like by a mile well, there's, and that there's, there's and there was that Kurt. yeah th- this was to me two women who looked like they didn't know how to work because i mean there were different points i said this on the other show on the on jim show anna jay looked like she was in the middle of a dance routine like kind of like in her head like one yeah, two yeah. three kick and then Britt baker didn't know what to do there's a couple points I think one of the videos or one of the clips, they're in the middle of the ring. It's almost like they're back to back. Like they don't oh know what God. to do. So they're like back to back and they don't know which way to turn. And all I'm thinking is yeah. kick her in the gut, two hands yeah. full of hair, throw yeah. her into the r- turnbuckle, slam yeah. her head, choke her. Maybe you'll get a crowd reaction. Instead, the crowd yeah. is silent while they are just Yeah, and that's the sad part. Is I, I, turning. I, they people, got lost. You know, people, are, people are taught to go with the script as I understand it, you know, I haven't been involved, but they go with, we do this, 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 and this, where, you know, when I was trained and this is just on indie level, you get a couple of high spots, you add a little bit of the rest, but you know about in the match where those high spots were, if you don't teach people like that, yeah, they're going to be lost. And even, yeah, like with Britt Baker, I like Britt Baker, but I've seen her with women where she doesn't know what to do because they're inexperienced. So I believe what you say. Mm. And by the way, people laughed at the Chris Adams super kicks that missed, like, uproariously. Oh, sure. Yeah. 
Still the best. Well, the, yeah, thing. and and when sometimes they actually hit the guy right in the fucking mouth and broke his teeth. So, <laughs> you know, yeah, they, yeah, yeah. When when people yeah. talk about, they, oh my god, it was such a glorious time back then. I remember wrestlers saying, "We're in Fresno no, tonight. We're in the opener. Just slap a headlock on. Let's get it over." With. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, they were they were trying to do too much. What what we've always complained about with with guys is yeah. they, wanted, they wanted to do their pay per view match, much like stand-up comics they go out and they want to do they want to do their netflix special you know this no this you're just yeah. doing five minutes don't don't get yeah. carried away but they were trying to do way too much and they got lost and you know what um and i know what you're saying about it. i saw les thornton against bengali one time uh and uh bengali was coming off uh, the rope and uh yeah. off the ropes and thornton was going to i thought that was i thought that was um i thought that was dario romero Oh, I'm sorry. You're right. That is Dario Romero. I'm El Negro. Yeah, because that's uh, not a Bengali move, definitely. That's not. Yeah, but uh, uh, Dario came off the ropes and he stumbled and he just kind of bumped in to Thornton and he stopped for a second and he took a bump. And oh. Thornton, I didn't know anything about really wrestling at that point, but I knew that Thornton was beating the shit out of him for the next two minutes. Yeah, after so that. <laughs> Oh, after something like that you know so yeah. i mean that does yeah. happen but when you have a whole match that's that way it's it's really it's it's not doing them any good you know and they it, it needs to be you know that's one of the things about the performance yeah center. i mean those, i those think that's just get in there and do it yeah i suspect that that's kind of a lost art is teaching you know, like putting people in the ring who have a lot of experience with people who have little experience so you can help get the other one over i mean even our old friend Pistol Pete Marquez, who only did just, you know, back alley independent shows, he knew that, well, this guy doesn't have a clue, but if I put him in with, um, like, Bengali, that's why I brought Bengali, Bengali will know what to do with him. Because mm-hmm. Bengali probably couldn't have kicked Let's Sorten's ass, but he wouldn't have put up with just being shot on. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But wow. no, that, that is a lost art because, you know, our, our old buddy Superboy was, is so good because where somebody will get in with somebody who's a rookie and, and beat the shit out of them if they if they screw up, you know, Superboy is the kind of guy, uh, well, our friend Grant, I got in there with him in his first match and, and, and yes. got a little too fast, fast and, and Superboy slowed him down, says, just take it easy, take it easy, just follow me, we're going to do this, we're going to do that, you know, and that's a real art too because a lot of people don't always have the patience to do that, you know. I always remember that when Frank Robinson was managing the Orioles, I'll give you background later, Kurt. Uh, when Frank Robinson was managing the <laughs> Orioles, that, uh, that uh, they, they, like with Ted Williams, they would say that he would have a hard time communicating with players who were, were batting, you know, 119 or whatever, because he had always been a star. So he didn't know what it was like to go through this kind of stuff. And he couldn't really, that's why guys like, you know, Earl Weaver and Tommy Lasorda were good at it because they weren't really, they didn't really have a big career. They were just, you know, uh, minor league guys that you know, lucked out and got into the, the majors that way. Mm-hmm. So I think that's always important. You need to have someone who's a leader in there. And that's what when we used to do shows, I, you know, I always brought you and our friends in because I, I want you to work with the guys who were just starting out because you would work with them and get a good match out of them. And it's not doing anybody any good to put people out there for, and, and these kind of, I days. remember so when you put me, I remember when you put me in with that kid specter and I didn't know, uh-huh. I knew he was decent, but I didn't know how good he was, was, but as we we're talking at the match, I could tell he's overthinking everything. 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. And since I'm not somebody who could probably lead a, lead somebody to green, I just told them, look, you know, you're the heel. So about three minutes into it, start just working on my arm. Just kick it hard. Kick, like kick it in the fatty area till it bruises. And we worked the whole match around me trying to fight him off and making mm-hmm. a comeback. And eventually I tapped out to him. Yeah. Uh, the funniest part was I was in the dressing room and uh, then Spectre comes up like, like you, you, you stiffed me on the nose. And I'm going, oh, I didn't realize I oh. did that. Sorry. And then yeah. some, a fan actually comes to the dressing room, opens the door and looks at me and says, are you okay? You look like you were really hurt there. I go, oh, I'll be okay. And then Spectre jumps in front of me and says, yeah, but he hurt my nose. And I said, oh, God. But <laughs> uh, see, see, Kurt, that's where, that's, Kurt, that's where you give yourself the, uh, the short shrift on that stuff because that is leading a guy. That is doing that. That's what you were doing. You, you were leading him. Through, yeah, yeah, and, him and they that. were into it. Yeah. They were yeah, into it. Exactly. I even remember exactly. taking out a couple – yeah, I remember even taking out a couple of spots we were going to do because I could sense they're into it, but I also sense we're going to lose them pretty soon if we do this much longer. So yeah, I tapped exactly. out before before times I was supposed to. Surgeon number two will be proud of you. <laughs> God bless him wherever he is. <laughs> well, speaking of tapping out, gentlemen, I've had a long day. Uh-huh. I think we're going to tap out here for this session. I'm not sure exactly how I'm ordering things or what I'm doing yet with the finished product. So. I'll do a big goodbye here in case this is the goodbye, but... Is there another part to this? I think, yes, there will be another part so I can talk some more baseball stuff with some people who like baseball. (laughs) But for Dan Farron, the late Dan Farron, the humorous Scott Cornish, and of course, Vandal Drummond himself, Kurt Brown, I'm the great Brian Last. Let's go Mets! LOL, you groovy cats.